Welcome to the Grand Theft World podcast, hosted and sponsored by GrandTheftWorld.com, your one-stop shop for daily ongoings of uh, the juxtaposition of liberty meets the news. We try to uh, sift it out. We try to provide you with a filter, some contextual history. Tonight, we're going to dip into a whole bunch of clips, but the three clips we're going to highlight Grand Theft World podcast hosted. Oh, nice. I nice. Nice. I love the glitch. Right. The gremlins got to us, but we're going to persist anyway. The first clip we're going to cover uh, later on tonight will be a uh, previous guest of Grand Theft World. Dr. Peter McCullough made it to uh, he made it to the seat at the table, the Joe Rogan podcast. A lot of people now got to hear uh, his perspectives on a well-known type of phenomenon going on out there. And uh, here's a couple of highlights that we're going to uh, include later tonight. We can't show too much of it because it's the joe rogan spotify type thing but we'll get some highlights to you then we're going to cover dr joseph mercola he had a an animated type of video this past week having some uh some uh some some thoughts on the bill gates phenomenon that you might not have seen all put together and there's uh a lot of lying going on out there and the juxtapositions after two years of some of these statements can be quite ironic last but not least Comedian, someone who has their own show, started out in a garage podcasting, <clears throat> Jimmy Dore. Jimmy Dore is going to bring to you some information tonight. You might not have thought it was going to happen. You might have thought it was a conspiracy theory, but there's actual news out there now where they've got microchips and the microchips going to have your, your vaccine uh, type of passport uh, record on there. And uh, here too, for that was something that was poo-pooed as conspiracy theory. Can't talk about it. All of a sudden, boom, it's reality. How many times has that happened in the past couple of years? All right. So we're going to kick it off. We're going to get our uh, weekly review. Let's cover the waterfront of news with Luke Radowski of We Are Change and best political, the best political shirts.com. <laughs> Oh, that's going to speak against Joe Manchin. No, I want to know who's the real president of this country. Is it, Bi is it Joe Biden or Joe Manchin? I'm sorry. I just want to interrupt, and I don't think the vice president can hear you. It's the mom. I'm so sorry, Charlie. We have to wrap. She, she can hear me. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me, Madam okay. Vice President? Oh, I'm sorry. You got to wrap. Oh. So I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. They're acting like they can't hear me. <laughs> I can hear you. Oh, so who's the I real? So who's the real president of this country? Is it Joe Manchin or Joe Biden, Madam Vice President? Come on, Charlemagne. I really. Come on. I, it's Joe Biden. I can't no, tell. No, no, sometimes. no, 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 no. It's Joe Biden, and don't start talking like a Republican. What's that? A real question that wasn't scripted or pre-approved? Hold on. Excuse me. Squeeze me. Excuse me. Hell no. We don't do that around here. You think you're a real journalist? That's it. Cut the feet. Oh, you think you're a real journalist? Funny how that works. I bet he's never going to get to interview her ever again. Welcome back, beautiful and amazing human beings here. This is Luke Radowski of WeAreChange.org, and we got a lot of absolutely crazy, incredible news to get into today as large protests are sweeping the world, and of course, resistance to the utter nonsense being proposed by governments around the world who are working in lockstep and barrel at literally trying to take away the lives of 
average human beings. What's really going on here? We're going to be talking about that plus a lot more all in this broadcast. But before we do, shouts out to Sharmar Lemayne. I, I totally butchered his name for actually asking a legitimate question, which uh, clearly wasn't a part of of what Harris was expecting. And that's good because power should always be held accountable. You should always be critical of power and it should always be questioned. And Kamala, of course, represents that power, which uh, Charlemagne called out in more ways than one as even recently. This commentator came out and released some major bombshells, specifically criticizing the corporate media for being quiet on all the extensive ties of a former president to an international trafficking and extortion operation which included unspeakable behaviors surrounding children. The court case surrounding this U.S. intelligence-connected extortion trafficking operation of children is going on right now, currently, with the Ghislaine Maxwell trial, which we just found out a few days ago. The FBI had yet another extremely convenient mistake that works out to the benefit of a lot of former presidents, a lot of media moguls, a lot of billionaires that, of course, were also connected to Mr. Epstein and his operations. As you're getting reports from The Telegraph that the FBI lost all CDs and evidence seized in Epstein's safe, which they had to use a saw to open. Now, why is this a significant, a part of the larger cover-up operation that we're seeing unfold in front of our eyes? Well, that's because a part of Epstein's operations included having many mansions all over the world, which of course were equipped with the latest surveillance hidden camera technology that watched and snooped on every move that very powerful people that he met with, including people like Bill Gates and many other prominent individuals were always 24-7 surveillanced while, of course, meeting and hanging out with Epstein. Epstein also then procured small children for a lot of these very powerful people to do whatever they wanted to in the safety and confines of his mansions. And there was, of course, videos of this that were put on CDs. Epstein had an extensive record of extremely powerful people in some of the most compromising moments that you could even imagine, all on CDs, in a safe, along with photos and other video capture devices with names specifically attributed to these very powerful individuals. The FBI was able to get into the safe and now through the Ghislaine Maxwell trial we are finding out that the FBI somehow magically lost all the CDs seized in this case. And according to an FBI special agent that testified, the evidence just, quote, went missing after their raid. And the larger question still remains, how do you lose evidence in such a high-profile case? It, it's not supposed to happen. It shouldn't have happened unless, of course, it was intentional, which, of course, brings true to the many rumors and speculations that this is an absolute cover-up operation with the FBI now being empowered with extensive black male material that they could use for their own political purposes. Now, the Glenn Maxwell trial is still ongoing, and it is still, in my opinion, an absolute cover-up operation meant to, of course, misdirect people, as The Independent is also reporting that this trial was thrown into disarray as the defense here struggled to find witnesses. It's also important to note that the daughter of the former FBI director is, is also on the prosecution team, as we're hearing rumors that 
Ghislaine Maxwell might potentially start naming names to prosecutors if she's found guilty in an attempt to, quote, get a better sentencing and better conditions in jail. Now, this is according all to an anonymous legal source that spoke to the Daily Mail. And from my perspective, that really doesn't hold any weight, especially with who the prosecution team is embedded with the larger scope of what's actually going on here. And if Ghislaine was going to name names, it was probably going to be a few months before that or when she was on the run. But this case just highlights the true travesty of injustice here in the United States, which clearly is absolutely corrupt. As of course, these weren't the first tapes that were destroyed. This wasn't the first huge major conflict of interest deployed here. As of course, there are still so many powerful individuals that did unspeakable things that are walking the streets and most likely willing and able to harm more children in the future. Who wins from this? Not the people, the very sick people who did this. And who knows, maybe some of them have gotten jobs at CNN, as of course now we're finding out a second producer was caught committing acts that are too heinous to mention here. And we're not even talking about Lubin Tubin. This, as I believe many people in our political and media commentary world deserve a lesson in consent, as CNN employees have been forcing very bad things onto the innocent general public, which of course translates to an absolutely bad time for everyone involved, including even CNN employees. If you remember not so long ago, CNN fired some of its employees for not complying with the whims of government, for not getting a procedure that they wanted them to take. They violated their employees' bodily autonomy, manipulated some people to take this procedure while firing others. And now we're finding out that CNN, a space that had fully complied with the procedure is now closing down its offices to non-essential employees because of a spike of sickness cases inside of their offices. And it's not just them, it's also BuzzFeed, where the employees there not only have low testosterone, but multiple band-aids from multiple shots that, of course, they fully complied with, and their latest office party is being called a super spreader event. Now, what... Now... I, I think it's very fair to say that we live in very extraordinary times, to say the least. Times that are uncertain, unknown, that maybe we should take a pause from, maybe we shouldn't just have a rash reaction because of, maybe we shouldn't knee-jerk and potentially create consequences that might hurt other people, like, you know, like creating new lockdowns that clearly didn't work and have severely negatively impacted social economic life as we have seen it but to the behest of any kind of logic or critical thinking the washington post an agency connected of course to a very prominent billionaire and his cia connections just wrote a political piece that's entitled quote it's time to talk about flattening the curve again where they literally talked about re-implementing the same policies that haven't worked before. The policies that did benefit the billionaire class shut down small mom and pop businesses, allowed Amazon to be open, while of course implementing medical policies that some experts warn could have potentially exacerbated and made this situation worse, since of course people would be congregating in areas 
usually multinational corporate doors and when people people all come together in, in only those particular locations and not spread out you of course have the potential of making this situation that much worse for everyone else now we have to ask ourselves what's responsible for this utter nonsense and dribble well, of course, a new variant that everyone is freaking out about, not, excuse me, excuse me, not everyone, that the corporate media is freaking out about, those larger messages being promoted by big tech social media algorithms, as, of course, the president of the United States just announced that he's going to be implementing more measures to combat this, quote, new phase of this sickness as he's issuing, quote, a stark warning against people who don't do what he wants them to do and take a procedure that he wants them to take. What kind of new policies will Biden try to implement here in the United States where already his his overreach has been felt? R record high new cases and record high new deaths as almost as if the more he does, the more people he hurts. Well, we're going to be keeping an eye closely on the situation here domestically, but in the Netherlands, that country just announced a, quote, complete lockdown with all schools, all non-essential multinational corporations with billionaires having to close, which will last in that country all the way up until January 14th. Yes, the Netherlands just went into a full lockdown, which to me is utterly insane. We're also getting news from Germany that their, quote, expert panel is calling for similar lockdowns, but they're just calling it nationwide contact restrictions, as, of course, the United Kingdom and the United States are promising more restrictions to your daily lives as well. All, of course, as Sweden looks on at the rest of the world, never have locked down since the beginning of this, saying, what in the hell are you guys doing? As, of course, Sweden has has more natural immunity, a lot lower number of deaths, a lot lower number of cases, hospitalizations, and a monarchy that likes to party. In Ontario, Canada, the government there is sending out messages to its citizens saying that if you took the procedure twice, that you should not see your grandparents who took the procedure three times. Yes, Ontario's top doctor is advising people not to see your triple procedured grandparents even if you took two procedures yourself how is this science when we still of course are dealing with something that is experimental hasn't gone through the full clinical studies we don't know the long-term consequences of and of course there's no absolute liability for the government the manufacturers or the employer that force people to take it and they're using their tragedy that's happening to people who complied with them that took it as a way to attack individuals who haven't that is, to me, the absolute definition of lunacy and insanity that we're going through right now. And a lot of people in the world see it. Tel Aviv, we saw a major, huge demonstration, which even had police officers bring out water cannons against their own citizens. Paris, yet another major, huge demonstration against mandates and restrictions. And London saw one of the biggest protests yet with, of course, a huge amount of people coming forward and demanding their bodily autonomy and human rights. Things got tense in the United Kingdom. And, of course, these protests are becoming more common, more frequent, as more and more people come out to the streets saying, hey, what you're doing is absolutely wrong. 
immoral. And my life, my choices, is in my hands and no one else. A simple message that I believe is very important, all as we're dealing with ever more extraordinary situations that deserve us to be on our tippy toes, keeping our head on a swivel to understand the insanity that some people are trying to throw us in. The same people that have helped commit thousands of atrocities against small children and covered it up are the same ones saying that they're going to take away everything from you for your own personal health and well-being. Yeah, right. But hey. That brings to mind. Do we have any uh, Maxwell coverage in the card tonight? Not we really. Just premiered, yeah, we just premiered the uh, <clears throat> Addy Ads interview. He's the uh, investigative journalist who's been covering the Ghislaine Maxwell trial in the Southern District of New York. And it played on YouTube right before Grand Theft World launched. But then I thought, since it just premiered, we probably don't have a clip. Do we have any? We don't have any coverage of the Maxwell trial? Not All right. Really. So while we, while we play Pretty the Pretty much clip, everything that Luke talked about is sort of what other personalities have talked about and it's just it's being very tightly controlled that trial and yeah. so there's just it's been tough to find um, cool so since we do have an interview with the reporter there were a couple parts in there where i thought the, it was clippable there was especially i think i had him do a summary toward the end ld all right so we'll find that we're going to go to the next clip of the week this is christy lee's me, uh, media malfeasance clip just gonna let you know that there's uh, a big similarity these days i think between cnn and cia they got some group activities going on she's going to help to disclose that to you so that i don't get flagged in my words for describing it let's have christy say it <laughs> Powerful pedos in media and in our government? No, that's just a conspiracy theory. Wait a minute, CNN fires a producer who worked with Chris Cuomo for luring minors and engaging in sexual activity with them. And just after that, Project Veritas exposes another CNN producer for fantasizing about sex acts with his fiance's minor daughter. I love that she is getting hot. Uh, I want to taste how wet she makes you. And he's talking about who? His stepdaughter, who's 14 years old. Oh, and in case you missed it, BuzzFeed came out with a bombshell that secret CIA files say staffers committed sex crimes involving children. And nearly all of them were never prosecuted. Meanwhile, FBI agents had sex with prostitutes overseas, then denied it in lie detector tests, according to the New York Post. And all this while Ghislaine Maxwell has been on trial for sex trafficking charges, asking a judge to keep witnesses anonymous, a request denied. Bringing you what's ignored, sensationalized, unbalanced, misleading, or just plain false, here's your media malfeasance for the week. The FDA doesn't have time to release its Pfizer safety study docs, but it does have time to intercept mail. It only took the FDA 108 days to review the data to license Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine, but they asked a judge to allow them at least 75 years to release it before you can take a peek. But yet, they have time for this. You've got mail. Aaron Siri says the FDA is working with the post office to hold packages containing what the media likes to call the horse dewormer. When I get up for breakfast, there's no oats in the bin. Check out this letter. It's a directive to detain and destroy the medication. At worst, it doesn't do anything to help. 
There's no true track record of the drug killing anyone when taken in the right dose as prescribed by a doctor. But at best, it can save lives. There's been at least 30 randomized control trials showing its promise. Yet the FDA has time to interfere in personal health choices. Meanwhile, no one wants to talk about this. Of the countries with the lowest COVID death rates are 26 countries located in the continent with the worst healthcare system in the world, Africa. How can this be? Perhaps it's just a coincidence that most African countries allow the use of inexpensive and non-patentable HCQ and ivermectin for early treatment. And they've avoided the jab. And why is it that some countries have avoided the jab? Well, according to Reuters, many of the vax manufacturers have required that countries indemnify them for any adverse events anyone might suffer from the vaccines. If they're so safe, why is it that they're so intent on making sure they are liability free as they make billions of dollars? Speaking of money, while we all suffer pain at the pump and paying more for groceries and just about everything else, media continues to play PR for the administration and either deny or downplay inflation. The truth? Inflation spiked nearly 7% in November on a year-over-year -year basis, the fastest rate in more than 40 years, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Now, CNN pointed this out. This is something we have not seen in modern times, numbers like this. And you look at a line chart of inflation and you can see this is the worst uh, in years. And, and then the spin, saying it's a sign of a really strong economy. This is a sign of a really strong economy, guys. People are rushing out all at the same time to buy the stuff they want. NPR Spun it this way. Inflation is hitting people hard, but some workers are seeing higher wages. Failing to mention the obvious that inflation is canceling out any increase workers might have seen, hitting them a lot harder than the average raise. The AP says inflation is painfully high, but says, wait, some relief might be coming. Inflation is painfully high, but this hopefully is close to as bad as it gets. It's news to say what is being hoped for. But wait, Bloomberg has a solution. How to cope with rising inflation? Just spend your paycheck right away. And Twitter is actually now admitting it will ban you for telling the truth if they don't like the truth you're spreading. Even though the CDC, WHO, and Fauci himself have said vaccinated people can still contract and spread COVID-19. It is clear that they are capable of transmitting the infection to uninfected individuals. If you say that, you can be banned. And you know those fact checkers on Facebook? In a court hearing, Facebook says what many of us have already caught on to, it's fact checks are merely opinion assertions. And another headline on repeat this week, U.S. reaches 800,000 COVID-19 deaths. The subheadline: the U.S. death toll from COVID-19 is roughly equivalent to how many Americans die each year from heart disease or stroke. We're about two years in dealing with COVID, so we're dealing with basically half the deaths, but 10 times the hysteria. Never mind these articles never factor in the complexity of the whole situation. How many of the death count died with COVID rather than from? How many didn't have access to early treatment? Also from WBNS in Columbus, not enough voter fraud cases in disputed states to change 2020 election, AP says. Oh, so before there was no voter fraud. There is not fraud in our mail-in ballot system. I cannot say that enough. 
And now they're saying there wasn't enough. AP uses the word analysis, but didn't mention looking into any of the canvassing, any of the forensic audit findings, or any of the concerns about voting rules changed to accommodate a record number of mail-in ballots or votes counted well after Election Day. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! For KLIM.News, I'm Christy Lee. All right, next up, we're going to dig into uh, the Fauci flu and the Wuhan crew. We got a, a video from Dr. Mercola. That's Joseph Mercola, as opposed to Peter McCullough. Mercola had a, a little montage mosaic of, he's got some things to say about Bill Gates. And uh, let's, let's check it out. Let's give him the floor for a second here. Heavily censored individual. I think he's a part of the disinformation dozen. Ooh, be careful when you watch this. Put your thinking cap on. This is from InfoWars. Yeah, they they preserved it because McCullough takes his stuff down now after what twenty four hours or something like that. So. Yeah, he makes stuff that self destructs after you watch it. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it's Inspector Gadget. <laughs> but the InfoWars clearinghouse has it. So let's That's check. That's right. It. Yeah. Having watched Rockefeller's business model. Bill and Melinda Gates donated $36 billion of Microsoft stock to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation between 1994 and 2018. Very early on, Gates created a separate entity, Bill Gates Investments, which manages his personal wealth and his foundation's corpus. Bill Gates Investments predominantly invest in multinational food, agriculture, pharmaceutical, energy, telecom, and tech companies with global operations. Federal tax laws require the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to give away a portion of its foundation assets annually to qualify for tax exemption. Gates strategically targets his foundation's charitable gifts to give him control of the international health and agricultural agencies and the media, allowing him to dictate global health and food policies so as to increase profitability of the large multinationals in which he and his foundation hold large investment positions. Instead of depleting his wealth, those strategic gifts have magnified it. Gates' personal net worth grew from $63 billion in 2000 to $129.6 billion. Gates' wealth expanded by $23 billion during the 2020 lockdowns alone. Gates became even more powerful through his decades-long partnership with Dr. Anthony Fauci. The effects of his partnership with the U.S. government's premier public health official anointed his public health experiments with credibility and gravity. Dr. Fauci's power derives from his capacity to fund, arm, pay, maintain, and effectively deploy a large and sprawling standing army. The National Institute of Health alone controls an annual $37 billion budget distributed in over 50,000 grants, supporting over 300,000 positions globally in medical research. The thousands of doctors, hospital administrators, health officials, and research virologists whose positions, careers, and salaries depend on AIDS dollars flowing from Dr. Fauci Gates and the Wellcome Trust, which is Great Britain's version of the Gates Foundation, 
are the officers and soldiers in a mercenary army that functions to defend all vaccines and Dr. Fauci's HIV and AIDS doxologies. The Fauci-Gates partnership led to a $1 billion increase in funding to Gates' global vaccine programs, while the National Institute of Health's budget itself experienced little growth. Moreover, Dr. Fauci was an international power broker controlling massive bankroll and wielding incredible influence across Africa due to his ability to influence the funding of U.S. foreign aid toward the AIDS paradigm in Africa, in which vaccines and drugs are prioritized over nutrition, sanitation, and economic development. HIV provided Gates and Dr. Fauci a beachhead in Africa for their new brand of medical colonialism and a vehicle for the partners to build and maintain a powerful global network that came to include heads of state, health ministers, international health regulators, the World Health Organization, World Bank, World Economic Forum, and key leaders from the financial industry and military officials who served as the command center of the expanding biosecurity apparatus. Their foot soldiers were the army of frontline virologists, vaccinologists, clinicians, and hospital administrators who relied on their generosity and acted as the community-based ideological commissars of this crusade. Over many decades of testing, Fauci and his team, funded by Gates, have never come close to creating a vaccine for the AIDS virus, while squandering billions of dollars and uncounted human carnage. In 2020, many of the Gates-Fauci HIV vaccine trials in Africa suddenly became COVID-19 vaccine trials as the unprecedented tsunami of new COVID-19 plunder began flowing through Dr. Fauci to the same disciplined legions of the virology cast. You won't believe how. Find out by pre-ordering Robert F. Kennedy's new book, The Real Anthony Fauci, releasing November 9th, 2021. But maybe that's all made up. Maybe that's just a cartoonish version of reality. Or maybe that's reality and what people believe out there watching CNN. That's the cartoonish version that lacks credible detail and connection with actual reality. So there's a lot to think about. Uh, what did you think, Tony? That's So that's not Dr. McCullough. It looked like marketing. Hi, buddy. It looked like marketing for uh, RFK Jr.'s book. I was, um, but you know, they stated some facts in there, especially about Bill Gates's net worth and how much it increased. And I did buy the book. And if anyone's interested, the real Anthony Fauci, I'll maybe read a couple of sections from this later on when we get to the Dr. Peter McCullough, uh, interview that he did with Joe Rogan, but, um, it's a damning expose of incredible evidence, uh, against Fauci. And it really reads exactly. We've had what we featured him now two or three times in the past couple of weeks talking about his book it's a very matter of fact book. It's read, it's, uh, written very plainly, just like I said, very matter of fact, uh, with like what over a thousand citations, if not much more than that. And it's just nothing but data. It's like, it's like Dr. Peter McCullough, where he just cites data and more data and more studies and more data. It's exactly the same. And they're not making any sort of conjecture or speculation. It's just, it's evidence after evidence, after evidence, after evidence. it's pretty damning. So I think I might read some sections from it that are just pretty, 
pretty unbelievable um, in regards to, you know, the confluence between Fauci, Gage, the NIH, all of that stuff. It's a very fascinating journey. And it's a great reference book, as um, Robert F. Kennedy has pointed out. It's fantastic for getting an idea, especially what happened with this pandemic. I mean, I just, I literally opened to page 20 and it gets into hydroxychloroquine and it gets into the studies, how it's been used for decades, how it's used in Africa as a prophylactic. I think they call it the Sunday to Sunday medication or something like that, where basically they take it daily and they have been doing it. It's very cheap. And what was the, what did Christy Lee say? Oh yeah. African nations didn't get nailed as much by COVID-19. I don't, that's strange. I don't just, I'm just noticing patterns is all. And that's just right in the beginning. Then he goes, you know, here, I'll just read some headlines real quick. Some sections from here. Hydroxychloroquine before Dr. Fauci's smear campaign, advocacy against coronavirus with early intervention of hydroxychloroquine. And it gets into pharma's war on hydroxychloroquine. And then the fraudulent industry studies that we referenced many times on this show uh, and Lancet gate and how the Lancet was the, the famous the, the journal that exposed or gave credence to a false study that then was retracted it also and that was used and ran by the media peter dazak peter dazak yes, wrote a fatal, right. fake article so lancet's in it up to their neck and they're the british <laughs> type of medical journal right so it's not just america it seems to be english-speaking countries that look at look at australia look at what's going on down there so i don't know there might be some new world order-ish type of hegemony being created through this situation that they've tried to create for the past hundred years not saying there is. We're going to have to learn a little bit more. Uh, the next clip coming up, it's kind called of... called it, let real quick, they called it uh, pharmaceutical colonialism. That was interesting, that video, because that reminded me what much of what we talk about in the show, about the origins and history of especially British colonialism. The opium companies have been... The opium empire and the East India Company, they've right. been doing it for a long time. They just took that model. And, That's uh, what colonialism has been for hundreds of years. People are just now coming to recognize it. You got it. That's the difference. Yeah, we'll talk about New World Order, Anglo-American Establishment, Dope Inc. Free Dope Inc. Buy it for yourself. Buy it for a friend for Christmas. Boom. Right there. It's good reading. All right, so next clip up is coming from Jimmy Dore. It's one of this couple clips we have from Jimmy Dore tonight. This one is <clears throat> Fauci. I guess he heard that RFK has a book, and he read it. And so he had some comments on it. This is Jimmy Dore bringing you the Tony Fauci retort. It's a retort. Let's see what he says. Hey, who's this? Hello, Jimmy. This is Dr. Anthony Fauci. Oh, I'm so glad you called. You know, I had RFK Jr. on today. Oh, for Pete's sake. Okay. No, no. He said a lot of stuff about you. I guess, uh, uh, you know, we didn't even get into the stuff that you did, how you screwed over the people with AIDS. Do you, do you know about that, right? I don't know that I screwed any <coughs> anyone over. Uh, I was trying to uh, do my job as a scientist, which is what I do. Yeah. Well, let let me let me ask you as a scientist. Whereas he appears, he just wants to take pot shots at scientists. Yeah. No, uh, they're not pot shots. Why is it that? Yeah, pot. They're shots of pot. <laughs> <laughs> Why is it? <laughs> Why is Pot it? Shot. I got it. I got it. 
Why is it, Dr. Fauci, that America has the worst outcomes for COVID in the world? We have 4% of the world's population. We have somewhere around 20% of the world's COVID deaths. Now, that's on your watch. Don't you take responsibility for that? Well, no, because people aren't doing what I say. If people just did what the fuck I said, we'd be fine. No. But instead, I got all these people taking pot shots at me, <laughs> talking about fucking AIDS, which isn't even what the fuck is going on right now. <laughs> yeah, but just do what I say, and it'll be, it'll be, we'll see vast improvements in the numbers. I mean, there were other countries, like, uh, well, how about that province in India? that uh, did exactly what you said to do, and they had just as high as death rates as the United States. And then there was a pr another province in India that didn't, and they gave people uh, therapies and drugs that aren't approved, and, and uh, they had almost zero COVID deaths. What, about, what do you say to that? Well, first of all, in India, the most densely populated country in the world... You see how close they together they are over there. Yeah, but there's the the one the people that didn't. It's like the entire country's like the stateroom scene from a night at the opera. I know. But it's it's but the people who followed your advice had much worse outcomes in India than the people who didn't. Well, I can't speak to that. But why can't you speak to that? Because. It does. It doesn't exactly fit into the narrative that we're. we're yeah, I know. <laughs> hey, listen, Lara. I don't know if you heard, but Lara Logan on Fox News compared you to uh, Mengele. And, and First of all, hubba hubba. By the way, Auga <laughs> <laughs> like that wolf. Anyway, well, I mean, once you know, once people go with the, the Nazi comparisons, you know, they've lost the argument. You know, we're, we're talking Dr. Mengele. First of all, I've never even been to South America. So first of all, how about that? <laughs> Second of all, what Dr. Mengele did was experiments that weren't even of a medical nature. I mean, he was torturing people to change their eye colors. I don't seem to remember doing that. <laughs> Try, I'm tracking my mind here, trying to remember the last time I did experiments that were designed to change eye color that caused people to die. Well, you did do experiments on AIDS drugs to fo children that were uh, in foster care. You did do that. We know that happened. That's even been reported. I don't remember doing that. You did put dogs and you did fund dogs being put in cages and having uh, fleas pick at their heads till they died. You did do You did. We know that. That's for sure. Well, Science needs to know what happens when that goes down. <laughs> we yeah. got to know what we're dealing with. The, we, the, we might have a flea gap with Russia or something. We got to know what fleas are doing. So now why do you want to, you, you, you've been in government 50 years. You're the highest paid federal employee. You're the high, you, you make more than the president of the United States. And why do you still want to keep doing this job? You're 80 some years old. Why don't you retire? Because of a dedication to public service. Yeah, no, I don't think that's what it is. I think you're a big scammer, and uh, you get you. I know you make money off these vaccines and stuff. I, 
I, you know what? I'd have to talk to my money guy to find out <laughs> if that's true. Well, the I fact, got the whole guy. The fact that you're a federal employee and you have a money guy, that you need to have talk to a money guy. So we know you get money off of the well, drugs. Yeah, I'm not a fucking mailman. Give me a break here. Okay, all right. Well, listen, uh, I hope you get put in prison. And, uh, you know, the lockdowns were uh, horrible. They transferred wealth upwards. They didn't help people. They hurt people. And uh, why are you lying about early treatment? My portfolio is doing pretty good, I got to tell you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> why don't you tell people about vitamin D? Who, the singer? No. <laughs> oh, wait, that's vitamin C. Never mind. No, why don't you tell people the importance of having vitamin D in their system so when they get... I do, you know, it's good for bone health. No, you that. never say it. You only say masks and vaccines. You never tell people about vitamins and zinc or any other... Or to lose weight. Why don't you tell people don't be obese? Because people lose their fucking shit. Are you on Twitter? <laughs> they don't like being told to lose weight. Is this whole fat positivity movement now. Yeah, when people say health has nothing to do with weight. You know what? I can't even argue with that. Well, it has to do with COVID death rates. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean. Okay. Well, listen. We got to go. What do you want to say to the people before about, about the COVID? Because it seems like the the booster is the people aren't really warming up to the booster. Omicron doesn't seem that bad to them, and I don't think you're going to be able to get another shot in these people. What's your big plan to get another shot in people? Listen to me. Omicron's going to kill fucking more motherfuckers than you can imagine. <laughs> so you need to get out there and get every booster that we come up with. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. All right, Dr. Fauci. Talk to you later. Have fun killing dogs. All right. Keep it, keep it crazy. <laughs> keep it silly. Have a good time. That's the way. That's my mantra. Okay. All right. <laughs> Dr. Fauci, everybody. So it doesn't sound like he read the book, though. Didn't? No. 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 Not a reader, maybe. A lot of red herrings. Yeah. Not a, not a reader. It's not their <laughs> uh This next clip, Fauci. He doesn't read medical studies either, Rich. Don't worry. He doesn't read anything. That's what I that, that, Except for like CNN headlines. You stepped on that joke like a landmine. Yeah. You got it. All right. So Fauci says Americans should ask and maybe require holiday guests to show proof of vaccination before entering homes. So I'm, I'm sure that's doing working wonders for family time at uh, the holidays out there. Just a little divide and conquer, divide and conquer. Let's see what some uh, Americans had to say about such things. Let's check it out. People should, if they invite people over their home, essentially ask and maybe require that people show evidence that they are vaccinated. Okay, so I hear what you're saying, but have you considered maybe you should? Shut the fuck up. You shut the fuck up. Hey, shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up, bitch. Shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. You need to shut the fuck up. I mean, it's just a thought. People. <laughs> hey. Tony, my sister-in-law showed that to me at dinner last night. I said, you, you just made the show, and that's the first TikTok video that has made this show, and it's probably going to be the last. But, you know. I don't know bond, that yet. Bonding with family, you know, yeah. memes, funny videos, these sort of things. 
they go on. All right. So hey, good uh, on her for, uh, you know, getting her first sort of splash on GTW. That was a good, that was a funny clip. Yeah. <laughs> There's this article here. I mean, I get some of this on the record. Emails reveal Fauci's effort to smear anti-lockdown scientists. He would do no such Oops. thing. Let me, uh, Jesus, give me two seconds. That. Cause my, my stupid, um, he's such a good guy. I know. Right. He's, he's the best bro. No, not that one. See, I no, got a Fauci doll one. coming. I got a Fauci like coming from the top of my Christmas tree. There it is. Law. It keeps my OBS keeps changing. My I have to fix that before I start. Okay. Fauci's emails reveal Fauci's efforts to smear anti-lockdown scientists. New released emails show Anthony Fauci and his boss at the U.S. National Institutes of Health, the NIH, wanted to conduct a quick and devastating takedown of health experts who proposed a lockdown-free COVID-19 control strategies. The emails released on Friday by the House Select Committee, excuse me, the House Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Crisis show retiring NIH Director Francis Collins telling Fauci in October 2020 to discredit the Great Barrington Declaration, a statement that proposes working towards achieving herd immunity through focused protection of the most vulnerable. Days after the GBD was released, Collins notified Fauci and other health officials about how the proposal from three fringe epidemiologists was getting a lot of attention and called Mm. for a quick and devastating published takedown of its premises. I'll bet. That's like Mm. Francis Collins playing Godfather. That's as much of a hit as he can call in. Have an article, (laughs) take down the article. Right. That's that's like him uh, asking. see. uh... (laughs) See, this brings up. Yeah, here we go. So thread summarizing what we've learned so far from the Fauci Collins email dump on the Great Barrington De- Declaration. It starts on October 14th, 2020, when Collins instructs Fauci to staff to take down the GBD and the fringe scientists behind it. So let's bring up the old Twitter. First, you got to brand them with a name like the disinfo dozen. So here's, hi, Tony and Cliff. Tony Fauci, of course. Uh, see the Great Barrington Declaration.org, their GB declaration. This proposal from the three fringe epidemiologists who met with the secretary seems to be getting a lot of attention and even a co-signature from Nobel Prize winner Mike Levette at Stanford. There needs to be a quick and devastating published takedown of its premises. I don't see anything like that online yet. Is it underway? I mean, are you kidding me? How about, did you are study you it to see if the me, premises man. are valid before right. you send a hit team of sophists? Well, then the premises are true. Solipsist techniques with. to yeah. like go to battle. It sounded like he had made a decision before he read the document. I recall a quote from Aristotle went something like this. Uh, Condemnation prior to observation is the epitome of ignorance. Something like that. Mm-hmm. you know because it's ancient greek i don't you know translation. yeah it's but sort it, of like there's much. a translation but it's still it gets you make point. a decision yeah. before you look at the thing that's kind of ignorant whereas the observer observer would look and listen and take in and remove the contradictions come to a, a reasoned result that's Correct. the difference between reasoning and sophism that's but, right yeah that's right um they did two things wrong here. Looking at premises, premises can either be true or false. So they didn't actually see, well, are the premises they're stating, the propositions true or false? And then they didn't do any sort of validity to see if you can infer any sort of conclusions or truth from the premises. And that would be making an argument valid or invalid. They didn't do either of those, but they don't understand. Logic, it just so. seemed like they saw it as a challenge to their thought, huh? and they sought to handle it like gangsters of the white collar variety. 
it's just pharmaceutical colonialism, wrench. Pharmaceutical colonialism. You know, that's actually what Adam Smith was writing about in The Wealth of Nations. Yeah, yes. It was the justification through free market economics of uh, colonialism. That's correct. <laughs> let's let's see a little bit more here. Francis. Based I, on based opium. To, based on opium. Yeah, that's right. Now the new opium, cash I guess, pharmaceutical you drugs. Crops. You know, it's interesting. I guess the opium is still kind of the same. It's just in a pill form now. You know, just you yeah. Know. Anyways, Francis it's handed I'm, out by those doctors. <laughs> that's right. They're that saying it's safe and effective. Hundreds of millions of dollars in damage. Vioxx was criminal. safe and effective. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oxycontin, and there's been a number of them. Uh, Janet Woodcock was behind on. Anyways, Francis, I am pasting in below a piece from Wired that debunks this theory. Best Tony, there is no scientific divide. So wait a second. Wait a second. They're sharing Wired articles for like what they can use as a formula for debunking. Are you serious? There is no scientific divide over herd immunity. There's a lot of talk on stuff. So this is just the wired article. Wow. That's the, uh, that's very scientific guys. Let's see here. <clears throat> when the great Barrington declaration authors declare their opposition to lockdowns, they're quite literally arguing with the past. Really? Huh? When did we do that? Cause before? they're never going to do lockdowns again. Yeah. Like right. the Europe is doing right now. <laughs> 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 right arguing the Netherlands. With the I have a friend in the Netherlands and I've had the message him because he's we're gonna write right here that they're arguing with the past. You think anyone's gonna argue with that? No. Is that is that anachronistic? See that joke? Oh, that's that's a, a smart joke. Focus contradiction in the timeline. Go ahead, continue. <laughs> Focus protection, herd immunity, and other deadly delusions. <laughs> Abandoning solidarity. So let's see here. Another refutation of the herd immunity approach. So they're sharing emails from articles of people sort of fact checking or trying to debunk the idea of herd immunity that aren't even epidemiologists. They're most likely paid for journalists. If you want to even call them journalists, that's a euphemism these days. I mean, this is ridiculous. So you think they would try to like, you know, craft some sort of scientific rebuttal to it using logic and reason based on data, science data, but they, why really when they can there. just tell people horse paste. Yeah. Oh my God. Right. This is, crazy, this is their dude. techniques. They, they're not doing, they're not convincing their side with logic and reason. They're using emotion and fear and bottom of the brainstem. So they're never going to need the side that we use to make our decisions, which is logic and reason. Yeah, it's look here. So this far from a scientific study refuting GBD, Gone Slave's article, uh, I'll make it up there, is a political op-ed attacking Jacobin magazine for breaking quote unquote solidarity with other far left media outlets on lockdowns. Why? Because Jacobin ran an interview with Martin Koldorf on how lockdowns hurt the poor. Oh, well. So over the weekend, Collins launches what this if the goal campaign the against the, the GBD. <laughs> and then I guess, so they take all those articles and they there's their Washington Post. Proposal to hasten herd immunity to the coronavirus grabs White House attention to Paul's top scientists. Oh, no. And so, yeah, that just continues. My quotes are accurate, but will not be appreciated by the White House. You would have had herd immunity and you wouldn't have had mutations had they not done lockdowns and all this artificial stuff in the first place and just protected the elderly and the people who were high at risk. <laughs> Look at this. this but fucking... they did the opposite. They did the opposite of that. So here, here you have it. Two years <laughs> to stop the spread. Flatten Two the years curve. Flatten the curve. And we have, we're already about to go into, I guess, another lockdown or so, depending on the state you live in. This fucking great Barrington declaration is like a bad rash or that won't go away. He has he, experience with such things. I guess UK is yeah, <laughs> UK is actually going into lockdowns, but they got, you know, they got exposed to that COVID Christmas party. And then Boris Johnson's like, Oh, Omicron lockdowns. 
let's see here is a big here's a big email deb i had a meeting to you pre- i can't do that i had, a, had mentioned to you previously that i would be out of action this morning redacted and therefore would miss the doctor's call in the task force meeting and so just a heads up over the past week i've come out very strongly publicly against the great barrington declaration see this gma link at time 420 while redacted, Atlas will likely say that there is no such thing as post-COVID-19 syndromes, which is ridiculous. You also say that the subclinical cardiac MRI findings are nonsense. These clearly need further investigation. The NIH is holding a workshop on these subjects in December. Don't worry, they have it figured out. This is all part of this theme that infections do not bother healthy people. Redacted. <laughs> I will try to connect with you later today over the weekend. Thanks. Best regards, Tony. Look at that. Yeah. And then what you have to do is you have to look up the codes for those redactions and then go back and challenge the redactions and they unredact some and leave others. And Mm -hmm. you can get more if you dig into the FOIA. So there's a whole timeline on that Twitter feed, Phil Magnus. Uh, Check it out. It is quite. I'm so surprised that Tony Fauci and Francis Collins are just like, uh, vaccines, the answer. Don't worry about these other things going on. Nothing. It sounds like the NIH has intellectual property rights to part of the Moderna vaccine. It's not like they have resources either to do these things, Tony. Only like 33 billion or whatever. It's like obscene amounts of cash and resources. And we still don't have early treatments. That's not even talking about the DARPA money that we know isn't associated with that, but they're still playing games. So there's a lot of... Oh, Welcome Trust. They mentioned Welcome Trust. The British version of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Regina Regina Dugan. Uh, Check out... uh, Unlimited Hangouts, Whitney Webb did a lot of uh, expose and revelations associated with her. Oh, yeah. All, all the information on the Welcome Trust is from her research. Yeah. So. And that's from like Glaxo Welcome before they became Smith Klein or something like that. Yeah. British pharmaceuticals, again, pharmaceutical capitalism, colonialism, whatever you want to call it. It's been going on. It might be part of the problem. All right, so this next clip, it goes to the next section on the lab lab leak slash release. Because Dazak said lab release theory, Tony. I appreciate you not supporting the lab release. All right, so uh, whether it was leak, whether it was release, uh, was there a a leak in Taiwan recently, Tony? Is that the the genesis of this story? Yeah, this 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 is only a small little subsection here. A couple of stories. Unfortunately, it's behind a paywall wall. But I just wanted to get the headline: Taiwanese lab leak sharpens debate on pandemic origin. A recent SARS-CoV-2 leak from a BSL-3 facility in Taiwan intensifies questions about a lab leak from Wuhan's less secure BSL-2 facility. And my question is: Why are all these BSL laboratories working with coronaviruses still? Well, that's very strange. So get that on the record. And then they're trying of course, to prevent a pandemic, Tony. How do you listen to Bill Gates, Tony Fauci, justify the gain of function? It's so they can prevent a pandemic that they've never prevented. But they <laughs> they've actually probably caused one, but they're going to keep getting funding for the thing they've never done. That's very kind of them, to be honest. And then there's just a series of headlines here. Top doctors asked if Omicron is another, an, another lab-created virus. Two of America's top doctors, Dr. Robert Lone and Dr. Joseph Mercola, Joseph Mercola. Are oh, both the guy wo- who created the M- mRNA gene therapy, Malone? Yep, that's correct. They're both warning the Omicron variant could be a man-made bioweapon unique from other naturally occurring SARS-CoV-2 variants. So they get into it. Oh, I guess this is going to be taken down. Oh, no. Okay. Saved on another website. So this is Lee's here. And the beast, right? 
and then on NBR. So with Omicron, your closest sequences are back from mid 2020. So over a year ago, this is very rare to see computational virologist, Trevor Bedford told the NPR. So that's strange. Let's continue this timeline. Omicron white hat virus made to end pandemic or built to combine with Delta and create a super strain with several top doctors around the world saying there's a possibility the Omicron variant of COVID-19 was created in a lab and only recently released. Next question would inevitably be why? Um, that gets into Robert Malone, blah, blah, blah. Then Moderna chief warns Delta and Omicron could combine to create a monster virus. So this Omicron might be a stepping stone to the, the one that is always uh, going to be able to avoid vac- vaccine immunity. Which Wasn't a chimera enough? Do you have to go right? for the monster? I know what they take the one that works, the, the original variation, original strain, and then they let it run through the population. They isolate the variants that emerge after we become BSL laboratories, human beings, in other words. And then they take that and they manipulate it again. I mean, Jesus Christ, these guys are really evil. Anyways, Moderna's chief medical officers warned that the Delta and Omicron variants of COVID-19 could combine to create a monster virus. Here we go again. Paul Burton made the comments while addressing the House of Common Commons Technologies and Science Committee members on Tuesday. Oh, Christ. So... Anyways, that's all. That's a little bit of a timeline there for people to dive into and get their feet wet a little bit with all that nonsense in regards to what's going on with lab leaks, lab releases, you know, chimeric coronaviruses. Uh, Let me put my camera back on. The UN has a new chimera statue on the top of the building. That was in the Addy Ads tweet. You know where that comes from? It's it's an alchemical process. So it has something to do with the idea of transmutation. Changes, join the great reset. Changes. <laughs> That's what I hear. Klaus likes. That's his new top hit over there. That makes sense. That would yeah, be that would be a favorite. They have David Bowie in a box. The World Economic Forum does. He lives in Switzerland now, just to sing that song to Klaus on the hour, like a cuckoo clock. So it's like a it's like the Gimp and Pulp Fiction, but David Bowie, you know, in the basement. All right. Speaking of uh, people getting fucked, let's look at this this next story. Uh, well, you did you cover all these lab leaks? Yeah, I covered them all. I just went over the headlines. All right, good, good, yeah, good. Yeah, all right, we're done this section. We're now into the vaccines, lockdowns, and therapeutics. See, it's still tied in with the Gimp joke. All right, director of the NIH, Francis Collins. He's playing a song for the world because like Coke, like he wants the world to come together and share now at Christmas with his John Bolton mustache. Somewhere past the pandemic when we're free There's a life I remember full of activity Somewhere past the pandemic masks will come off No more need for a nose swab every time we cough As we are gathered here today, COVID's toll has hit and sent us reeling. 
But partners like the ones right here will help to make the pathway clear to find a true healing somewhere past the pandemic life will resume we'll all complain about the traffic forgetting how we hated zoom somewhere past the pandemic we'll hug our friends it's got to be an empty room thank the people somebody would have thrown a shoe that brought the pandemic's end you're lucky you're on zoom a dozen years are almost through (laughs) this guy doesn't stop i know to work with you do I have a gong? That's we need a gong for this show. COVID gong. No. Oh, cut oh, up. Oh, God. Get the high notes that in there. Took. F, oh, F Fitz in the, the Rockman chat said, Christ have mercy. Even Richard Grove has a better singing voice than the self-propelled mustache. That's right. That's and right. Senna said, said something pretty funny here. She and said, LD uh, is actually a better singer, songwriter, player of those oh, yeah. types of tunes. And he played the Peace Revolution song earlier today at the end of the uh, graduation Q&A. What I wanted to say about Francis Collins is, first off, for those of you playing at home, he repurposed Somewhere Over the Rainbow, which is famous from The Wizard of Oz. I think Francis Collins is probably a big fan. Wizard of Oz, he probably goes to those uh, Judy Garland conferences where they all dress up like Dorothy. <laughs> <laughs> is that like the James Joyce? groups that to get together and i forget what all, was it like it's they, the movie with all the elvises or it's one of those movies where yeah that's the thing <laughs> i did not know that we'll find thing. we'll find the clip to show oh you God, the world we'll the it. world is definitely yeah. ending yeah. Well. that that video kind of just proved it the francis collins song jeez uh, and we'll never get those two minutes 17 seconds back yeah Sorry about that. It's a booster. But, uh, I had no idea how bad it was actually going to be, but you had to experience it to know how bad it was. You know, so we were through that together and we just had a bonding experience. We're now like a band of brothers and sisters. All right. So uh, not the Steven Spielberg. Production. Hey, so uh, where did this idea of vaccine hesitancy come from? Where did it come from? Do we do we maybe have a Twitter type thing clip on that? Let's see. Yes, we do. It's magical. Vaccine that might cause harm to us. Uh, I think it's going to be a very skeptical American public about taking the vaccine, and they should be. We can't trust the president uh, and take his word and take a vaccine that might cause harm to us. If and when the vaccine comes, and it's not likely to go through all the tests that needs to be and the trials that are needed to be done. When we finally do, God willing, get a vaccine, who's going to take the shot? You can be the first one to say, put me, sign me up. They now say it's okay. Is the vaccine safe? Uh, frankly, I'm not going to trust the federal government's opinion. And I like these I guys. Recommend to New Yorkers based on the federal. They government. sound smart. We cannot. Uh, I seem skeptical. That's a good, good place to start from. Influence. You're going to say to the American people now, here's a vaccine. It was new. It was done quickly. But trust this federal administration and their health administration that it's safe. I will say that I would not trust 
Donald Trump. Hey, how confident are you in the approval process of the FDA right now? How confident am I? Uh, I'm not that confident. Yes, I would be hesitant, but I'm going to ask a lot of questions. You're going to need someone other than this FDA and this CDC saying it's safe. Where are they today? That one guy, Cuomo, I think he got fired for saying stuff. Or maybe it was something else. Some strange connections with Epstein, too, with Cuomo brothers, you know. Also, probably some affiliation with the CNN pedophiles. I mean, they're often I mean, his brother was uh, just got fired from CNN, too. So, you know, you know, I had that on the show card, and, by the way. Andrew like Cuomo got fired recently for sexual antics. Chris Cuomo got fired for uh, sexual antics and the hashtag on Twitter, Cuomo sexual trended years ago. So this is not new. Interesting. What, what's, they're just, you know, the, these these guys, the, it's been going on. And, uh, there's, you know, so I'll just say here, CNN, all of a sudden it's popping with news over there. It's just not the news they thought they were covering. And they're locked down from their office, apparently on top of that. I'm just going to highlight that. I thought we'll get to this, but Steven Crowder had a 10 minute clip saying three best friends, Jeffrey Epstein, CNN, and Chris Cuomo. (laughs) So he goes into the connections of all three of them. Four. He forgot Bill Gates. Maybe Bill Gates is buying off Crowder to forget uh, that list. Maybe uh, he's controlled opposition. Probably not. No, I don't. I highly doubt it. No. But, but Bill Gates should have been in that article, probably. Maybe he mentions it. The Epstein put it in the. He's got. Yeah, there's there's a lot of cross crossovers. That's why that whole Maxwell trial would have been interesting, had the judge said this won't be in there and this won't be in there and you can't even talk about the cheerleader outfits. None of that stuff's in there. It's just going to be this thing, and it's going to be like right before Christmas, and we'll be all done with it for Happy New Year. Yep, that's right. All their dirty laundry went to the cleaners. It's not. He said it was too. What do you say? Too absurd or too grotesque or too over the top? Something of that nature. So he. Um. It's not. It's admissible, but it's not something they're going to comment on. Uh, much of the allegations and much of the evidence. It's also convenient the FBI lost the one safe that had all the CDs. And it's like. I, it's almost like. Rich, remember nine I mean, eleven. There should be a process. There should yeah. be a process to handle evidence. You know, maybe we could invent a process for custody of evidence and check in and check out and lock we have locks now and that's a new upgrade for 2021 having locks we didn't have those back when she got arrested everything was just on her system and like toggles and string so i could see how someone walked off with that evidence i also i understand their position as well because when a foreign intelligence agency walks in and says these are ours we're taking them and you're just like you know the fbi you got to kind of bend over and say, yeah, take it. Take yeah. it. Yeah. Take it. Seems awfully familiar to uh, 9-11, one of the biggest crime scenes of all time. It violated everything a forensic scientist, a forensic officer would do. Let's uh, ship all the evidence away, all the molten steel, and let's take all the hard drives and let's just, you know, not recover them, but send them to a German you can't company. Have evidence and have them for the future bro. to study, Tony. It makes total sense to take the crime scene straight to China um, and like destroy it all. That's oh, from so that's the thinking process of the terrorists themselves. I feel like it's and an the, episode of The Wire. And then my question is on that part, how did the hijackers do that? There's a lot of that evidence yeah. where it's like, how did the hijackers do that part? Yeah, some problem yeah. with physics in there. Um, big problems, um, big problems. Yeah, that's a different topic. That is that's a different topic. We gotta get back to analogies, uh, you know. So, all right, so we now know where vaccine hesitancy com- came from. 
came from Biden and Kamala and Cuomo. I just saw them and heard them from the past, unless that's uh, some sort of face swap technology I don't know about. Uh, oh, now we got the Jimmy Dore clip. Mm. It's All actually right, so, two of them. The one I had before was COVID deaths wildly inflated, but we got to get to this microchip because this is important. So. Yeah, because Bill Gates said there's no microchip in the future. And Melinda even said, my husband's not, or she she said, my husband's not uh, having a <laughs> microchip. Good save there. In the vaccine. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Good save. Yeah. Uh, that screen burn in my processor great. to catch up with the character yeah <laughs> but they they swore up and down and like his kids are like oh people say my dad's gonna microchip people well it's not really your dad he just has the patents on it he has other companies that he funds that do these things uh and these are just some people in sweden i think that are developing this i mean they were the ones what was it it was spain and sweden years ago that had the implantable microchips right but now they found a purpose for it it's not just like trendy as it was like, oh, you can open your locker or whatever. They're like, this is your passport to the world now. And look, you scan it with the phone and we could tell you got the chip in there. It's small enough to put in your body because, you know, the guy's got a, the accent. So I'm just translating for you what's going what's gonna to transpire here in this video. And uh, yeah, it's all for your, it's all for your health has nothing to do like they don't track like cattle like this you know it's not about livestock or chattel or anything like that property of human beings for the rest of your life i mean i mean sure the rancher controls the the immune system of every animal on his ranch sure i mean because he's the rancher and he's going to eat that stuff as food so he wants to tightly control the food source i don't know why they'd want to so, like inventory track trace database all of us they got someone stopping by. They have an order they're prepping for some people to stop by and pick what, what's going on. And these people who are like, you, your grandma has three shots and you only got two. Don't go see them. I'm like, is that all you got, dude? Because we don't buy it anymore. We don't buy it. And we understand this thing doesn't work. That you lied to us all. And you guys are doing nothing to rebuild that trust. So power goes like that. And it's going to travel someplace else. So... Yeah, let's go ahead and uh, let's break into Jimmy Dore talking about the microchip. Now, did we want to start this from the beginning or from four minutes in? That's because it opened up at four no, minutes in. This just uh, to start from the beginning, I think that was an accident on my part. All right. That proves that Tony's not an android. <laughs> All right, so or let's talk I about this. This was once considered a conspiracy theory. It says, beep, 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 your vaccination record has been verified. What? Watch this video. Watch this, ladies and gentlemen. Imagine showing your COVID-19 passport with just a flash of your arm. The sweetest company says it has a chip that can hold information about your vaccine stat vaccination status. It's so small you can embed it in your arm. This chip uses pre-existing technology that the firm is already developing. Gets creepier. Gonna get really creepy in a second. Watch this. Stockholm-based Epicenter has been working on human-compatible tech for years. are a very versatile technology that can be used for many different things. <laughs> and uh, right now, it's very convenient to have a COVID passport always accessible on your implant. The chip uses field communication, NFC. It can send data to any NEC-compatible device, such as a smartphone. The technology is not new, but use in humans has grown popular in the last decade. Uh -huh. 
The first person to have microchip implanted was Kevin Warwick in 1998. Epicenter claims the procedure is completely reversible. The chips are not yet for sale. But the firm made headlines this year when the staff had passkeys implanted in their hands. It's also known for throwing parties when employee gets chipped. So uh, it's here. It's it's happened. I just want to show the real re- the quick react. Is this still a conspiracy theory when the mainstream media are telling you this? And how about this? Everyone, including me to an extent, who shit on conspiracy theorists have to eat their words. And then here's a guy. I have a lot. I have a long last concluded that Alex Jones is more reliable than 97% of the news media outlets. That's very funny. Let's bring in Max. Max, what's your reaction to this? I love how they have a chief disruption officer. Like that's a, that's a title. It's like a cartoon of a tech bro crypto guy. He's got like some mysterious logo on his chest. He's the chief disruption officer. That's the kind of image you need. You know, you, you don't want someone who looks like a sinister techno techno Nazi. You want someone who looks like a friendly tech bro who's disrupting everything to make life more efficient, to push this kind of product. And they're sort of normalizing it at this point because of the restrictions that have been placed on travel that are, that are unprecedented for people. Um, and it's pretty clear that there is an effort to make travel more difficult, but for people who over the past two years have been trying to travel, they've faced $5,000 like massive fees in order to quarantine coming back or Europeans trying to get to the U S would have to spend 14 days in a non-red list country. So many Europeans would have to spend 14 days in Mexico because apparently there was no COVID in Mexico in order to go to the U.S. And (laughs) then you have the lockdowns, you know, just getting out into the street becomes restricted. Um, People are just have been brutalized for going outside. And so you have that's what they call plan B in the U.K., and so when you have that kind of situation, people just want efficiency. They'll do anything to have a more efficient situation. And therefore, the microchip is being normalized as people are being conditioned to accept vaccine passports, which will ultimately be digitized. Yeah, well, they are already digitized. Uh, mine mine is. Uh, they have the government here in California has a a website you just have to go in there and you enter your name and they go oh, we got your digital passcode here it is and so i'm already in the digital system um yeah it's it's this is real uh, this uh people by the way it's not creeping it's coming all at once like a tsunami like well, it always started, Max. Don't you think all this got started after 9-11 when we decided to let the government and our, just turn us into a surveillance state where they now have a record of every email, every text and every phone call that you send or receive? Don't you think that's what it's all under the guise of fighting terrorism? And now it's under the guise of fighting a virus, which has a 0.89 percent hospitalization rate. Yeah, and, and we were told we're made to believe that, you know, those measures and restrictions would go away. Yeah. But, you know, the emergency, the, the, the 9-11 version of the EUA that authorized 
the vaccine that became the basis for the vaccine passport, which will be digitized and then be expanded to other mandates and just become a general system of digital ID. The post 9-11 version of that was the AUMF. That was just like emergency. We're in an emergency situation. The president doesn't have to go through Congress to, to wage war. That has never been sunsetted. And you, everything flows from there. So that's what people need to understand about these restrictions, the concept of the vaccine or health passport, which has defined an a entirely healthy swath of the population as a public health threat and a danger and is transforming them into surplus humanity because they refuse to take, inject a novel pharmaceutical product into their veins. That will not go away. It will only be expanded and now we see an effort to actually place the passport inside the bodies of people. Um, it's another case where the conspiracy theorists were right. Again, I always, I, I said it before on your show that when we first started talking just about the concept of the vaccine passport back in March 2020, um, you know, I think I mentioned it in a, in a live stream on the Gray Zone before you were like forbidden from talking about that kind of stuff on YouTube. I was called a conspiracy theorist. It's, it was considered nutty by a lot of people. Then when the vaccine passports came in, especially the digital ones, I started, I, I openly opposed them and they call me a conspiracist for opposing them. Every, it seems like every conspiracy theory or everything that's been called a conspiracy theory has come true in a rapid fashion against the backdrop of a pandemic that like 9-11 was just another crisis or emergency that our national security state and global elites have exploited to advance their agenda. And you know, a lot of the people who are the left have been the left critics of the war on terror. On this one, they're either sitting it out or they're cheering it on. They're, they're, yes, they're, it's exactly right. I keep looking to the people I would normally look to for leadership in this time, and they're, they're silent. And then the other people I would look to for be comrades are actually cheering on this authoritarianism. It's it's chilling to see people who consider themselves skeptics of the government. They consider themselves they host shows where all they do is debunk uh, the government's lies. But they have not a single criticism of the covid policy, the vaccine mandates, nothing. It's 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 jaw dropping. And it lets you know that, again, it wasn't that hard for Hitler. It wasn't. I actually saw some left media critic. I can't remember which one because they all blend into one kind of joyless, grim figure. Uh, say, uh, you know, the left critique of of the pandemic or COVID is not that the vaccine has a microchip in it. It's that you know, it's that uh, you know, we we oppose vac. We want vaccine equity, something like that. But like here you have the microchip right in front of your face. I mean, the vaccine isn't injecting it into you, but it's part of the overall program, the digital architecture of the tech that the technocracy wants to install. And there's no critique there. They're saying the left has no critique of this. Well, well uh, go ahead. Well, I, what I've noticed also in the past week is a lot of kind of left commentators on Twitter just melting down like really like going into a state of complete meltdown because the consensus is breaking thanks to like thanks to you and others like you and people who came before you i think a lot of people have been talking about this longer than we have and we can acknowledge them um you know one person is cj hopkins who i've had on my show at rockfin um 
foreign agents uh, two times and who lives in Germany and is really on the front lines of some of the most draconian lockdowns. Um, I mean, so what, I what, think, what, let me just say that I, I yeah. full disclosure, I was 100% for the lockdowns. I was 100% for the vaccines. I didn't start looking critically at this because I was afraid. Uh, I didn't start looking critically at any of it until I got injured by the jab. And then that opened my eyes to a lot of things because I saw how many people were lying to me about everything. I saw how people wouldn't even listen to me that yep. I was injured by. I'm like, you won't even fucking listen to me. Like, that's not how science works. I would go to doctor. Well, I, I just went, went to a doctor who completely dismissed me. And uh, so and it wasn't until I started talking to fr uh, doctors uh, that were running studies uh, on treating people with COVID, actually trying to treat them, uh, that that I started to find out there's a bunch of bullshit happening around COVID, the vaccines, and suppression of early treatment. And it's one, it's a it's a big con game being perpetrated by the criminals who just addicted half the country to heroin, right? And uh -huh. you think those guys are those guys aren't nefarious? Those aren't liars? Of course they are. And they have yeah. and they have captured our government and they've captured our regulatory agencies. And so and to think that those people uh, uh, still don't have uh, a critique from the left. But we do. So they're lying that our critique is is conspiratorial instead of actually fact based. They just don't want anyone to have a critique. The role of the organized left has been to shut down any attempt to take a critical view of power and how it is completely game the pandemic to advance its own interests. I mean, they've just completely fallen down on the job. And so people aren't just silent, although a lot of my colleagues are self-censoring when they know something deep is deeply wrong. You know, I get a lot of like behind the scenes handshakes and, you know, head nods and props, but it's time for people to speak up. But there are also people who have just been melting down all week over the fact that many people are waking up on the left. This isn't just some homogenous far-right resistance because the government is evil. And, you know, many people went through the same experience as you. And so when I see these people who are just attacking people like you as anti-vaxxers, using this really loaded term, when you and I never said a goddamn thing about a vaccine before the government started to force everyone to take one, that was clearly very flawed. When I see them do that, I think these, you know, I look at them and I'm like, these are the people who were called anti Semites for standing up for Palestinians. At, a, at a time when it was unpopular to do so for the rights of Palestinians. These are the people that were called Assadists for standing up at a time when it was unpopular to do so against the dirty war on Syria. These are the people who are called Kremlin shills for standing up and speaking up at a time when it was unpopular to do so against the manufacturing of a new Cold War and a completely phony hoax, political hoax in our country. And these same people are using those same kind of techniques to shut down argument and to shut down debate and legitimate criticism of the oligarchy and elites. And I look at them and I think of abused children who grow up to be violent bullies and the kind of psychological satisfaction that bullies get as they expiate the abuse and trauma on people who remind them 
of, of on people who are weaker than them. And there's, they've basically, they've sided with the establishment and it must feel good for them to finally punch down on someone who's taking an unpopular stand. And that is so sad to witness. Well, it's, uh, you know, just speaking the truth about what happened to you from a medical procedure is somehow controversial because people are so scared and so cult-like and tribal. And they can't even they can't even talk about medicine in a nonpartisan way. And that's the people on the le- that consider themselves on the left. Again, people who voted for Joe Biden are not lefties. Joe Biden is an extreme right winger in any other country in the world. He's not a lefty. He's not a centrist. Joe Biden is an extreme right winger uh, and a racist, by the way, if you'd like to know. Uh, I know that term gets thrown around a lot uh, by people who are call themselves Democrats and voted for Joe Biden as if they were voting against racism. When, of course, Joe Biden has been the biggest enemy of black and brown people and working people in general in this country in power. Um, It's I I, I saw uh, Graham Elwood do that on a few days ago on Twitter. Someone talking about being injured by the vaccine and him just mocking them. Just what, what, like that, that is one of the saddest things to witness is to see people getting mocked and attacked and ostracized because they have the, they have the temerity. They dare to say that they were injured by one of these vaccines. I mean, it's happened to some people for most people. It hasn't happened. There's a professional mountain biker named Kyle Warner. Yes. Who's gone, who's gone around the country. And I actually saw him at a press conference in Washington who said that his career was ended because he got pericarditis. And he said the hardest thing of it was not having his career ended or the injury itself, but made to feel like he was nothing, that he had to shut up, and that he was a terrible person for going around and talking about it as though he were getting people killed. Yes. I mean, it's sad. Yeah, I yes. Uh, I've had people say that to me. And by the way... um, uh, I, I've, I, you know, I, I don't think there's, well, I don't want to talk about it, but it's, it's disgusting the, to see what, I mean, to look what people did to, to Eric Clapton, <laughs> because now I've, I'm 56 years old. I've known of Eric Clapton my whole life. And people, I don't, I'm not a big fan uh, musically. It's, you know, I'm not into that music. I'm not, in, you know, I'm a bad guy to go to for music advice, but I've known of <laughs> Eric Clapton my whole life. And everybody talked about what a God this guy was, what a good guitar. Never heard a bad thing said about Eric Clapton until he got injured by the jab and he told the truth about it. And all of a sudden he's the worst racist in the world. He's a Trumper. He's your enemy. He's a white supremacist. He's your enemy. And it was just like, oh my God. And then people repeated that propaganda that came directly from Big Pharma. And people would repeat that in joke forms. I can't think of anything worse you could do. And, and especially me, I I've been, uh, I, uh, I have to live with this. Every fucking day of my life, I'm injured by the fucking vaccine. Every day of my life, I get a headache. Every day of my life, my neck hurts. I have joint pain every goddamn day of my life. And who knows what else? That's happening to me every fucking day of my life. And you don't have to live with that because you got lucky. You got lucky. 
I got unlucky. And now I have to live with this for who knows how long. I've been living with it since April 17th. Yeah, you know, this is the thing that I think is driving a lot of people into the streets and or pushing people to speak up is that earlier this year, early this year, the vaccine was sold to us as a panacea, as the way out of the pandemic. I remember seeing the cover of The Economist and it had you looking through a dark tunnel to the light at the end of the tunnel. And at the light of, at the end of the tunnel was a syringe. And the headline on The Economist was, finally, there is hope. And we were told, after being asked to show solidarity for one another, being told we were in this together, after banging pots and pans out our windows for the frontline workers, we were told the vaccine would be here, that it was a two-dose miracle, or in the case of the Johnson & Johnson, a one-dose miracle, and that it would all be over. And here we are, almost a year later since the rollout, and we are being swamped with fear porn and propaganda about Omicron, an entire swath of the population. Millions and millions of people are being demonized as the uh, as essentially inhuman disease vectors for refusing to take the vaccine. And all the young people who went out and did their part so that they could go to college and be a part of society and have a career at later on by getting those two doses is now being told that they are un they have just joined the ranks of the evil unvaccinated if they don't get a third dose. And the Pfizer CEO, Albert Borla, who stands to make something like $93 billion in vaccine and booster profits this year alone, he said that he doesn't know when the boosters will end. And so everything we were told has been proven completely false. And at no point, at no point, did St. Anthony Fauci or any of our public health uh, officials who we were supposed to trust in as the embodiment of the science, at no point did they ever offer any ability for people to take off-patent early treatments. At no point did we have a discussion about the collapsing healthcare system and the need for Medicare for all. That didn't come from the top. At no point were we told that governors should stop cutting ICU beds. Instead, the population was divided down to families and friends and communities are being shattered in front of our face, all because the rollout of the vaccine has failed to work. And instead of blaming those behind it, the government, big pharma, and seeking solutions in our own communities, the, those same forces have blamed individuals. They blamed us for the failure. They've blamed the people. And that's why people are in the streets. That's why we're doing this discussion. That's why you're pissed off. That's why people, tens of thousands of people were protesting in London today because they just can't take the lies anymore. They, and they're now having to, they're now talking in, in, in London about going back into lockdown. Uh, people aren't going to take it the way they did before. I hope not. I hope people push back because the damage done from lockdowns is real. Uh, and it's massive. And how can you not, how can you trust these people? How can the, how can people on the left trust these people? I mean, they put us under de facto house arrest. They turned us into like human profit centers. And here we are back where we started again. And they're asking for us to trust them. And I see people 
left-wing critics, media critics, these kinds of people trying to shut down discussion and re- restore trust in these very authorities and tweeting out mainstream media articles about, oh, a million deaths are coming soon <laughs> unless we lock down and just shut down all over again. How, how can we trust these people? I, I have no idea. I, you know, I say to my stand-up act, you know, we, I, I'm from a crowd of people who are always distrustful of big pharma. They're criminals. They got half the country hooked on heroin and they've lied. They're, they're the biggest, most fine criminal. It's a criminal culture in big pharma. Like that's not hyperbole. That's for real. And they but they don't ever get prosecuted because they own the prosecutors. They own the government. Right. And then so we're supposed to be, we're supposed to be completely suspicious of big pharma. We know government is captured by corporations, military industrial complex, wall street and nefarious interests but when they come together they're supposed to make beautiful babies I, it's just the craziest thing i've never seen yeah, anything mean, like this pharma, and not one the, fuck you think you call yourself a lefty and you have not one fucking shred of critique of for big pharma at almost two years into this you have not one shred of a fucking critique of any of this you are the opposite of a lefty you are a fucking go along uh conformist you're a conformist. You're a, you prop up the big pharma. You are now propping up government. You are now squelching dissent and critical thinking. I mean, the guys I'm talking about, I saw a conspiracy behind every corner before this, and now they see nothing. And yep. now they are just the loudest cheerleaders of authoritarianism, anti-science, everything else. And the, but it's just culture wars. That, that's all they're doing is further. They're repeating propaganda to bolster the culture war and pretend like my neighbor is my enemy and my neighbor is not my enemy. The fucking uh, an unvaccinated school teacher, a school bus driver, a nurse, a nurse's aide, a cashier. Those are not my enemies. My enemies are the oligarchs who are keeping us from medical care for all and a living wage and they get lockdowns and transfer five trillion dollars of wealth upward in the middle of this while taking care of nobody and those people on the left still have no critique they are they are they are talk about a disappointment it's a fa- it's, it's fatal it's a, like a fatal disappointment they, they're, they're, they will never because more and more people are waking up and being pushed against the wall and being pushed out of, pushed off campus, pushed out of school. Parents are having to take their kids back. Now their kids are being put under quarantine in the DC area where I am because they just exhibit symptoms even before a positive test. And and society is being sabotaged before our eyes. And you have these stay at home tweeters, basically stay at home Twitter trolls who are telling everyone that not only is everything fine, but if you raise your voice against it, and you criticize it, that you're a fascist. And they're just the ultimate useful idiots for the global predator class who are scooping up all the profits from this and evading the accountability. I mean, big pharma executives, big pharma should have been broken up and the executives should have been arrested and basically thrown in a hole after the opioid epidemic. Instead, what do they get? The Sacklers got let off. Opioid deaths doubled under lockdowns last year in West Virginia and went up 30% in the rest of the country. And uh, here we are. <laughs> here we are. Here we are. Uh, there, people are cheering on their own demise. People who consider themselves lefties and anti-government, anti-corporate are, are cheering on their own demise. And it's, it's, a, it's a remarkable success of propaganda. 
And, uh, you know, again, people keep comparing these vaccines to polio. Um, yeah, that's such gaslighting. That's I mean, gaslighting. how scientifically idiotic do you have to be to, to do that? It's just, oh, this is just like the vaccines you have to take in, to go to school in the U.S. Like, no, those vaccines, first of all, they are sterilizing. MMR prevents you from getting measles. These don't. Yeah. So if I'm and, in, an, as I saw Kim Iverson make this point, she said, if I'm in another country and I'm in an elevator, I don't worry that the other person isn't vaccinated for measles because I'm vaccinated for measles. Go ahead. Yeah. And it's just to go to school. It's not so that you can go into society. Right. right. I mean, it, there, it's completely illogical. Bill de Blasio, he, the mayor, of, outgoing mayor of New York, admitted that none of this has to do with public health necessarily. It doesn't have to do with preventing people from spreading COVID by imposing passports or the mandates. He said that basically if you take, if you threaten a person's livelihood and threaten their salary, they'll do whatever you want. And so he started threatening people's jobs and threatening them with the uh, loss of their ability to go to restaurants and to go into public places unless they did what he wanted and took this vaccine. So it wasn't about, you know, the passports are going to prevent people from spreading it. So much of the spread took place at home and in private situations anyway. It's just about um, compelling submission to, uh, to authority and official mandates. And, uh, you know, that's, that's considered solidarity. That's considered, I've seen some people say, you know, that it's not socialist to criticize this. I, I, it's not socialist to question how society itself is being sabotaged, how we're being forced into this remote metaverse, how children aren't able to interact with each other. They're not able to read coming back to school. I was talking to my mother-in-law, uh, who's a teacher, a public school teacher, and she told me the kids came back to school. She's a grade school teacher. When they came back, they couldn't, most, many of them couldn't read. They were all two years behind in math or reading and that they had forgotten how to behave socially and that they couldn't stop touching each other because they had been so isolated. Uh, there's a story in the LA Times that came out on December 8th about car accidents and ex experts thought that car accidents would go down because the pandemic had forced so many people at home and instead they're at a record level, record close to 39,000 deaths on U.S. roads. Why? Well, according to the LA Times, isolation, depression, people who've been cooped up, locked down, and have restrictions you chafe at. So if you can have an arousal breakout, you want to take it. That's according to a professor of psychology at Temple University. I mean... How is this, how is opposing that solidarity or uh, proper socialism? I just, I just don't, I don't see it. Uh, but that's what I'm being told to shut me down. I, I really don't care what anyone thinks about me. I don't know what the proper left position is here. I don't really care. It doesn't seem like a left or right issue. I think all that matters here is that the guy down the street, uh, well, I don't have anyone down the street who's a Trump supporter, but if there were some Trump supporter down the street with a Trump flag in front of his house who drives a bus or an Uber driver who doesn't want to wear a mask, these are the people that are being demonized and they're not the enemy. The enemy is the guy 
in Davos. That's right. He's in an air conditioned office counting his money. That's right. The end is Bill Gates who gets to tell us when the pandemic ends in his year end wishes and is called and, and called for in his his year end wishes the government to impose censorship policies on social media because on on those who are eroding trust in the pharmaceutical products and institutions that he has invested his money in. He literally said that. That's the enemy. And so, you know, we need to come together against that predator class. If that's not the left position, then, you know, count me out. But I think that's what drew me to the left. What drew me to the left was the anti-authority tendencies, the opposition to mass surveillance, the opposition to war, the questioning of authority, the suspicion of corporate media, uh, the absolute contempt for elites. And I find that, you know, a lot of people are are, are experiencing those same sentiments uh, and they're just being told that they don't fit in or they're demonized. Um, so maybe we're in, we're, we're facing some kind of political realignment here. Uh, it's, there's definitely a political realignment happening. Uh, I don't know what, how it's going to shake out, but it's weird because the, well, the Democrats became Republicans a long time ago, but now people who consider themselves lefties. It's like there, it's like, we got to do some sort of exorcism or that people have been like, it's like the power of COVID compels you. The power of COVID compels you. Right. I don't know. Uh, what do we got to do? I think the other good thing I think I realized from that clip is the leftist propaganda really only affects leftists. Yeah. Right. They buy, they end up buying in like, who's it hurting? It's not hurting the people who are over here critically thinking and conscious of what's going on in historical context. They don't it have it just bounces uh, off. a political yeah. ideology right. to uphold. Like, I'm sorry, but Jimmy, do I, he's been great. Well, they're I, like doing the right left. And I'm like, what's the left have to do with freedom? Or, or critical like, thinking or critical right. evidence. So, and freedoms of yeah. a, a function of having critical thinking, like intellectual right. self defense, physical self defense, and non aggression. You can have some freedom. How's that tie in with right or left again? Which side is my side? No. no. So, this shows the tribalism is very much uh, a part of our species. And it's hard to, hard yeah. to break away from that animal instinct. It's very ingrained in people. All right. So next up, we got a we got a section here, a feature section on Dr. McCullough being a guest on the Joe Rogan podcast and all that followed from there. So let's go ahead and cut to who's brave enough to play Joe Rogan's Spotify. Maybe Alex Jones. Let's so, go to Alex yeah. Jones and InfoWars because it's their clip. It's not us breaking into Spotify to do that. You got that, LD? It's coming up. It seems to me early on there was an an intentional, very comprehensive suppression of early treatment in order to promote fear, suffering, isolation, hospitalization, and death. And it seemed to be completely organized and and intentional in order to create acceptance for and then promote mass vaccination. So that's perfect. All right, here we are, ladies and gentlemen, on this Wednesday, December fifteenth, transmission, and coming up. In the next hour, I'm going to play amazing excerpts of Dr. Peter McCullough. And I'm not tooting my horn, but but I, I, I fight the globalists so hard that my biggest pleasures that I want to share with you are helping get amazing, informative people on air and then seeing it explode. 
and uh, I was instrumental in getting Dr. Peter McCullough on with Joe Rogan, and it's now arguably the biggest interview he's ever done, which I was the biggest. You, you could argue of the interviews, Elon Musk and Alex Jones, the two biggest Joe Rogan interviews. And, 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 and they can argue it either way, which interviews are the biggest, but they're all, they all get 50 to 100 million views, depending on which interview it is on all platforms. Those are low numbers, low numbers. 50 to 100 million views, biggest podcast ever. And all of Joe's top podcasts are Elon Musk and Alex Jones. There's some other big ones under that. This is already rivaling those and it'll probably get bigger. I love it. I want my records replaced with somebody saving children. This is awesome. But there's that added deliciousness that it's like in rollerball at the end when he gets the ball after everything he's gone through into the goal. It's like, it's like, true. Like you're dying, you're under attack, they're coming after you. But you just, the worse it gets, the more you score. <laughs> I mean, this is unbelievable. So, so as bad as all of the globalist takeovers are, and as horrible as the things they do to us and our families, and the spiritual warfare and all the rest of it, I'm just so thankful for this audience praying for us and keeping us on air and keeping us in attack formation because without you, we wouldn't be here. And all of the success we've had and all the good work we've done and, and all the major pushback we're seeing, because we really are the resistance. That's all of us together, this family of this broadcast. It's just amazing because if it wasn't for you putting up with this loudmouth Texan, if it wasn't for you and your prayer and your financial support and your word of mouth, we would not be here. So everything you see happening is not this guy. Yes, I'm a focal point. I'm willing to do it. I don't back down. I can't stop. I get threatened. It makes me get more aggressive. God chose me for this mission right at the tip of the spear because God knows who I am. God formed me. God built me for this. Now I can see it more than ever. It's unbelievable. But it is our communion. It is our Congress it is our coming together that did this. And I salute you and I thank you and I appreciate you because as horrible as a lot of things are, at least we're in the thick of battle together and having major victory every time a good person stands up. What did Thomas Jefferson say? They said, how do we defeat evil? How do we defeat corruption? How do we defeat the King of England? And he wrote letters and gave speeches and said it many different ways, but the, the famous quote is, all that evil men and tyrants need to flourish is that good men do nothing. Well, I believed that 30 years ago when I started trying to get on air. And I got on air 28 years ago now. And I've seen nothing but victory. I mean, there's been defeats on the way. I lost a lot of battles. But every damn war I win in the end. No matter how bad it looks, no matter how much it looks like I'm going down, no matter how bloodied I am, no matter how horrible it is, I've learned. Because used to, I didn't know. I just couldn't help myself. I didn't back down. I thought, hell, I'm losing, but I'm going to keep fighting. And then I kept noticing when I, never, when I don't give up, I just get stronger and crazier and crazier stuff ends up happening. And it just gets more and more amazing what's unfolding. And that's where we are right now, ladies and gentlemen. I remember being 13 years old while my uncle was sitting there in his garage in San Antonio, Texas, working on a car engine. And I said, I'm a Republican. I like the Republican Party. And he turned around and looked at me and he said, here, go get yourself a soft drink out of the refrigerator and let's sit down here in the backyard and let's talk a few minutes. He had grease all over him. 
And he sat down for about two hours and told me how the cow ate the cabbage. He didn't really tell me anything secret, but he, he told me a lot. And, and it sounded crazy when I was hearing it. But you know, it was all true. And he got a lot of silver stars in Vietnam. He was a great patriot. And he thought he was working for the government, thought he was saving America, thought he was a good guy until he actually got in the middle of it and found out what was really going on. And, you know, all of us are at that point now, whether we worked for the CIA or whether you worked in the Army or whether you were a school teacher or whether you worked for the FBI or whether you work in a prison or whether you work in a grocery store or a farmer, we're all in this thing now. And people better wake up and realize how much damn danger we're in. That's why I get so pissed when callers call in who are great people and say, you're such a hero. I'm a hero not signing on to pedophilia and Satanism. Well, if that's heroes, then we got a problem. How about I'm not doing that? How about I can't be part of that? How about we all decide we're not living like this? And here we are inside the new world order where every day we're on air is incredibly precious. We can be taken off the air anytime. That means all of you at the same time. I mean, here, 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 I'm going to get these clips and then your calls, but, but let me explain where I'm coming from. I knew last year, six months before, that they were going to do the Red Mirage scam because they admitted it. I know the difference between their propaganda versus their orders going out to their people. You always, you know, grow up watching movies about spy movies where the Russians or whatever would put like ads of their spies in the in in the uh, newspaper ads. That actually went on. But, but that's what the globalists do. They, they sit there and do these drills and have these symposiums, and they don't even hide what they're saying at these damn things. And I'm sitting there watching them prepare this whole plan for us. It's not the Russians coming after us. The Chicoms are just some globalist playland where they can dehumanize whoever they want. And I'm just sitting here watching them swallow up and destroy the whole country. And I forget the point I was even going to make getting into that. It'll come back to my mind in a moment. But here's what people need to know. Mass crimes against children are going on, giving them shots that erase their immune systems and create basically an HIV AIDS type illness in billions of people. And that's confirmed now. And blood clots and cancer and all these problems. And we just can't sit here and act like this isn't going on. So the good news is the bad news is so horrible with the system going after the children that massive top scientists, when I say massive, I mean massive numbers are now going, okay, it's all all pre-planned it's a takeover it's pure evil they want to kill you it's a great reset they already all know that i mean you don't just think alex jones and millions of you know that right no they know that and so we're living in this this is real and if you're freaked out you should be freaked out and if you feel un 
stable, you should be, because this is a destabilized time. You're not supposed to feel normal during something like this. You're not supposed to be happy going to the movies and going eating your food and going and playing golf or whatever and, you know, polishing your car and playing with your favorite, you know, video games. That's all fine and dandy if we weren't going to hell in a handbasket. But evil through the medical system has made its move. It's the population move on humanity. It's here now. And so all of you that are upset and all of you that have anxiety, myself included, it's because we're not doing enough to fight this thing. And we have a responsibility to fight this thing. And we're not going to feel good and be close to God until we defeat this system. So let me just start. Because i got to get to these clips. It's about 12 minutes of them, 15 minutes of them. And then we're going to go to your phone calls. But this is Dr. Peter McCullough on Joe Rogan, clip three. It seems to me early on there was an intentional, very comprehensive suppression of early treatment all over the world, unified by the UN, in order to promote fear, suffering, isolation, hospitalization, and death. So an organized movement to cause death, just like Governor Cuomo, all of it. He was given orders. That This is real. This is happening. Lying to yourself, living in denial, is not going to get you out of this. Playtime is over, folks. Here it is. Multidrug therapy as an outpatient works substantially, and we've had a giant loss of life, a giant number, millions and millions of unnecessary hospitalizations. Uh, and it seemed to me, and I said, I've told Tucker Carlson and many others, it seems to me early on there was an, an intentional, very comprehensive suppression of early treatment in order to promote fear, suffering, isolation, hospitalization, and death. And it seemed to be completely organized and intentional in order to create acceptance for and then promote mass vaccination so you believe this is a premeditated thing that they were doing so they realized that in order to get people enthusiastic about taking this vaccine the best way to do that was to not have a protocol for treatment it's not just my idea. Now it's completely laid out by the book by Dr. Pam Popper, the book recently published by Peter Bregan, uh, COVID-19 and the Global Predators, We Are the Prey. I wrote one of the uh, introductions. Dr. Lee Fleet and Dr. Vladimir Rosenko wrote the other introductions. These books are basically nonfiction. They have a thousand citations in the Bregan book showing how it was coordinated and planned. Now Bobby Kennedy has his book out, The Real Anthony Fauci. I'm the most uh, mentioned physician in that book. I can tell you that if you want to find the evidence that Moderna was working on the vaccine before the virus ever emanated out of the lab, if you wanted to find the, the collusions and the operations between the Gates Foundation and Gavi and CEPI and Pfizer and Moderna and the vaccine manufacturers and the Wuhan lab and the National Institutes of Health and Ralph Barrick and University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and how all this was organized. If you want to see the Johns Hopkins planning seminar called the SPARS pandemic in 2017, where they had a symposium, people showed up, they wrote up their symposium findings, they published this. It says it's going to be a coronavirus. It's going to be related to MERS and SARS. It's going to come over here to the United States. It's going to shut down cities and frighten people. There's going to be confusion regarding a drug, hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin. And we're going to utilize all that in order to railroad the population into mass vaccination. It's laid out in the Johns Hopkins SPARS pandemic training seminar. The only thing they got wrong was the year. They said it was going to be 2025. Instead, it landed a few years early. Now, you saw us almost a year ago break all that down, but now you see it externalized to the general population of the mass. This is what your support and prayer and word of mouth has done. You are the tip of the spear. You are changing the world. You 
are the resistance. You are the heroes. So thank you all for what you've done. More of Dr. Peter McCullough on Joe Rogan straight ahead. But please go join ResetWars.com right now. The course is live. 25% off right now. Ends at midnight. Last chance to get it. All right. We're playing clips of Dr. Peter McCullough on my good friend Joe Rogan's transmission. Told you a year and a half ago, Joe was moving to Austin, broke it here. Over a year and a half ago now. Told you he was going to get hardcore once he had control of his show. Told you he was totally awake. Because before, he was a smart guy and knew I was right about a lot of stuff, but he thought there were a lot of good elites that didn't mean all this bad. Now he knows. Now he's in bear on its hind legs mode. And I just told you, I didn't lie to you again. A year and a half ago, listeners were so pissed. Joe Rogan, screw him. He, he has all... You know, he now, did I lie to you? Did I lie to you, baby? I tell you, honey, did I say something that wasn't true? I mean, sometimes I make mistakes, but the big main of what I do is the truth. And again, it's just an example of how we're winning. You're winning. And yeah, stuff's dark, stuff's bad, stuff's scary, but we're winning. There's going to be a high body count in this whole deal. We're trying to save as many children as we can. So I'll be honest with you. Adults go along the system, they get killed, I'm not going to cry. But children, just like God looks at children as innocent and need to be protected, I, I'm following God's directive. You know, God's one trillion G broadcast I'm getting, and uh, God just says, those are innocent people, had not made their choices yet, you better protect them or I will destroy your ass. I'm like, yes, sir. <laughs> no matter how many guns the enemy points at me, you're nothing compared to what's got the guns pointed at me. And I and I'm not doing it out of fear of God, but you you fear the separation from God. That's God's biggest threat is I will separate myself from you. I will leave you. And I'm like, no, no, no. Please don't leave me. Well, if we don't stand up for these children, God is gonna leave us. If we forsake these children. If we don't go to all the damn injection centers, and I, I told you it happened last weekend. I, I, I was going into a store to buy a new toothbrush and some other, you know, stuff I needed. Because I don't know who steals my comb brushes at my house, but they're always disappearing. So I go into Walgreens, haven't been in one in months, and I just go back into the area, back where they got the combs and toothpaste. There's like 15 kids with these mothers, all mothers wearing masks, and the kids all look scared. And they're injecting them in this little room. And I got physically ill because I was realizing you should be boycotting these every weekend. You should be fighting for them. You should be, I physically knew they were being given cancer. They were being given blood clots. They were being given death. And I was just there nonchalantly getting my natural mouthwash and toothpaste and, uh, or not toothpaste, I already have toothpaste, but the toothbrush I was missing. And toothpicks, little, little toothpicks I use. So, there we are, ladies and gentlemen. That's that's where we are. I was also buying some aspirin for my heart. Now we're getting what I was buying there, and then some toys for my four-year-old daughter, and then some chocolate bars. But the point is, is that that's what was going on at this place, and you should be sickened by that. You should be upset by that. So let's just play a bunch of these clips. Let's just go in order. I don't know which one's the best. They're all powerful. We already played him saying it's all premeditated takeover. Let's just start with clip one, two, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Just go right through them. Here they are. It's supply or a very large supply, more than adequate for the entire population for monoclonal antibodies. So what is stopping the distribution of them? Because not only have they made it difficult to get, in Texas, they actually put these parameters on who gets it and who doesn't. And you have to be in uh, a high-risk 
ethnicity to get it. A friend of mine went, he had COVID, and he is a uh, healthy uh, Caucasian male in his 30s. And they told him, you are not qualified to receive the monoclonal antibodies. And the, the lady who was working there said, if you were another ethnicity, like if you were Hispanic or black, then we would qualify you. And she was like, look, this is not my idea. This is, I just have to follow the rules. Why would anybody establish rules like that? Like, what is that? And they're so arbitrary. From center to center, the arbitrariness of the rules. I've sent younger patients who have severe symptoms and in trouble for monoclonal antibodies, they've been turned down. I've had other people go for monoclonal antibodies themselves and get them fine, no difficulty. Most of the time, I have to say, I've had a great experience. People got the monoclonal antibodies, but I have to tell you an anecdote. Somebody close in my religious circles developed COVID-19, and he developed some severe respiratory symptoms. And I had gotten wind of vaccine discrimination, Joe. I had gotten wind of this, and this person was not vaccinated. I said, we're going to go for a monoclonal antibody infusion. It's late on a Saturday night. He goes for the monoclonal antibody infusion, and the doctor at the center in Dallas lords over him, arms folded, and says, have you been vaccinated? And this person looks up at him, and he says, I refuse to answer that question. And the doctor looked at him, he said, okay, he goes, and, and, the, and the person who came and said, listen, I just want a monoclonal antibody infusion, go home. He gets the monoclonal antibody infusion, and on the way out the door, he goes, hey, doc, he goes, what if I would have answered that question if then told you I was vaccinated? He goes, oh, I would have given you remdesivir. Of the 800,000 deaths that we are right now, I can tell you to a one, they've received either no or inadequate early treatment. All of them. Go look in a table of baseline characteristics of hospitalized patients with COVID-19 and look at what they received before they came to the hospital. Zilch. In fact, there's one paper by Ip and colleagues, uh, first name, last name is spelled IP. It was published from New Jersey early on. And in that paper, back when there was a surge of hydroxychloroquine use in the spring of 2020, 7% of people had received some pre-hospital hydroxychloroquine before they got to the hospital. They had improved survival. Even some pre-hospital treatment really worked. So what happened is when we came up with our treatment protocols, the protocol that I mentioned, it sounds like describing uh, what you received as a treatment, you basically received the McCullough protocol. It's now been copyrighted. Sequence multidrug, once the monoclonal antibodies came in, that became a building block in our program. And we can maybe show the multidrug protocol on the screen if we can look at it. Um, the point is that... Um, any pre-hospital treatment was associated with improved survival because we're taking an edge off viral application, reducing some of the inflammation, preventing some of the thrombosis. If we let this thing run for 14 days, Joe, the, the lungs are filling with blood clots. By the time the oxygen saturation goes down, that's not the virus. The, the Italians showed us through autopsy studies, very courageous autopsy studies, the lungs are filled with micro blood clots. A naval cruise ship, 3,700 individuals, fully vaccinated. They passed the Delta to each other. Then we had these papers here. We have one from Havers, CDC COVID Net Network. We have Fillmore from the VA. This is data shading into June. This is before Delta really kicked up. We had 23% of Americans in the hospital with, who were vaccinated, but they had COVID-19. Remember in June, remember that talking point that was issued? 99% of people in the hospital were unvaccinated? Yeah. That's propaganda. That's false information put out by those in position of authority. There was one time, and I was on Laura Ingram, and they had a montage of everybody saying 99% unvaccinated. Mm -hmm. Even the governor of Florida said that. President of the United States said that. That was a false talking point that was issued, and everybody said it. I think designed to encourage people to get vaccinated. Well, there's but, certainly been a lot of encouragement to get vaccinated. Because what's going on uh, here is that we have a situation where we have people in positions of authority. The person you had on here in a position of authority was Sanjay Gupta. And I'm going to pick on him a little bit because Sanjay Gupta uh, came on Sesame Street. And I want to show the graphic if I don't have it. He came on Sesame Street. And uh, what he did 
is with another CNN correspondent. He was actually seducing children into taking the vaccine. Yeah, I saw that. It's very disturbing. Okay, seducing. Most I am telling you, no good doctor would do that because there must be risks and benefits. Did he tell the kids and the parents there's FDA warnings that this can cause heart inflammation? Did the other CNN correspondent, who's a mother, did she show even show an ounce of concern? What Scott Atlas uses in his book, Joe's, he used the term he uses is off the rails. We're off the rails. People in positions of authority are doing bad things, trying to seduce children into taking a vaccine that has official FDA warnings on it without giving fair balance. That's malfeasance. That's wrongdoing by people in position of authority. Nobody can encourage somebody to take a vaccine, by the way. That, that violates the Nuremberg Code. Can't do it. Research is neutral. As a doctor, I can never tell somebody they should take the COVID-19 vaccine. Why? Because same reason why I can't tell them, say, listen, you should be in my research study. You should take my research pill for diabetes. You know, if I told them that you should be in my research study, I'd be sanctioned by the IRB. I'd be called by the FDA. That's out of bounds. We never give any pressure, coercion, or threat of reprisal for participating in research. It violates the Nuremberg Code. And we certainly wouldn't do it with these vaccines because we don't have all the data yet. You have to reconcile with vaccine safety. So the story is, by January 22nd, we already had 182 deaths. Stay with us. Here we are, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to finish up with Dr. Peter McCullough. That last clip we were on, a few others, and we're going to go right to your phone calls here throughout the entire third hour. Then Owen Schroyer is be taking over with some major breaking news and information. But here's more of what they're trying to censor, what they're trying to block, the facts that they're killing us by design. This is a globalist corporate war. You're living in it. This is it. This is World War III. Here it is. We have to reconcile with vaccine safety. So the story is, by January 22nd, we already had 182 deaths after the vaccine. January 22nd. For all the vaccines combined, 278 million shots given uh, each year in the United States, kids, adults, me and you, I took two last year, I took one this year, 270 million shots. The average number of deaths that would ever come into our central database, about 150. We've been keeping this database for 20 years. Suddenly we were at 182. And then it was a very important recognition that many of us had. Say, wait a minute, the CDC and FDA, they didn't have any safety review. They didn't have an external uh, critical event committee, they didn't have a data safety monitoring committee, and they didn't have a human ethics board assigned to the program. It turns out we had the wrong agencies leading the program. The FDA is supposed to be the drug watch uh, government organization. They don't lead clinical programs. The CDC is supposed to be the outbreak evaluation program. They don't lead clinical programs. So in fact, we actually had the wrong, we had the, in a sense, uh, 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 the fox guarding the chicken coop in a sense, we had the wrong people leading the programs and then we didn't have this independent safety committees. So there was nobody to stop the program in February. You know, it, it, normally what happens is you get five deaths after any product that's unexplained. Black box warning, may cause death. You get to 50 deaths, I don't care if it's 50 million, 60 million people take the drug, you get to 50 deaths, it's off the market and it gets reviewed for safety. I've been involved with these, Joe, at a national level. We never let a drug go on and be associated with 50 deaths afterwards. We were at 182 and there was no safety review. Remember I told you in February, I demanded, as a citizen, I demanded a report from the federal government. We needed a report and a press briefing on vaccine safety and efficacy. We never got it. From Finland was by Arola and colleagues. They came with the estimate of four cases per million per year as a baseline. Uh, so that means in the United States, 400, 800 cases a year. We've already uh, gotten to uh, over 13,000 cases in the United States. And um, uh, we've seen cases of myocarditis, by the way, reported in the U.S. military, uh, been reported uh, uh, from Israel, France, and elsewhere. The paper that showed it directly invades the heart, the spike protein, that was by Avolio and colleagues in the pericytes. And uh, very important 
importantly, the prognosis is what you're asking about. The prognosis paper was published by Karsten Chopi, and that was in Circulation Research 2019. And what it showed is it showed that 13% of myocarditis, this is before COVID, ends up with progressive heart failure and worsening. My fear is some of these kids who develop myocarditis will be in a 13% category where they have progressive left ventricular dysfunction and heart failure. So the myocarditis they're experiencing right now is damaged heart tissue, and that, that damaged heart tissue is not going to heal, and that it, in fact, might get worse. The estimates are, and again, I would, I'm applying data from other forms of myocarditis before COVID, yes. and COVID looks like a pretty severe form of it, to be honest with you, because it's putting 86% of the kids in the hospital. You know, there's myocarditis that we actually don't hospitalize. We can treat myocarditis and myopericarditis in the office, but these kids are sick enough to be hospitalized. I'm inferring that it's severe uh, forms of it. Uh, this estimate from this paper would be 13% risk of, in these kids, of developing heart failure or, you know, needing things like um, ICDs, heart failure, oral drugs, later on cardiac transplant or cardiac death. And now we learned we can use um, hydrogen peroxide, dilute hydrogen peroxide with some Lugol's iodine. And believe it or not, the dentists in the American Dental Association guidelines use for cytomegalovirus and Epstein-Barr virus, gingivitis, they use sodium hypochlorite. That's actually dilute bleach. Turns out it just takes a few drops of bleach in some household water. That's for the mouth. We typically don't use it in the nose around the eyes. But remember when President Trump mentioned bleach and everybody had a big horse laugh on that? Yes. It turns out he just couldn't articulate. Someone was giving him the ADA recommendations <laughs> for antiviral therapy for the mouth. The point is, uh, pillar number one should have been contagion control. It should have been focused on the nose and the mouth. We learned it early. Um, uh, we learned it late, but if we could have used any of that early, it would have helped. Uh, randomized trials of masks didn't work. Hand sanitizers and spraying football stadiums. There was even in Europe, they were spraying the sidewalk. That doesn't work. Do you think um, the masks have any effect on the limiting the spread? You know, every time I go on Fox News, Laura Ingram always tees up some comment on masks. And I just, masks, masks are not my signature focus, right? right. Uh, and the reason being, if two people don't have the virus and they wear a mask, can, they, can it possibly do anything? Of course not. So in, in randomized trials of masks, the vast majority of people don't have the virus. So if you put masks on people who don't have the virus, it's not going to do anything. Mask ac expert, uh, Mr. Stephen Petty, who I've presented with, he is a world's expert on masks. He's an engineer. With a typical mask that someone wears, do you know how much air moves around the mask? Yeah. It's 18% moves around the mask. Of course it doesn't work. Masks only filter out about three microns. The virus is one micron. So the point is, what do masks do? Do I wear a mask? Sure. I'm a doctor. I go into the hospital. I'm in the cath lab. I'm close contact with people, dentists, hairdressers, people at close range wear a mask. It may stop a big sneeze. It may stop uh, partially some big uh, emanation of inoculum. But we, sh we shouldn't have had you know, the airtime and the public health focus on masks. I think if we would have taken all of that energy and put it on treatment protocols and update on drugs, we would have been better off. But that's contagious. They don't want this information on air. That's why we're here. That's why we're the tip of the spear. That's why we're not financed by George Soros and the globalists. We're just a billion bucks is given to us. We can all sit on our ass. We're financed by you, the listeners and viewers. And it's only when you decide to spread the word or share an article or share a video that it has an effect. So that's why I just sit here all day saying, don't thank me. Thank yourself when you share an article, when you share a video, when you tell people, hey, Alex has got this big guest on, tune in. It's the power of you taking action the establishment fears. All right, we're going to go to break in about four minutes. We're going to come back with William, Lori, Alex, Julie, Jason, Daniel, Kyle, Jordan, Truth Teller, Brad, John. We'll get to every one of those callers. We're not going to take any more after that because they keep loading them on the board. We're going to take those uh, 11 calls next hour, and then Owen Schroyer takes over. Um, there's a lot of other geopolitical news. There's a lot of inflation news. There's a lot of race-baiting news. I'm going to hit as well. I think I'm going to hit some more of that in a second. Uh, but 
seriously, anything I promote, anything I sell is something I really believe in. So all the supplements are great and the books and the films and the water filtration, the air filtration. It's all really high quality products at great prices that then also. Not that we don't love your products there, Alex. But... Yeah, he does have solid products. All right. So um... I have a couple of things there yeah. I might read from just uh the real anthony fauci see if i can do this maybe. well i was just saying uh welcome to those watching on the jules kroll stream of youtube because apparently felix rodriguez just got a strike <laughs> yeah well hey, that's why we have it as an outpost but we're not, li- we're not live streaming on there like as primary so we're good <laughs> we can say anything we want but the people watching on youtube just had to go to rockfin i guess or odyssey or one of the other places we're streaming to. Is that what happened, LD? I saw that come across my screen that Jules yes. was we broadcasting. Did not, we did not smart the uh, whatever they've got running over there on YouTube. So, yeah, hop over oh. to the Jules Kroll channel. I don't know how you would know if, yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's for people who catch the replay and they can find out maybe. But <laughs> that's unfortunate. And we had to speed up his voice, maybe change the timber of Alex Jones. I thought Alex had already done the speed up on McCullough or he was talking fast that day. Yeah. But I know something was different there, right? With McCullough's yeah. voice. He sounded like, like his whispering yeah. going really fast. And it looked like they sped it up to avoid Spotify, but then YouTube spotted Alex's Alex. voice. Uh, maybe. Yeah. Alex or Rogan. Cause Rogan sounded normal. But McCullough sounded a little different. There are a couple of small sections. I just want to highlight that. I thought that um, Peter McCullough did a good job of building out. So let me see if I can do this. Excuse the do it live. Yeah. Yeah. McCullough is stirred up a shitstorm. So, Dr. Fauci's hypocrisy about hydroxychloroquine is evident to anyone who looks at the vast. Oh, what's this book you're reading? So, this is from the real Anthony Fauci. Oh, from what page? RFK Kennedy, Children's Self Defense, page 35. I don't have a fancy setup. One of these days, I get Rich's fancy setup. So, I don't have to like hold my right hand up and look at the screen while I read. But a couple of sections, I thought that would highlight sort of like what Peter McCullough was saying and then might see about playing, a, going to half of one of the clips of the, one of the intermission pieces. Anyways, um, the start here is on page 35, just talking about hydroxychloroquine and then talking about we're going to lead into the Moderna stake. There's only a couple, two paragraphs I'm going to read here, two or the two, uh, two and a half. So. Dr. Fauci's hypocrisy about hydroxychloroquine is evident to anyone who looks at his vacillating pronouncements throughout his career. He has persistently insisted on double-blind, randomized, placebo trials for medicines he dislikes, those that, those that compete with his patented remedies, and airily fixed on the NIAID study of remdesivir by changing the endpoints midstream to favor the drug. Dr. Fauci did not sponsor or encourage randomized trials for masks, lockdowns, or social distancing, And in the decades since he took over NIAID, he has never demanded randomized studies to confirm safety of the combined 69 vaccine doses currently on the childhood schedule. Every one of these vaccines is regarded as so unavoidably unsafe in the words of the 1986 Vaccine Act and the Supreme Court that their manufacturers have demanded and received immunity from liability. Let's go down here. The COVID vaccines that qualified for emergency use authorization include excuse me, include novel platforms like mRNA and DNA with known safety profile, with no known safety profile. Others use toxic adjuvants like squalene aluminum or novel adjuvants with proven risks and potentially high rates of serious injuries. The two-month randomized clinical trials that justified the EUAs for COVID vaccines 
were far too brief to detect injuries with longer incubation periods. The vaccines are so risky that the insurance industry has refused to underwrite them. Excuse me there. Underwrite them, and the manufacturers refuse to approve them without blatant immunity from liability, blanket immunity from liability. Bill Gates, who is the principal investor in many of these COVID vaccines, simply that the risk is so great that he would not provide them to people unless the, every government shielded him from lawsuits. Now, this is where it gets interesting. In fact, Dr. Fauci has always had a stable, always had a stable of forces in the game. One of them is Remdesivir. Even after the WHO's randomized placebo trial showed remdesivir ineffective against COVID. And that's, uh, see, Mark 159. We can go to that later and look up uh, the reference towards that. Furthermore, remdesivir has a catastrophic safety profile. Let's see. Yeah, 158 and 159 are the reference markers there. His second nag is the Moderna vaccine, in which he invested years and six billion taxpayer dollars. He was thrilled to sponsor a human trial of a Moderna COVID vaccine, partly owned by his agency, before there were even any safety and efficacy data from animal studies, which goes against FDA regulations. He then pushed for hundreds of millions of people to get EUA vaccines before the randomized placebo-controlled trials were complete. So much for Dr. Fauci's requirement for having high-quality evidence before risking use of drugs and vaccines and humans. So the context for this, and as I put my camera back, excuse me there, is uh, the section on him demonizing hydroxychloroquine. And so this is just showing that the sort of duplicitous and sort of the hypocrisy associated with him stating, oh, we need double-blind placebo-controlled studies, which Peter McCall at one point said it takes 17 years to get to that. And there is actually, if we continue to follow, and I won't read this, but I'll just mention it, the Cures Act recognizes that doctors and scientists can obtain very useful information when treating patients and observing the results outside of a formal trial setting during pandemic situations. And real quick, last point, Dr. Fauci's hypocrisy is particularly acute since the 21st Century Cures Act, which Congress passed in 2016, directs the FDA to accept precisely the type of real-world evidence reporting, reported by treating physicians like Dr. Zelenko, uh, Didier Raoul, Rich. Pierre Corey, Dr. Peter McCullough, Gold, and Chinese doctors in lieu of controlled clinical trials for licensing new products. In other words, using them off-label. And so he systematically went about, so there's just to start out, they show systematically how he, you know, destroyed uh, hydroxychloroquine, then obviously ivermectin, and then it goes into the history of AIDS and all the vaccines and everything. It gets really harrowing from there. But I thought I'd share a little section because Dr. Peter McCullough sort of mentioned about randomized control trials and the and the fact that therapeutics were shut down. I'll have to fix that in a second here. But that's how Fauci's building up his body count. Right. Pure and simple. Yeah. What do you call people that kill people for money? Gangsters, bro. I mean, you know what they, <clears> they, they call them? Remdesivir in the hospitals, apparently. Uh, Run death killer? is near. Run death, oh, is, run near. death, run is, death near. is near. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's good. It's tragic because if you still go into the hospital today, I had um, a close friend of mine state uh, a very tragic story about, you know, her aunt made it to the hospital and uh, they want the NIH protocol is basically intubation and remdesivir still. They, did, they do use monoclonal antibodies, but they also give remdesivir. So it's like, even if the monoclonal antibodies work, <laughs> you're going to have renal failure, you're going to have liver failure. You know, it's just, it shuts down, you know, the kidneys and the, the liver 
Um, and I think has toxic effects, obviously on the pancreas as well. So it's just incredibly toxic. The who's own study showcase him what I referenced in that book. And again, it's referenced 158 and 159 in the, in the, first section of the book. He splits the section up into three different or four different sections and then has references at the end of the section. There's, there's a lot of references. A lot of, I should look those up, which I'll do later on, but it's, it's devastating. The amount of evidence we can draw upon to implicate and indict him and mass murder, but he's a sociopath. So he gets away with these things. They seem to promote. Them. Sorry. We can't investigate that right now. We got Russia gate. We got to look into. Yeah. Right. We're going to impeach gate. Trump again. We're going to indict him. Sorry, what's we the sorry, we can't look into that right now. We're too busy going after parents who are questioning uh, what we're doing to their kids in schools. Right. So facts of life. Yeah, the culture doesn't seem so uh, important right now compared to the other shit that's going on when there's literal mass genocide going on. But anyways. <clears throat> it's not even figurative. It's literal. All right. So were there any other clips you wanted to hit under, under that topic? Cause there's like 10 stories about. So, yeah, I just included, clip. yeah, I just included, um, Brett Weinstein's interview with him that gets into some more of the nuance with the science. Um, for those that are interested, we don't necessarily have to cover them. If we were to cover any that I would like to get on the show card at some point is that in case we decide to go with a different clip from, we have like three different potential intermission pieces. There's a clip from a, uh, UK, a uh, mathematician and a professor that breaks down how they're manipulating the numbers to try to treat as though it's the unvaccinated that are dying. And he shows very conspicuously, it's quite the opposite. And he published this and it's fascinating. Uh, Del Bigtree did an interview with him. It's so little... by them lying, they're getting more people dying. Yeah. And that's sort of what Peter McCullough alludes to. So it might be a good follow-up clip to show. If that wasn't uh, their intention, wouldn't they stop lying to stop the dying? But when they increase the lying and they double down, I mean, I'm just asking a question. Am I? You're noticing patterns. That's, <clears throat> that's I'm not a, supposed to do that. The reasonable inference, Richard. That's a reasonable. That's a valid inference. Unfortunately, this pandemic started with PCR tests. And now it's up to IQ tests. <laughs> yeah. Every time I watch, I think I have a question people, about my IQ drops. Yeah. Got a couple oh, questions shit. I'd like to ask before we all just get on the train here. Uh, don't worry. They're going to put a VR set on you soon so you don't have to ask questions anymore and then they'll use nano robot it'll be in the the 17th booster shot you get that upgrade they're going to start making your immune system like iphones (laughs) coming this christmas the new suicide nets around that it'll allow you to sms with blinks (laughs) (laughs) oh god our bio nano processor runs in each one of your cells powered by you sponsored by pfizer yeah i wonder if pfizer sponsors the matrix you know the place where they use the humans as batteries part of the matrix you know like that's uh it's interesting yeah that's a good question you have a lot of good questions rich they got that new matrix movie i'll have to see it maybe it's answered in there yeah i'm sure (laughs) wait modern hollywood's going absolutely what's it called matrix resurrections something like that yeah god god help us all all right so we're headed strong into the vaccine adverse reactions and injury section that's what it looks like we got a report by john bound that works yeah yeah let's roll that first and then we'll go to Sager and Kristen, kirsten crystal ball <laughs> magical crystal ball go ahead nice. 
the InfoWars hearing test. About one stillbirth every two months is the usual rate. So to suddenly get to 86 stillbirths in six months, that's highly unusual. But the confirmation, the most important confirmation that we have from the Waterloo, Ontario report was that all of the 86 stillbirths were fully vaccinated. Health Minister question about reported explosion in fully vaccinated mothers experiencing stillbirths. But here's the kicker. Mothers of stillbirth babies were fully vaccinated. And you've clearly said on numerous occasions that the vaccines are safe. So, Question. Minister, what do you say to the doctors who told expecting women it was Order. okay to get fully vaccinated, and what should they tell the mothers who deliver a stillborn baby? We are recommending that women who are pregnant do receive the vaccine for the protection of themselves, protection of their baby as well. It has been accepted by the uh, uh, Health Canada, by the World Health Organization, by the FDA. Women who are pregnant it is entirely safe and recommended for them to receive the vaccine. Until about 10 years ago, every major government in the world said a pregnant woman should never take a vaccine because it can cause an autoimmune response and make the woman reject the baby. A number of hospitals around the country are denying organ transplants to people who are not vaccinated against COVID-19 or bumping them down on waiting lists. This raises some ethical questions over the decisions. In one highly publicized case, a Colorado health system denied a woman a kidney transplant. The patient refuses to get a COVID shot. So there's this uh, policy put in place for something that could happen versus not getting a transplant, which could 100% lead to the end of my life. Traveling nurses triple salaries as hospitals struggle with national staffing crisis. The hospitals are struggling. They're having to call in the National Guard because they fired the uninjected. But it is true what CNN says, because I've looked at the actual numbers and called hospitals. They are full of people dying who are the vaccinated. And that's confirmed from Israel to the UK to the United States to Canada to Australia. We've got one more state to get through that gate. Um, as it's, it's a bit like you know getting the sheep through the gate um, into the run. I would recommend that instead of Christmas shopping, everyone shops for a COVID booster online or reaches out and for, um, to their food partner to make them an appointment um, to go online for a COVID shot. And that is the best, exciting gift that can be given. It's mind-blowing to see them on the news saying, if you've had the shot, you're protected. That's why people that don't have the shot are going to infect you. For unvaccinated, we are looking at a winter of severe illness and death for unvaccinated. For themselves, their families, and the hospital, they'll soon overwhelm. But there's good news. If you're vaccinated, you have your booster shot, you're protected from severe illness and death. Omicron is here. It's going to start to spread much more rapidly at the beginning of the year. And the only real protection oh, he's got a, is to he get your future. shots. If you get one shot, if you haven't gotten it yet, that'll help. If you're at the point where you have everything, including your booster, you're in really good shape. Why is President Biden telling people still that the vaccinated cannot spread COVID? Can you, can you say more? Yeah, in a local interview on Tuesday, he said, how about making sure you're vaccinated so you do not spread the disease to anybody else? The CDC says people who get vaccine breakthrough infections can be contagious. Well, I'll, I'll say this. I, I 
I didn't hear this interview, so I would have to see it in its full context. What I know and what the president believes is that we have to listen to the science. Uh, we have to listen to our public health officials, and that's what the president believes. Immunity means is your body knows how to right beat now? it. It doesn't matter if somebody's got it next to you. That's 100%. That's facts. That's science. That's reality. But at the end of the day, folks, the entire thrust of the takeover is this medical tyranny with a medical ID for the medical social credit score, the carbon tax. And they get that in place. And it's it's going in place all over the world right now. We are now inside the mark of the beast. So if you ever wondered, how is the devil, how is this world government he runs going to get everybody to do this? And now you know. What's the big deal? <laughs> we'll wow. Play LD. wow omicron is here and it's gonna be like he had the distribution schedule he's like january 19 it's gonna be everywhere or january 2022 it seems like just yesterday when they started this thing well you know the omicron i know right the omicron scaremongering one that was thanksgiving so we're all meeting and we're all having family gathering and all of a sudden there's oh no everyone's sick with omicron Nope, you had then, you know, super spreader events for Thanksgiving. Nope, cancel Christmas, lockdowns, boosters. I can't, I can't wait till Dr. Seuss updates the Grinch who stole Christmas. See, is he working on something? Oh, he's canceled. Himself. That's right. He's, he got canceled yeah. too. Oh, Grinch got canceled. Yeah, you're right. Oh, geez. Uh, Twitter blasted for anti science censorship on vaccines. How could they say it's when they said that, you know, we, you know, when, when the new press secretary, She's straight from like 1984 and she's like, she really I see the whole thing in context and we have to, we're going to listen to the science. I would have been like, is the science in the room right now? Can you see the science? Can you point it out to me? Like, where the is this, the science that you're talking about? Cause he cited, he's like, CDC says, what's up? And then she's like, we're going to listen to the science. So when it's convenient, the science is something other than WHO, CDC, FDA. But when it fits their narrative, they're like, they use those three-letter agencies to, you know, uphold <clears throat> the ethos of their scientific perspective. So yeah, they make it a thing. It's like a box to them, like some sort of tangible object. We call it the fallacy of misplaced concreteness, but they take a methodology and make it like this magical golden panacea that just exists. They hand it to you and you just magically have the science now. It's like a Wonka ticket. It is. Yeah, it's like a Wonka ticket. Yeah. Yes. It's just the only yeah. difference is instead of being a chocolate bar, it's in a vaccine. <laughs> you like that? Sometimes they'll give you a sweet if you take that jab, Tony. You got to go to the right places, know the right people. To give hey, you don't, don't Den where is it? In um, Denmark or wherever? Uh, they, the red light district, they were handing out free sex if you got uh, like a 30-minute sex session if you uh, got the jabby jab. So, yeah, you know, that's one way. They literally had the... Uh, the clinic right next to the fucking district. Oh, you I know what they the say? Different strokes for different folks. <laughs> See, that was a masturbation pun and a fact that they could have a stroke from the vaccine pun. All, one, all in one. Let's go to this next clip. Crystal and Sauger. Sauger. Sauger is his name. Not Cigar. I have to keep remembering, but I said it right the first time. So Sauger. And uh, let's see what Breaking Points uh, has to say on these topics. What's going on with the Breaking Points crew since they left the Hill? Okay, let's move on to Twitter. You know, we've been talking a lot about the content moderation policies over at Twitter and why they matter. And I'll put that at the very top, which is that Twitter is where 
the elites have discussions. That matters a lot because those discussions filter down through different cable news mediums, radio and elsewhere to you. So even though you may not be on Twitter, you are very influenced by Twitter. Politicians are always there. The doctors even are always there. The public health people, everybody's debating and talking. It's a medium of discussion. So when that medium has policies which hurt journalism, it has a disproportionate impact on the entire field. When that medium has a disproportionate impact in its censorship policy, it will affect what you see and what you don't in many other cases. So let's put that at the top. And that's why this new censorship policy matters a lot. Let's put it up there on the screen, please. Twitter is going to penalize users who claim that vaccinated people can spread COVID-19. So I'm going to read directly from the new section on their website. Quote, when tweets include misleading information about COVID-19, we may place a label on those tweets that includes corrective information about that claim. We may apply labels to tweets that contain, for example, false, false or misleading claims that people who have received the vaccine can spread or shed the virus to unvaccinated people. Users can receive penalties up to and including a permanent ban. So that change was made on December 2nd, 2021. This matters a lot because it actually directly contradicts the CDC's previous announcement and guidance prior to the month or to the day of December 2nd. That's our second thing. Put that up there on the screen, please, where you can see here directly. CDC Director Rochelle Walensky. Now, this statement, July 30th, 2021, quote, high viral loads suggest an increased risk of transmission and raise concern that unlike with other variants, vaccinated people infected with Delta can transmit the virus. Now, I'm not saying that vaccinated people are the only people who can transmit the virus. I'm not making claims like that whatsoever. But we also, Crystal, have some new data out this morning that because of the way that populations are dramatically more vaccinated than not, mm -hmm. that we do see quite a bit of Omicron spread amongst yeah. the vaccinated. I'm doing my monologue today. One of the things I'm mentioning is at Cornell University, a place where they have an a hard vaccine mandate for all employees and students, has seen some 600 cases of Omicron breakout. That is actually nothing that much to worry about. If you're vaccinated, your chance of hospitalization and death is dramatically reduced. Um, yes, you will get a cold, essentially, or a mild case of the flu. That's basically what happened to me after I got COVID and I was vaccinated. But the irresponsibility of this moderation policy is that it is directly contradictory, not only you know of general scientific like consensus, but even from the most you know out there people at the CDC. Yeah, and they see no problem with that. It's outrageous. The whole case for people getting boosters right now is because because um, now, you know, there's a big concerted effort right. from the federal government for people, not just the elderly, but all adults to go out and get their third shot is because not that if you're vaccinated, you should be worried about severe hospitalization and death, but because you want to have a booster so you can further limit the spread. That indicates that if you are vaccinated, yeah. you can still spread, spread COVID. Right. Now, listen, what a lot of anti-vaxxers do is they will conflate the fact that you can spread COVID if you're vaccinated with the idea that you are just as likely to spread COVID if you're vaccinated as not. 
that claim is false. And if that claim, you know, that could be fact-checked or whatever. But to go directly against the science here, what the CDC says, which is that especially with Omicron, I just read a New York Times article this morning about how it is likely there will be more breakthrough infections with Omicron among the vaccinated, and that that will, if you have vulnerable people around you, that that's something you should be concerned about right. because you can, in fact, spread it. Again, if you're vaccinated, and especially if you have your booster, you are less likely to spread COVID, but yeah, you can still spread it. Mm -hmm. And so what their their official policy is directly anti-science. I mean, there's just no other way to possibly read it. And the reason that this is also important is because something that we've been pointing to and many others as well is that, you know, the people at Twitter, they're not scientists. They're not public health officials. Yes. The people at Facebook, the people at, on YouTube, you know, they're not public health officials or scientists or experts. And you're putting this tremendous power into their hands to deem what's true and what's false on coronavirus and, you know, every other medical issue when, you know, sometimes the science is unclear. It's complicated. There's oftentimes debates among scientists about what the right course is and what we're seeing in the data. And there are different studies that can be contradictory. So the idea that they're going to be able to sort that out effectively Obviously, this type of guidance very clearly demonstrates that they are not in a good position to be able to be effective, uh, effective moderators of what the truth is in science. No, absolutely. And even, you know, trying to figure out what that less likely figure is on vaccination is pretty hard. I was just trying to find, I know there's a, a Lancet study which looked into this. There's not really a hard number in terms of what that is. It also changes depending on alpha variant, delta variant, and Omicron variant around the exact, uh, you know, how likely you are to spread it, even if you are vaccinated. And once again, I mean, look, the core case to me is hospitalization and death, especially in the elderly and in the obese. If you have any sort of com comorbidity or if you're elderly, then a case of COVID can be a real problem for you. I mean, at, at very yes. least, it can severely hurt your uh, your immune system. And I can tell you a personal experience. My 90-year-old grandmother got COVID and was in the hospital in India. She survived thanks to uh, the vaccine, or at least what I suspect to be the vaccine. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, it's pretty amazing. I mean, if you're in your 90s, previously, that was a, probably a death sentence. Um, but that doesn't mean that you know she hasn't had some reduced... Um, impact on her immune system. So I just think that it's important for people uh, to keep that in mind and especially to look at that, especially when we're talking booster policy. But beyond that, the point is, is that it's a rapidly changing situation. Putting in moderation standards like this and exposing people to permanent bans for claims which are outright true just goes to show that these people are not interested in science. They are not interested even necessarily in robust debate. They are willing to err on the side of what they think is the morally just position. And maybe you can think that, but it does not matter. What matters is that we actually have the ability to talk honestly. Uh, something that we'll be covering in a future show, but which I just literally saw this morning, Crystal, is that the White House has been holding, quote, information sessions with Twitter influencers who are doctors. So they are literally, the Surgeon General of the United States is trying to get influential doctors on Twitter to kind of parrot the party line of the White House. And I'm looking at this, I'm like, this is crazy. I mean, 
We have the White House, which has been wrong in many cases around science. Joe Biden, our president of the United States, who's a boosted man, still requires masks indoors in his building. Look, maybe. OK, I mean, that, maybe that's he's fine. He's pretty old. He's old as hell. But, you know, <laughs> that's not necessarily a very uh, that's not a very inspiring thing if, to watch and say, like, hey, how come the White House has a mask mandate when the District of Columbia, the city that we live in, doesn't even have one? Uh they don't have an answer to that question. They're just paranoid. So they go far beyond what the science calls for all the time. That's their right. They can do what they wish. But the problem is, is that then they're the people setting national policy. They're also the ones who are influencing this type of discussion, discussion our discourse, all of that. And that is what really, you know, sets me aflame. When I mean, I look isn't that sort of standard, like, operating procedure for White Houses, though? They are, I mean, Obama did it. Trump did this sort of stuff, too, yes. bringing in conservative influencers and um, I, w- I would posit that conservative influencers have far less influence than the Twitter doctors. Oh, oh I no. totally disagree. I don't with that. know. I, don't I know totally Crystal. disagree with that. I mean, there is a very effective right wing pipeline that does not exist. Certainly true. Um, certainly on the left, liberals obviously have a lot of cultural power and institutions. On socio cultural is issues, I would say yes. On uh, on COVID and how it's going to impact like blue policy. I mean, look, I can tell you that I know for a fact that these, you know, the D.C. mayor and the local COVID officials in Santa Barbara or wherever, California, they are heavily impacted by what these blue checks on Twitter are saying. And some of these people are freaking crazy. I mean, we're talking about, I see folks out there who are like mask forever. Yeah, I just think because it's so like tribal that you have, yeah, you have one group that's very influenced by that and you have another group that's very influenced by, you know, Ben Shapiro or whoever is Absolutely. I'm speaking only in a public health context, not in, yeah, it is standard operating procedure, absolutely. I just think these people have a very outsized impact on how it could come and affect all of our lives, which is bothersome. Um, And it seems to see that how much influence they have and direction from the top can also be an issue. But I mean, the major point to me is, it's very clear that this policy is far beyond what science is. Who knows how this this segment will do? I have no idea. I'm very curious to see how YouTube treats it. Mm, Indeed, indeed. Hey guys, thanks so much for watching. That's right. All right, so he, I think one of the more valuable insights offered there was his assumption that the vaccine helped his grandma. Maybe just talk to your grandma, dude, instead of like throwing that assumption out there. That's the think, question. What I think that's, did she get? Yeah, I think that's just blind support of the vaccine shining through so much that he's willing to assert something with his grandma that didn't maybe even happen in reality. Crystal, man. Oh, I know. Uh, Problems all over the place. I have a whole note card for All right, this. yeah. Oh, you, you read a New York Times article. Okay, did you check the sources and did you read anything else other than that to make that opinion about that? Because that's not reflective of the reality. So Yeah, there's a reasonable hypothesis that um, those who are vaccinated and boosted are shedding virus much more effectively and in much greater quantities. According to McCullough, it was like 250 times the viral load. Correct, correct. Is that or is that not substantial, Tony? So then if you're saying, oh, you should get vaccinated to be around these older individuals, you're actually possibly, and then helping to push variants, right? What we call right. a selective pressure for mutant escape. Mm-hmm. And so these mutations then maybe leak out. And then all of a sudden you get everyone infected, including those old people you thought you're vaccinated against because it doesn't stop transmission nor infection. Now, and there's no good data to show that it does one way or the other. Um, in fact, people who get infected who aren't vaccinated are more likely to show symptoms at least early on for at least, uh, for those who are vaccinated, like within a certain time frame, like first 10 weeks or so after that, they're just as likely to show symptoms because it fails so badly. But 
you know, but, and if you show symptoms, you self quarantine, like any rational human would do at that point, you go home, some chicken soup, take your ivermectin, you know, take your drugs, do a monoclonal, whatever you need to do in order to get better. You know, I saw someone in the chat say that he was given oxygen and he just sort of woke up to this and was talking about some of his, the procedure he went through. And, uh, thanks for sharing that, um, in the chat. I appreciate that. But he went on to mention he was given oxygen steroids and he found a doctor in the hospital system was willing to give ivermectin. And he attributes nice. that to getting, uh, better, um, because yeah. he got pretty, got nailed by it, unfortunately. And, I, and I've known a lot of individuals anecdotally only, but in my personal life that have gotten nailed by this, including some younger people. So it's, you know, it's a real thing. You want to, you don't want to, you do want to take this serious if you get it, but at the same time, it's not a death sentence. And if you have effective early treatments, uh, available and ready to go, even just a uh, high dose vitamin protocols, you're in a much better position than most of the rest of the country who thinks the right thing to do is to go to the hospital, get on remdesivir, uh, oxygen, ultimately intubation, and then slowly waste away while you're isolated. Your family members can't see you and they have no say in the protocol. And they rang all. up an unconscionable bill during that unsuccessful service. Yeah. So that's another thing. This man said he spent five days in the hospital, $36,000 bill. Think about that. $36,000 for five days in the hospital. And to go back to Sager saying that his 90 year old grandma, he, he's inferring um, that it's, you know, possibly that the vaccine, you know, Peter McCullough mentioned that he was treating a 90 year old with therapeutics. So is it the vaccine? Is it the, you know, and without having any more information, it's hard to make that. I'm just all about budget. freedom of choice and not making mm -hmm. people do things that they don't think they should do for a variety Correct. of reasons. Correct. That's called freedom. America used to stand for that. Now it kneels down for that. Well said. Yeah. That's agreed. Puts its head in the sand. It's ass up in the air for that. What, uh, what's his name? Mark Pass would say, uh, the dogs keep the dead in line. Uh, so that's what the elite use. I so they got to warn, the they got to warn this, the, okay, I read it. School district in New York sent out email warning parents of sudden cardiac arrest in students grades K to 12. That means through the ages of five through 12, 13 years old. Eastport South Mainer School District in Suffolk County, New York, sent out an email to all parents informing them about the new physician in their district. New hiring was part of the new regulations regarding sudden cardiac arrest of students grades K through 12. The Gateway Pundit obtained a copy of the email where the ESM stated that there's a new regulation where all districts are now required to ensure that nurses and coaches can address the treatment and monitoring of students who exhibit signs and symptoms of sudden cardiac arrest. Rich, I have to ask so, you a question. So Here. schools are buying defibrillators, savvy investors. There's your tip. And um, <clears throat> let me ask the question, why, did, why didn't this exist four years ago? Why all of a sudden do they have to do this? What has changed in our environment? Being that COVID was no threat to children whatsoever, what has happened that might cause this kind of uh, effect? I'll take it one step further. Rich, have you ever, I'm going to ask, I'm going to throw a question back at you and not answer your question. And I'm going to say, Socratic of you. Yeah. All right. How I see your question. I raise you another question. Okay. That's what I'll do. When's the last time you ever heard of a child experiencing sudden cardiac arrest? That silence is never deafening. There you go. There you go. Yep. So here, just for this is the email. While we just read one section, we'll let this go. One such effort has to do with new regulations regarding regarding sudden cardiac arrest. 
Here it is in the second paragraph. All districts are now required to ensure that nurses and coaches can address the treatment and monitoring of students who exhibit signs and symptoms of sudden cardiac arrest. In addition, districts are required to make sure that all staff are aware of the warning signs of cardiac arrest and what to do if a person experiences sudden cardiac arrest. Please see the attached information on sudden cardiac arrest. And so they attach some sort of document associated with it. Uh, there's, I guess, um, it's the email, maybe in a text form or something like that. Did you hear yeah. about the cop who pulled over the car with a heart on it? I've not. He was making a cardiac arrest. <laughs> I didn't know it was coming. Should have oh, seen God. it. Yeah. All right. So uh, that's sad. And there's more. Sad news where that comes from. Mom double jabbed in third trimester gives birth to baby who died after suffering heart failure and yep. blood clots. Do we have that? Yeah, I'll bring uh, that from up the here. InfoWars Clearinghouse. This is um, just for people who are sensitive. This is pretty intense, um, and I'll read it. But you know, just be prepared. Mom double jabbed in third trimester gives birth to baby who died after suffering suffering heart failure and blood clots. Here's the graphic details. Moderna's COVID-19 vaccine is being blamed after a pregnant woman who'd received two doses gave birth to a baby that died after bleeding from its nose and mouth. According to a horrific entry in the VAERS database, there's the ID number. Yep. The incident labeled a neonatal death occurred one day after the male baby was born on October 7th and happened after the mother received both doses of Moderna's mRNA vaccine during the third trimester, the neonate was exposed to mRNA-1273. It's the COVID-19 Moderna vaccine during pregnancy, the report states. won't read the whole report, but the patient was exposed to the first and second dose of mRNA-1273 Moderna vaccine during the third trimester of gestation on July 19th and August 13th, 2021. After the baby was delivered on October 6th, nurses immediately intubated him and gave him oxygen, and they noticed he was bleeding from the, the mouth and nose and, which transferred, and transferred him to the NICU, which is the uh, neonatal intensive care unit. In the NICU, his result of examination showed abnormal blood coagulation, pulmonary hemorrhage, and cardiac dysfunction. The report describes adding blood transfusion was given and he got injection of epinephrine. Unfortunately... Epinephrine, that's usually how it's pronounced. Epinephrine, yeah. Unfortunately, the life-saving measures were not enough. And pulmonary hemorrhage, cardiac dysfunction, and coagulopathy were diagnosed and had a fatal outcome on the following day. Now, Tony, when the when the hospital serves that bill up to the parent or parents in the situation, do you think that's like we don't charge you for all those things we try to do to save your baby? Or do you think they get rung up at the till for those unsuccessful actions and treatments? Not only do they get rung up, does insurance even cover it? They're saving lives out there. It's safe and effective. That's the definition you just heard. It's more safe evidence. And effective. It's the science, Rich. But Tony, that's just one isolated case that, you know, InfoWars is, you know, cherry picking. You know, I wish I could say that, but the VAERS database is now what, around 20,000 deaths and slowed down quite a bit because I think people are brought are afraid to... Uh, think doctors are afraid to enter in the VAERS database? It's not That's, the Soviet Union. It's not Stasi Germany. Is it? Uh, Has anyone checked the nameplate on this place yet? 
<laughs> lately. I do hear about this uh, post-pandemic stress disorder may cause harder major heart problems. Well, well, that doesn't happen until problem. that doesn't happen until after the pandemic, Tony. That's going to be years twenty twenty-five up there. That's the post-pandemic stress disorder. Well, they say it already exists, but it only happens after the vaccine. Wink, wink. Oh, uh, post-vaccine stress disorder. But they happen, and they know. call it post-pandemic. Very clever. Very well played. Yeah. Very, very clever. Brett and Heather talking yeah. about it. Yeah. All right. Anyway, so how deep do these people want to take us with these stories? What's the next one? Cardiac arrest in kids. We got that one. Uh, Refugees. Uh, Vaccines can make you sick. Fauci talk about that. Let's see. Mm -hmm. Brett and Heather. New diagnosis. Yeah, let's do that one. The Odyssey clip. Yep. And then we'll get into the next section of Booster Madness. Booster Madness coming up next. Let's check in with Brett and Heather. Let's see who wears the pants in this conversation. You notice that too. Huh? <laughs> Our friend Alexandros Marinos shared this with us in the Evening Standard. Up to 300,000 people facing heart-related illnesses due to post-pandemic stress disorder warned physicians. Yes. Post-pandemic stress disorder. You may not have heard of this yet, but PPSD is a well-known and established medical diagnosis since, oh, probably early 2022 was my guess. you know, which is to say, not yet. This thing doesn't exist. Post-pandemic stress disorder, so named to sound like post-traumatic stress disorder, and it will have more or less the same acronym with just one letter different, um, isn't a thing yet. Um, yeah, that's Boris Johnson. We don't need to look at him. Um, this, so PPSD, post-pandemic stress disorder, this could result in a 4.5% rise in cardiovascular cases nationally because of the effects of PPSD, with those aged between 30 to 45 most at risk, they claim. There are, of course, other reasons to expect a rise in... I think I got it. Oh, really? You yes. got this? Um, one of the symptoms of, is it PPSD? Sure. Is lyocarditis. <laughs> yes. Um, mm-hmm. Oh my God. I mean, this, this, this article is just so insane. Here we go. Uh, you can, you can keep my screen on here, Zach. Uh, a senior vascular surgeon said, I've seen a big increase in thrombotic related vascular conditions in my practice. Far younger patients are being admitted and requiring surgical and medical intervention than prior to the pandemic. I believe many of these cases are a direct result of the increased stress and anxiety levels caused from the effects of PPSD. We also have evidence that some patients have died at home from conditions such as pulmonary embolism and myocardial infarction. I believe this is related to many people self-isolating at home with no contact with the outside world and dying without getting the help they needed. I mean, maybe just like leave that there. It's so freaking obvious, but. Epicycles are back, baby. It's really extraordinary that a piece like this with a newly made up medical condition that my guess is, I don't know when the next, I don't even know what the equivalent of the DSM is for physical conditions, actually, or maybe it would go in the DSM, right? Um, And I don't know, this is the UK, does the UK use the DSM? I don't even know. But the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, I guess is what the DSM stands for, has updates every, 
I don't know, five to 10 years, something like this. And uh, PTSD made it into the manual at some point. And um, if it's due for an update soon, I'll bet they forced this one in there. Yeah. And they then list as one of the uh, symptoms of it, all of these heart conditions, thus putting... I don't know, the cart before the horse, the symptoms of something else entirely as diagnostic of this made up thing um, that they can then say, oh, look at all these people who have suffered. Look at all of the indirect effects of the coronavirus. Well, this is an indirect effect of the coronavirus, but it's an indirect effect almost certainly of the coronavirus in that it is almost certainly a large number of these things are an effect of the only treatment we are allowed to talk about for the coronavirus. Yeah, it. it, you can see if you're standing anywhere other than where they expect you to stand, you can see that the point is the conclusion walked through the door. And no matter what the evidence is that emerges, the point yeah. is it's going to be shoehorned into pointing at that conclusion. Even if they've got to make up disorders, they're going to normalize stuff. You know, kids have strokes too. Really? No, really not. No, um, they don't actually. Sorry. No. Um, hey, did I mean, you I'm see not this? saying never, but for God's sake. On the side of a bus? Um, yeah, this wasn't on the side of the bus, but this was in the Sunday New York Times. Uh, so last last week, the kids section, you know, there's a, there's a special kids section in the Sunday New York Times. It's only available in print, not available in the electronic version. So here we have extra, extra, the New York Times, read all about it. Editors note the section should not be read by grownups. The vaccine is ready for you. It's the biggest news of all. That is what the New York Times wants to feed the children at the moment. This section, just for the children of the people who are still daft enough to get the hard copy of this paper into their homes on Sundays, um, is what they want the children to be reading. It, it, it's amazing. And I have to say, for anybody who is still uh, towing the party line on this, you need to check in with your understanding of why these vaccines are being recommended for children, healthy children, healthy children, right? This is the strongest indicator that you could get that this isn't about health. This isn't about um, protecting children from something. It is about something that has not been described to us. Yep. And the idea that they will go directly to children through the New York Times, mm -hmm. especially in a section that nominally, nominally is not for adults to read. This section should not be read by grownups, well, it says. Right. Yes, uh, it's um, finally, 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 kids between five and 11 can get the COVID vaccine. Wow. It's what you've all been waiting for. Yeah. Um, this does actually raise a point that I just want to say in passing. I keep forgetting. We have a lighter. Can I just burn this? <laughs> um, I'm increasingly... Uh, I watch my blood pressure go up every time I hear somebody use any version of the term jab. <laughs> I have the feeling that this was somebody's very clever branding and that the idea is it's kind of fun to say jab. I, th I think it actually has a longer history, maybe in the UK. Maybe. Yeah. Nonetheless, I would say it a emphasizes the thing that of course naturally people focus on for any vaccination or shot shots, is right? the yeah. needle thing right yeah. um and so the point is oh you you can take it it's just mm -hmm. a jab it's not so bad it'll be over quick right mm -hmm. and the point is no this has nothing to do with that this has to do with the immunological consequences and other consequences of the stuff in that 
syringe. And so, right. But, but you can specifically get into kids' heads this way. Like, oh, honey, I know you're scared of needles, but it's going to be fine. Right. We'll get you a lollipop afterwards. I would just ask that people who are anywhere near wanting to do an honest first principles investigation of what the costs and benefits and risks that are associated with this, anybody who is in that group, proper skeptics need be staying in your lane mm-hmm. is saying jab, right? Getting out of your lane involves using any one of a number of perfectly responsible synonyms that are available to you, right? You could call it a shot. You can call it an inoculation. You How about talk- calling it getting stuck? <laughs> I, I would like to stay out of that. I mean, I agree, but I would like to stay out of that territory and just say that the point is whose bidding are you doing when you say jab, right? You're making it cute, right? Mm-hmm. If there's one thing this is, even if you think this stuff is great and all of those of us who have our doubts are out to lunch, the point is it's still serious business one way or the other. Yeah. So uh, jab, it's, uh, it's the wrong term. You know, he's right. He's right. He's right in many ways. First off, don't focus on the jab because it's mRNA, everybody. They can make it aerosolized. Go to PubMed, type in inhalable mRNA and do your research. I'm sure they know that. Uh, The other part was, um, you know, just give the kids the jab. It's going to be painful, but they'll give you a lollipop afterwards. And I thought that's a great strategy. Bill Cosby used to give him a lollipop afterwards. Epstein and Epstein and uh, Weinstein, all these guys give him lollipops afterwards. It's all fine. Whether it's big prick or small prick, it's all fine. Society's changed a lot since I was a kid, man. You know, these this this whole thing. Uh, yeah. It's getting out. It's all gone. Jabberwocky. Um, it's it's crazy you know if he doesn't like the jab he did the boop that's boop. the point yeah it's it's all just jabby now it's all, all right let's get into it's boost. all forms of rape it's what it is let's call Booster it madness it that's the next section let's check it out here uh <clears throat> the new normal kim iverson let's check it out we were just talking about the new normal it was an unintentional segue but we'll take it let's check it kim what's on your radar Well, Robbie, this one actually kind of piggybacks on what you were talking about in your radar earlier today. So I think that we are uh, both very incensed about the continued mandate. So I do want to go over this article by CNBC that came out yesterday titled, The Pandemic Could End in 2022. Here's what normal life might look like soon, according to medical experts. And normal is in quotes. So get ready for what this is about to tell us. The article says, experts say that COVID will likely lose its pandemic pandemic status sometime in 2022 due largely to rising global vaccination rates and developments of antiviral COVID pills that could become more widespread next year, and that the virus will likely become endemic, eventually fading in severity and folding into the backdrop of regular everyday life. Now, I also want to point out that it could also become endemic because more and more people have been infected in the world. And also Omicron is so far showing to cause mild COVID in both vaccinated and unvaccinated people. So it really could could just become like the annual flu. And this article points that out. The article says COVID will probably become
become much like the flu, which is still dangerous for some people. The flu does kill anywhere from 30,000 to 75,000 people annually in the United States, most of whom are elderly, pregnant women, and even some children. Now, this is extremely tragic, but most of us don't worry about getting the flu. We don't wanna get it, we're certainly not seeking it, but when we do get it, we're not worried we're gonna end up hospitalized or dead, even though some people do die from influenza. Okay, so once it becomes like the flu, what's life going to be like? Well, CNBC reports that if the virus does become more seasonal, then here you go, Robbie, wearing a mask on public transit and indoors during COVID season could become the norm, potentially even in offices. Now, many of us wonder if this new norm includes kids. Will children be asked to wear masks every single winter season when COVID is circulating? The 2020 to 21 uh, flu season saw incredibly low rates of influenza, and many people speculate it's because kids weren't in school. They're the big spreaders of influenza. So there's a reason to believe that kids staying socially distanced and probably wearing a mask would in fact at least lower the annual influenza rate. But of course, this comes at a cost. Masking children and keeping them socially distanced during during playtime certainly seems like it would come with psychological side effects. Thousands of children are hospitalized annually for influenza. Hundreds of them die. The narrative surrounding COVID and the reasons why we've gone through such extreme measures, particularly for kids, is because we don't want them contracting and spreading the virus and potentially killing other people. No one wants to appear selfish and every life is valuable. So I have to be honest, I do see a future where even with COVID becoming endemic, Kids, particularly in blue states, will be asked to mask and socially distance during the winter months. I personally don't agree with this. I think we have to learn to just live with risk because for me, living in fear isn't much living at all. But I can see a future where masking and social distancing, even for kids in school, is the norm. I also see a lot of people moving to red states because of it. A CNBC article also says annual COVID boosters could become the norm, like flu shots but fewer than half of all people actually get flu shots each year. So I think another big question people will have is, will these be mandated similarly to the current two-dose regimen? There's reason to believe this may be the case. NYU and the Meta both announced they will that everyone will need to have received three doses of the vaccine in order to attend or work in their facilities. Will this become an increasing trend? Many of us think at some point all of this has to end. People can only tolerate so much and will naturally relax even if the government doesn't. If places like New York and California want visitors to come spend money in their states at their tourist attractions, entertainment rest and restaurants, they can't continue to have all of these various different restrictions and mandates. Same with international travel. If countries want visitors from around the world, they're going to have to ease up on these vaccine requirements, especially since uh, the, the WHO claims studies coming out of Europe are showing the main spreaders of Omicron are young, fully vaccinated people. A lot of young people get vaccinated because they wanna live their lives free of restrictions with unvaccinated people restricted on where they can and cannot go. It's the fully vaccinated young people who are able to attend the super spreader events that have contributed to the super spreading of the new variant. Either way, what's the new norm gonna look like? Will people just accept that possibly Omicron or a different future variant has mutated to the point where it's not much more than the common cold? Or will people demand triple and quadruple vaccinations paired with masking every single winter? I think for a long time now, a lot of people have thought the restrictions would end. But time and time again, they've not only not ended, but they've continued to ramp up. So I think it's a pretty reasonable question to wonder what the new norm is going to look like when COVID finally becomes endemic. And if it looks like anything, what the CNBC article is describing, the new normal is going to make a lot of new enemies. 
so, you know, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I'm curious, Ryan, from your take, because you're the one with kids, if it became the new normal He's where kids had to mask mic. every single winter, how do you think yeah, parents say, would react to that? Well, I think they would revolt. Uh, and, I, I, and I don't think we'll get that for that reason, because I think some of this is an emperor's new clothes type of situation where uh, you, you, you have support uh, for some of these policies, tenuous right now because we're still, you know, we're seeing a massive surge, we're still in the pandemic, but also because people feel like it, it's socially what, what other people are supporting. But it's, it's not as strong as people think it is. So once it starts to crumble, I think it, I think it could collapse even in even in these blue areas, you're you're having you're seeing a lot of parents, uh, you know, who are really frustrated at at the idea of their mm-hmm. kid having to you know sit out eat outside in the cold with their mask and like take the mask down and eat and put it back, which a lot of kids do um, because they've you know they've had this in, instilled in them. So I I don't think it will see, and part of it depends on how the pandemic unfolds. But I don't I don't think parents blue red or otherwise um would would tolerate masking in schools becoming endemic and, and there, it was one thing i mean i'm against and i've been against all of these restrictions for like except for the initial two weeks to slow the spread i was against them after that but there was at least an argument to make that, okay, we need to really mask up, socially distance, lock down, because, you know, 10 months from now, we're going to have vaccines, we're going to know a lot more about the disease, and, and so we're, that's just the period. So you had an end point in mind, but that keeps getting pushed, and now it's just, like, COVID is never going away, it's going to be with us at least for years, if not forever. And, you know, there will always be some new thing. It might be a new variant or might be a new therapeutic. There might, there's always going to be the situation will be a little bit different months from now. But we can't ask people to put their lives on hold, even the people we need to protect, even elderly people. I mean, are you going to say those of us who have grandparents, you know, they don't, they don't have all the time left in the world. Are you going to say, well, yeah, you can't see your grandkids for the next five years. They might not still be here in five years. They're like, mm-hmm. the, the, the argument for, for like heavily restricting the lives, even of the people who continue to be at risk, starts to fall apart if you're going to say, well, yeah, that's just the rest of your life until you die. I mean, that... A lot, if people who are at risk want to voluntarily do that, okay. But a lot of them are going to say, you know what, I will take whatever some slight small risk there is because I, I would like to enjoy the time I have left on Earth. Yeah. I just live in a very, very blue area. And I, I when I travel around the world, the country, I noticed that, uh, you know, even in D.C. or where I go when I go to Idaho, I've been to Texas during this pandemic and people are living more normal lives, even in D.C., which is more blue. But L.A., people are not back to normal. I mean, people are really wearing their masks while walking by themselves outside here. So it makes me wonder if the most blue areas in the country in these big cities, San Francisco, Los Angeles, New York, if they're ever going to ease restrictions or if this is going to be every winter, you know, we need to save lives at least lives from influenza. And so we're going to keep these things going. 
And, you know, I mean, obviously, it's going to just continue driving people out of these cities. But you are right. D.C. has been terrible and has been relentlessly pro-mask. But the dam has broken here a little bit. And I mean, it's a a very young city. It's a very socializing kind of city. People in D.C., I don't think are even Democrats, even Team Blue people do not seem, you know, willing to do hardcore shutdowns anymore and i <laughs> i hope that i i hope i'm not proven wrong on that uh so- sooner well, or later we'll see what that new normal looks like it's coming <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we'll have more rising after this thank you for that that new normal sounds like guys without bass in their audio why does it sound so nasally and high-pitched over there i don't know yeah, they need some an engineer. Sound a lot engineer. of room echo. A lot of room echo in there. Anyway, pretty terrible. Yeah, we punched up though. They got a budget. They got a budget for that show, so we can punch up. All right. Uh, look, this guy that runs Pfizer. It's a nice guy. Yeah, yeah. He's Let's not see. definitely not the leader of a cartel. Okay, he's a nice guy. He says uh, third vaccine dose might be needed. Actually, there's a couple. I think they're all saying the same thing here. Pfizer third vaccine tests, dose. Vaccine children dose. under yeah. five might be needed. Apparently, two doses aren't strong enough. Strong enough for giant. what, man? They're not at risk. I know. Ten I doses know. isn't going to be strong against, strong enough against people who aren't at risk. You're not going to like. I don't know what what's your metric of improvement here. What what is going on here? Because they keep, kids you know, aren't they- at risk. But now they're giving these kids these shots. Now kids are having heart attacks and strokes and stuff like that, right? Uh, I don't understand. From my understanding, they are arguing it's not stopping transmission. So kids are still getting infected, getting a little. That's because their vaccine doesn't they're, work in adults. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. To, it doesn't stop infection. That's on the CDC's website. Later tonight, hopefully, we'll get to that sports. Hey, I got a section that I have in there because they. This is the thing the NFL and the NBA is having wild outbreaks. Yeah, they're and, fucked. Dude. Yeah, Sorry. I mean, it's bad. Yeah. All right, here's my question. <clears throat> I don't think I've ever had a flu shot. Neither have I. I don't really get the flu. Neither either. have I. Yeah. Right. If you ask people who got a flu shot, they're like, oh, well, I did have the flu, but it wasn't as bad because I had the flu shot. I'm like, oh, but so they always get I the flu. Even. Is that what you know? So I don't understand, you know, when they're like, well, the people who got the, the vaccine, they don't get COVID as bad. How do we know that? Well, because they don't die. Well, maybe you're just treating people and fudging the numbers, man, because that's what you guys are doing on the rest of all this stuff. You notice how all these normie types like Sager and uh, all these other, uh, you know, uh, Jimmy Dore, they'll be like Mm -hmm. in Max Blumenthal. They'll be like, there's something else going on. They're not doing it to protect us and keep us safe, but they don't know what that what is yet. They know there's something else going Yet on. Still reference they don't know CDC. what that what is. Right. And they're they're still like red blue team, you know, <laughs> type of mentality. I know. It's like the people on the Titanic saying, this thing's kind of crooked, but they're telling us it's, it's all fine. Meanwhile, rich people get in lifeboats. That's exactly what's going on in America. It's a great analogy. You ever analogy. see those lifeboats get so That's full so fast? Analogy. They're like yeah. out of here. That is a fantastic description. It really is a fantastic comparison. I mean, really. It is. I mean, they're they're willing to be critical enough to ask the question that it seems like something else is going on, but then they're unwilling to, you know, even just dip like their their big toe a little bit into that the water. You know, they I'm not we're asking we're not asking them to jump in like we do. I mean, we jump in and we swim around and we try to find the hell is going on, but 
no we we're just asking, snorkel we might not yeah. be like deep sea diving yet to yeah. mariana's trench but at least we're getting in the water and snorkeling around looking underneath that right. robbie suave dude i didn't disagree with anything he really said right there but there was a clip that lisa was hitler youth guy this week <laughs> with the haircut hitler. there was a clip that she was playing and i was like dude if i see that clip on my show i'll have his lunch so i don't know if that's in the show card yeah he it said is some, he talked it's to, the he one that lisa shit. posted yeah okay well he talked i'm some sorry shit. Yeah. i might have to talk some shit back to it it's the one about uh, Peter McCullough, right? Where they, she, Kim Iverson highlights the Peter McCullough interview. Is it that one or is it different? I don't remember. That's the one. Spent yeah. a lot of clips this week. Yeah. Your wife said we needed to go over that critically so we could, we could, you know, do like a little excoriation and critical analysis of that one. But I forget where. It's in one of these sections. <laughs> we'll get to it as we exercise <laughs> through. All right. So, yeah, he says uh, fourth shot might be needed. Wait, I thought he just said three shots. Now it's up to four shots. Oh, this is, so that's a Chris. Jones oh, it's a fourth thing. shot for the adults, the third shot for the kids. Right. I got and you. So this minus one for kids. It, it makes it approved. So there's never a couple be fully here. vaccinated ever. Yeah, never, never. Okay, so um, Senna, who I've mentioned many times on this show, uh, she received a letter from the, the New York State or New York City, I believe, just stating that. To be considered fully vaccinated, you now need, I think, three vaccines. And she shared the letter with me, and it makes no sense. It's they completely contradict themselves in the letter. I don't know if she'll allow me to send. Let me know if I can share that with them because that would be really fascinating to see just how they've changed it, just like they did in the uh, other countries um, to state that now fully vaccinated means three vaccines. But until I get that, um, Pfizer will test three doses of COVID vaccine in kids under five. Whenever that. There is also this FDA CDC back boosters for minor minors after conducting zero testing. It's common FDA, core, bro. It's common core. Common core. Is that I mean, how why are you even that, thinking about it? They get that funding from the government through that common core. It's like, oh, we'll give you some money, but you gotta do the common core. Well, Lansky's, you know, she's she's doing your thinking for you, bro. She's doing you a favor. It's called Apparently outsourcing. FDA. Haven't you heard of it? <laughs> Kids. So last week on December 9th, the FDA approved emergency youth authorization for the Pfizer COVID vaccine, authorizing the use of a single booster dose for administration to individuals 16 and 17 years of age. The booster is to be given at least six months after vaccination. The Pfizer vaccine is particularly dangerous for young men aged 16 to 17. As we observed back in October, teenage boys are especially at risk for heart problems like myocarditis. And if you I'm make it through that, Pfizer kids, vaccine. your balls won't work. You'll find that out because that <laughs> mRNA collects in your if you want elephantitis, you want those big balls, you know, like that's what they had on South Park, you know, um, where they were all getting the big I think balls the elephant so man the was one of Anthony Hopkins' most prolific and unsung roles. <laughs> all right. So I was doing some ciphering over here. Elephantitis is a real thing, I believe. Uh, kids, 0% risk. Kids, 0% risk of COVID, 100% risk of tyranny. So why aren't we focused over here? They got us focused on this thing that kids aren't at risk from, but right now kids are at total risk from losing their rights in the future, bodily autonomy, these sort of things. Just saying. Yeah. They're talking about, they care about lives. They care about the children. Show me. I'm from Missouri. No, I'm not, but that's the show me state. That's what you're supposed to think. Uh, Yeah. I'd like to show me, show me that you're really interested in doing those things. Because those things that you're attached, just like, you know, they're saying, oh, if you pay some money, we can fix the carbon thing. Okay. All right. The whole place, we're made out of carbon, bro. We're shedding carbon all the time by breathing. 
carbon dioxide, by the way, it's plant food. Yeah. Yeah. Does it cause warming or does it actually create a cooling effect over time? There's a lot of, there's a lot of anomalies that, but Hey, it's global. Oh, you know, there's an article on RT this week. I, I wanted to put it to the show. I actually didn't add this, but their fear of sort of galvanizing the scaremongering around the idea that new viruses because of the uh, polar ice caps melting could be released into the ocean and then circulate somehow. So okay. they're going to, yeah, all right. they're making up shit left and right, bro. That's all. Mm, they're getting desperate. All right. Uh, let's get to this van vaccine mandates section. Mm -hmm. dun, dun, dun. Oh, Dell big tree compares and contrasts the first responders saving lives it's a Are we doing good that one, one but i would no, say let's save, save that i'd rather do the other big tree clips well, how about this uh Rand paul steps up against mandatory vaccines yeah, yeah we can do that yeah. all right so we're going to go to the infowars coverage of Rand paul opposing uh vaccines on children and experimentation that violates the nuremberg convention not such a radical view a couple years ago but it's really radical right now let's check it out I love Rand Paul. I've known Rand Paul 28 years. Knew him back when he was in college. The images you're seeing, if you're a TV viewer watching the radio simulcast, is Spain, where hundreds of thousands filled city streets for miles chanting Libertad. Libertad, which of course means liberty in the Spanish or in the Latin where the people stand up for their rights, there's liberty. Where the people submit, there is tyranny. When the government fears the people, there is liberty. When the people fear the government, there is tyranny. This is a global corporate revolution against humanity to break our will, to cut us off from God, and to force us into the metaverse. I want to be extremely crystal clear about this. In all their admissions, in the DARPA documents with the 5G and other programs, it is to lock us in our houses, living inside virtual reality systems that we're forced into to go to court, to go to the store, to buy, to sell, to work. Majority of the public will not be allowed outside their homes, and then we will be, quote, forced into the artificial metaverse prison. It's already being done with school children. They're already saying you don't get trials in person, but you can do it from your jail cell. This is the prison planet being formed officially and being set up. What did I tell you 20 plus years ago? They are forming a prison planet. That's why in Australia and the U.S. and the EU and the U.K., laws were all passed in the last two years by law. By law. Starting in 2024, all cars will have a tracker system in them. Then they're going to start making older cars be retrofitted that watches you, listens to you, has a breathalyzer, and reports back to big tech and the government what you're doing, where you're going, and what you're up to to be able to tax and control you with the carbon taxes. It's not just going to be home assistance inside your house watching and listening. It's not going to just be ring surveillance systems in your neighborhood uh, that aren't really there to protect you but are there to watch you. This is an AI takeover grid in their own admissions. This is the post-industrial world being set up. And you notice the societies that submit, things only get worse, and the virus only gets worse, and the death only mounts, and the lockdowns only intensify. The more you're injected, 
the more you submit, the more you die. This is a kill operation. And now Fauci, and now the UK government, and the New Zealand government, the Australian government, the German government have announced COVID injections are permanent. Seven shots a year has been announced by Israel. It'll be announced here soon, always six months after. Always raise the number. One shot, two shots, three shots, five shots, six shots. Bill Gates says it'll be nine to 12 shots you'll be getting every year forcibly of a gene therapy that erases your immune system. And you say, well, they're going to get in trouble for killing everybody. No, they're not. They already killed tens of millions of people with poison vaccines over the last few decades and hundreds of millions of autistic boys from the vaccines and, and a cocktail of things. Because the blood brain barriers have as strong on a male as it is on a female. We put up with that, and that was the test, okay? You let us test an experimental anthrax shots on the troops that killed over 30,000 of them on record. Now we'll just do it to everybody. Last week, the head Israeli scientist running the government said seven shots and by InnoAttack of Pfizer says now you need six shots. See how it works? And then in a few months, it'll be eight shots, and then 10 shots, then 12 shots. Because what do the unvaccinated and the vaccinated have in common when it comes to COVID-19? You're never fully vaccinated. And the worst part about the 15 days to flatten the curve is the first two years. So they could kill 33,000 plus U.S. troops, certified, confirmed by Congress, much worse probably, of dying from the anthrax shot that didn't even protect them. And the two different rounds of those that went on, experimental unauthorized vaccine, then what can't they get away with? And the answer is the sky. The sky isn't even the beginning of the limit. We got a huge broadcast lined up for you today and a lot of positive news and fighting back. Texas creates hotline for employees to report workplace Systems that are trying to require COVID-19 injections in total violation of federal, state, and the Nuremberg Code. As regular listeners and viewers will know, I have really been not so much even targeting the globalists. We know Klaus Schwab and Bill Gates are evil. We know their puppet, fraudulent president uh, is Biden and is a joke, and so is Kamala Harris. It's important to point out they're enemies of America and criminals, and but but they're front people. But But instead of focusing only on them, how about... President Trump coming out admitting he got conned that this isn't a vaccine, it doesn't protect you, and it doesn't work. Laura Ingram's been having medical doctor guests on that say just that. In fact, it erases your immune system and is worse than not taking it. I played clips off Laura Ingram last night with prestigious virologist and epidemiologist and immunologist that she's had on saying exactly that because it's a fact. So... He's a medical doctor. He knows all this. Rand Paul knows all this. So I'm more upset with Rand Paul than I am with Trump. Because Trump, again, didn't understand what was going on. And I'm not giving him a pass. Paul has come out and said that the vaccine cult, the leftist global UN cult, isn't going to be happy until they're injecting newborns. Yeah, with dozens of uh, systems that erase their immune system and give them permanent spike protein colonies that are equivalent to, to what causes mad cow disease or spongiform encephalopathy. And so I love Rand Paul. I've known Rand Paul 28 years. Knew him back when he was in college doing interviews for his daddy 
uh, trying to get him reelected to Congress. But he's a real chink in the globalist armor. He's the knight out on the field with a much better, more prestigious position than I've got or Joe Rogan's got uh, or even Tucker Carlson's got, and we need him to lead. Well, he's starting to do it when he says they won't be happy till they inject the children with this. He's going in the right direction. But it's the elephant in the room. It's all the medical literature. It's all the facts. We know that it doesn't protect you. It's not that it gets 96% or 74% uh, or 49% or 32% or 21% or 18% or 5%. You know, they've whittled it down to that with Pfizer and Moderna, quote, after six, eight months. Now they go, oh, you just need it because of Omicron. That's why it isn't working anymore. Record numbers of people in hospitals. It wasn't the case last year. Now it is. And we didn't just predict it. We laid it all out. So finally, Senator Paul starting to go in the right direction. Here it is. Um, so explain to me, why is this only one size fits all medicine all the time? You know, these people won't be happy until they get your newborn. I mean, they really want to get your newborn inoculated before they leave the hospital. They're going to restrict certain things. You know, they're not going to dispense uh, schooling, but they're also going to try to get them before they leave the hospital. I think it's outrageous and ignores the science. It's all based on this uh, misreading of the science that says we haven't been vaccinating enough and that we're under vaccinated. The truth from the CDC is quite the opposite. Over age 75, 97% of people have voluntarily chosen to be vaccinated between ages 64 and 75. 99% of people have been vaccinated. So we are voluntarily accepting this. Most people at high risk have been vaccinated. This is a disease of the elderly, not of children. Okay, so that's enough. Is, is that He's still falling back on data from a year ago because he pushed this and said, yeah, go ahead and take it. Let's reopen things. He was wrong, just like Trump. But at least he's saying they're not going to be happy until they inject your children and pointing out your children don't need it. Yes, what an incredible crime. No one needs it. They suppressed the Pfizer documents that it caused thousands to die in just the first few months and massive increases in miscarriages. And you know that, Senator. But see, that's why this broadcast is different, why it's so important you keep us on air and why I thank you all. Because I don't care if you're black or white, old or young, Christian, Muslim, Jewish, it doesn't matter. If you are promoting freedom, I'm your brother. I'm your friend. But if you know the truth and you don't go all the way, I'm coming after you. And I'm telling you, our victory will be in making the good Republicans come out and take on Big Pharma all the way. They know that's dangerous. They know that you'll get attacked if you do that. They know you might get killed. Paul's already been shot at. He's already had his ribs broken, his lung punctured. I get it. I love Rand Paul. I know he's a good man. But you don't have half measures, Senator. We need your full announcements. We need you to put on the full armor of truth and take the enemy on point blank. I've done it. And I'm not trying to tell you to man up here because I'm such a man. I'm saying I need you. We all need you. So man up for your own children. Don't be lying in your bed like they say in Braveheart many years from now, wishing just once, just once. You tell these globalists, you can take our lives, but you'll never take our freedom. Let's play back-to-back -back Dr. Zelenko last Friday in that super viral video of him saying the COVID vaccine causes AIDS, which it does. And then we'll play a clip from Karen Kingston with Stu Peters, and then we back up what she's saying with one of the big pharma announcements and one of their own PSAs admitting that they've put the HIV spike protein in it. Here it is. There's a lot of people are going to tune in here wanting to know, hey, what's going on with the shot? And the, and the fact that it's all confirmed, it's hurting people. Uh, and, and where you see that going, Dr. Zelenko? 
Well, you know, I, I've said things, and of course, then I, I get cold nuts, and then two, three months later, people come to realize that, that uh, what I said was correct, and they take credit for it. But I don't, I don't care about that. But what I will say is that the spike protein, whether from the virus or from the vaccine, causes AIDS, causes uh, acquired immune deficiency. Wow. Elaborate on that. Yeah, it, it destroys your immune system, your innate immune system, and damages your T cells makes you much more vulnerable to, first of all, developing cancer and autoimmune diseases and other infections, and that's why people are dying. There is most likely not a natural solution to this, that the, the enemy is really, this is a biblical war. This is, this is the end game of creation right now. And we have an opportunity, it's a glorious time to be alive. It's turbulent, it's definitely scary. Um, there's gonna be a huge body count, there already is. Um, and I just hope that there'll be, uh, you know, if, if this conversation leads to one person not dying unnecessarily, that's already considered. Annihilate them. Now, this is the part when people's jaws are going to drop. Um, we know CGG is not found in nature, therefore it's patentable. Well, who did all the research on this and who owns it? Well, Dr. Fauci did a number of studies. He paid himself over $11.667 million with uh, U.S. taxpayer dollars between 2014 and 2020 to research using glycoprotein 120 from HIV and integrating it into coronaviruses. And he patented it. He owns several patents on this. So every time someone's being injected with the synthetic mRNA producing the Wuhan-HU-1 spike glycoprotein, Fauci is making... Like there's a little bit of a buffering. Just a issue. little buffering. Hmm. Let's go back a little bit sometimes so you can jostle it. Yeah. Several patents on this. Yeah, so every time good. someone's being injected with the synthetic mRNA producing the Wuhan HU 1 spike glycoprotein, Fauci is making. That's unfortunate. That's a good section. Uh, go ahead and just speed up a tiny bit, see if that cuts through. Or just like cut a tiny bit. Protein before the virus meets our cells is what triggers the most protective antibody response. So Keith must make the spike protein in the lab, locking it into exactly the same shape by adding another protein that acts a bit like a clamp. And that protein is a tiny fragment of HIV. We chose this protein is because it's so well understood. It's a highly stable structure. There is absolutely no risk from this type of vaccine. There's nothing that makes HIV replicate. So it's got HIV replicate. It's so good for for you. And of course, if you go back and study HIV, why was it so much more deadly in Africans? Because it turns out that many of the cells, particularly the blood in in Africans, is uh, different. Um, and that the HIV spike protein can plug into it better. So it kills white people and Hispanics too and Asians, but it really loves killing those black people. But remember, CNN loves black people. All right, I want to explain something to you. You could get four or five college degrees to understand this information, to understand how every piece of it is corporately run, how all the programs interlock together. And a lot of you know as much as I do or even more, especially from the fields you've worked in. 
But when I get a chance to talk to somebody like General Flynn, who was a three-star general and ran the U.S. military intelligence agency, we can finish each other's sentences because he reads like I do constantly and knows how these systems integrate. And so it's very refreshing to talk to somebody like him because he understands when I'm rattling off stuff, I'm not just saying stuff that sounds smart. I was meeting this weekend with a very, very prominent individual, and, and they see a lot of what's going on, and they were guessing what was going on. They're not regular listeners. But they already knew what was going on without knowing the names of the groups and the organizations, and I was showing them some of it, and they were blown away. So smart people can who've been in government and high levels of things, they even if they've not been fully focused on this or even partially, they can get up to speed very, very quick. Now, the reason I say that is when you get like a Senator Rand Paul, who I see as an ideal person to take down the deep state, that's why they tried to kill him a couple times. But they want to make it look like a low-level person did it. You know, crazy. Both times. Well, three times now. Paul has to know they're going to kill him when they drop the boom in the next year. I, I, in fact, I was if I was Rand Paul, I'd be uh, you know getting right with Jesus right now because and he's not stupid either. He, he sees the tea leaves, and if he thinks uh, that he's going to just uh, halfway fight the new world order and that they're going to back off a little bit, they know his potential as being way better than Trump, smarter than Trump. Um, more intellectual and, and, and less power-driven, they're not going to let Rand Paul be walking around very long. So Rand Paul either needs to join him and run up the white flag, which I know he won't do, or he needs to come out against him full bore. And I, I keep harping on Rand Paul because I, I can you know, see the space-time continuum, as you all can, the more you try to focus on it, and I can guarantee you that he's in grave danger. They're not just shooting at him at the baseball games and shooting Scalise. He was the main target. They're not just breaking his ribs and puncturing his lungs at his house. They're not just trying to kill him on the streets of D.C. They know his potential. So he needs to throw the towel in or he needs to absolutely come out against him. Now, General Flynn knows exactly what's going on. I know exactly what's going on. Tucker Carlson knows exactly what's going on. He's up to speed. Joe Rogan's basically got there in the last week. He just can't believe it's all on purpose, but now he knows it is. Um, and, and I'm not up here like the granddaddy telling everybody what they should do, what they shouldn't do. I'm just telling you, I'm like the probe that got shot into this thing first. And I've already been in it and basically gone through it. I'm already taking a turn and coming back around for another pass. And I'll probably get blown up on this pass, to use a military analogy, but that's okay. We're going in. And I'm just telling everybody that, that you don't go up against something like this with half measures. You don't go into something like this playing politics. There's a lot of playing politics during this health crisis. It is fascinating. Tony, can we go to the Omicron section? What do you think? Yeah, there's, yeah, a, yeah. there's a lot. I mean, there's like 20 stories left in that section. So yeah, people in can check interest, it out. Yeah, well, um, in the interest of uh, what I was thinking toward getting toward intermission at some point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't have to. I would say, if anything, there's a sports maybe we want to cover. Let's see if there's anything in Omicron. We like we kind of made the points we needed to make uh, in this section. So anytime you wanted to go to there. But uh, as far as Omicron, Paul Joseph Watson had a couple of good clips. And there was another. 
And then there's also a Steven Crowder clip. Those, those are the ones we, or what about the Baker out. Mayfield clip? That's good. That's a good one. That's Under a, sports and COVID-19 LD. Mm-hmm. I'll take sports and COVID-19 for 500. <laughs> we should make a game out of this. <laughs> a little bit more jovial. Yeah. The Omicron stuff. I mean, basically the UK is locking down using the Omicron scare as the main reasoning behind it. When in fact, there's very few hospitalizations and only one death that the NHS can point to claiming that it's Omicron. So it's just, you know, more contradictions. Basically what they're showing is UK deaths are going way down, but lockdowns are going up at the same time. So this Paul Justin Watson just shows this contradiction. So otherwise Omicron is a. All right. Now let me ask this. Yeah. Is this guy saying smart things for this whole clip? Cause I see these other two clips, Jackson report and Christy Lee with Dr. Malone on global totalitarianism. Those clips might be better suited for this time. Capsule. Yeah, that's fine. Yep. We could do that. All right, so they right say smart things, but like it's sort of stuff I can summarize real quick. Basically the NBA and NFL are having massive outbreaks. So massive. if we remember, if we remember, uh, Aaron Rodgers, we had on, well, they have different protocols. And oh. so those who are vaccinated only get tested once a week. But if you're not vaccinated, as Aaron Rodgers pointed out, you get tested, I think once a day and you have to show very early and it's very distressing and, and problematic. And anyways, um, now there's been huge outbreaks amongst the vaccinated in both the NBA and the NFL. In fact, so much so that they were going to cancel three games this week. Now I think those games went ahead because they changed their protocols at the last second, which then pissed off the people who got vaccinated because it's like, now we're getting tested every day. Now, like what the hell is going on and blah, blah, blah. So they go into the detail and it's worth checking out. Jason Whitlock uh, interviews Roy Sway, a former NBA player. And he talks about um, everything from the globe, the great reset and Klaus Schwab and they get into it, but we're stuff we're very familiar with. So it's, and he also quotes the CDC to show that it doesn't stop transmission. So again, they keep people, keep, you know, it's a repeating theme of this episode, but it doesn't stop transmission and people are still, whether you're vaccinated or not, you're spreading, um, the infection. So anyways, so that's the general gist of what's going on there as far as, uh, yeah. I would say the next year, Jackson report and, or the Dr. Malone, this is the third part of that interview. So we watched the second part a couple of weeks ago. This is now the third part. She just released this week about uh, totalitarianism that can pretty much lead us into the intermission. All right, cool. So um, <clears throat> Jackson report first, then uh, Chrissy Lee, is that what you're thinking? Yeah, or... no, then I'll be perfect. Uh, that'll get us a little bit past two. We can go right in the intermission and then finish yeah. off from there. And then keep in mind, Dr. Robert Malone, who developed the mRNA technology that has been popularized, is speaking about global totalitarianism. What's going on here? He also had a five-minute video this week. We read from a script. He even admitted that he was because he was warning parents about not giving vaccines to children, specifically to children. He's very... He's concerned about vaccines in general, and he had been vaccinated with Moderna, and he regrets because uh, he's Deborah. gotten sick twice now. So Right on. All um, right, cool. Let's go yeah. to uh, Jeffrey Jackson and Dell Bigtree from this past week's High Wire, the High Wire. Let's go to the Jackson Report. I'm for the Jackson Report. That's what I just said. All right, Jeffrey, what's going on in the world today? <laughs> well, Dell, looking at these headlines, 
we reported on this quite a bit. So have so many other people. And these are what the headlines are looking like now. Let's start with the kids. We knew this this pandemic was taking a toll on the kids, but these are the regular headlines now. Kids growing up in the COVID-19 area are damaged. This is an opinion piece out of the New York Post, but it goes even further here. This is the Daily Mail. Uh, about, speaking of face masks, COVID rules are blamed for 23% dive in young children's development. There's a, a, it's called a disturbing study, shows scores in three key cognitive tests slumped between 2018 and 2021 with face mask rules among possible culprits. And it says in this article, and that's the study, the report that uh, the report found that there were 23% drop in scores measuring kids' intelligence quotients uh, since the start of the pandemic. It also found similar dips in the same span in regards to developing children's ability to communicate both verbally and through subtle facial cues. Now, interesting, verbally, what's what's on their mouth that would maybe uh, hinder them verbally? Well, could it, right. be, could it be a mask? Now, the, the study doesn't go on to say directly masks cause this, but it does say that this is what's happening. These kids yeah. are not able to communicate properly. They're not they're not able to see this, the facial cues of parents, of teachers. So you can only take a leap to show what's going on here, really. But I mean, speaking of masks. I 23% drop in these scores is huge. massive. I mean, that is gigantic. Uh, you know, if you just think of like a scoring system that moves you out of an A into a C at best, if not, you know. And so to imagine, you know, this drop in our education system and then you think about how does what does that lead to in their future careers and the ability to get jobs? And then how many of them will fall off and, and not be able to get jobs, fall into a poverty space, will end up dying? I mean, the you know, I, I would love to see sort of the life years lost, how they rate that yeah. when we think about this level of a cognitive drop in an entire population population of children, the ramifications with which we'll probably only start witnessing, you know, 15 years from now. I mean, just really, really shocking that, and we've made this point over and over mm -hmm. and over again, as have uh, other people with uh, working brain cells, but it's somehow this is lost right. on the government of the United States and the other governments of the world. Right. And the reason I'm starting out talking about these headlines is because public health officials and governments and mayors and and whoever pulling the strings here in states and across the country are doing this again so let's look at new york one of the first places to do it because of, of the omicron variant apparently this is what right. we're being told so this is the new york mandate that began this week new york state indoor mask mandate begins monday if not enforced business owners may be fined one thousand dollars california is doing the same thing california announced indoor mask mandate regardless of vaccination status we're going to get to the vaccine in a second here and then even where you are austin as omicron arrives in the area austin and travis county extend COVID restrictions they reauthorized the mandate for anyone on a campus of a public school uh ages two and over that's that's public charter schools that's public colleges um, now there's going to be a battle there because abbott has an executive order that's you know going back and forth in court on this but yeah. still with all of the data that we know this is not science driven but what's really interesting here this is kind of the silver lining on these reports is just after uh kathy hochel in new york it, it, it instigated this mass mandate you saw county after county after county disobeying and say they will not enforce. And we've been tracking it all week. So let's just run through these headlines. Yeah. Livingston County, uh, Livingston, Ontario counties will not enforce new mass mandate. We have Onondaga County won't enforce new state mass mandate until businesses learn rules. Incoming Nassau County executive won't enforce Hochul's new mass mandate. And even 
our friend Ed Day from the 2019 measles outbreak, uh, mandating shots on kids. Even him, Rockland County Executive Ed Day, won't force mass mandate. It's really great clear, to see. He and, didn't mandate shots on kids. He mandated the measles vaccine on the Hasidic Jewish community, banning mm -hmm. them from their own synagogues or the uh, you know walking down the street. They could be fined walking down the street without a measles vaccine. So to think that um, that guy, uh, even this is going too far with the mass <laughs> mandates. It gives you a sense of the this of the change in the um, the culture of this conversation for sure. Absolutely. And just wrapping this up, we have now, now this number is still increasing, so this could go up. We, we're going to track this. But right now, we have a quarter of New York counties refuse to become mask police despite Hochul mandate, New York wow. Post. So this is where we're at right now. And even Pennsylvania is getting in. There's a court ruling that just happened in Pennsylvania. Top Pennsylvania court kills required school mask mandate for students. And you can see here, this mask this mask conversation is, is kind of like a miniature battleground here, representing this greater... Uh, uh, restriction push that's coming in mm -hmm. um, and even the CEOs we've we've covered the CEOs of the airlines but they started kind of piping up a little bit in, at, a, at a Senate meeting and this is what the headline looked like two major airline CEOs question the need for masks on planes that's American Airlines Doug Parker and uh, Southwest Airlines Gary Kelly Gary Kelly said I don't think the case is very strong that masks add much in, if anything, yeah. to the air cabin environment. Now, he was also saying, he kind of walked that back afterwards. He was saying, well, it's because we have such great HEPA filtration systems. We have a great air exchange system. But right. he did he did say that. And it's interesting because I mean, both these CEOs I obviously, are I, I fly like crazy uh, to get out to all these events I go to every single weekend. But as I sit there, and some of them are really intense. In fact, Southwest has been one of the more intense ones with the, you know, if they catch you like not putting your mask on while chewing, which, you know, you used yeah. to get away like munching <laughs> on a pretzel. Now they're like all over you, you know, if you don't pull your mask right up, you know, while like, you know, doing this dance. Uh, but, you know, the point is, is that they do have the biggest filter systems. I mean, there's literally filters sucking the air from all around you. Uh, and if that, you know, makes a difference or not, the point is, is we're all sitting side by side. If you take it down for two seconds that air is out there i mean whatever's going to happen is going to happen and i think that they're making a great point and by the way show us the data show us the science mm. we have shown you know i think in nearly what 15 or 20 different studies now uh that show that the masks aren't doing anything except you know mostly harming us and the cdc has yet to really put forward a credible solid study that gives us more than like a one percentage point gain which isn't worth all of the trials and tribulations we have wearing these masks so you know this whole thing just seems to be here to demoralize us more than to actually make us healthy right and let's let's switch gears here and talk about yeah. the vaccine I've, I've been waiting to report on this with you all week this yeah. this story is is rolling really fast I'd say it's one of the most important stories in the world, minus all these restrictions coming down, but it yeah. ties in with it really well. And to, to start this segment off, this is a headline that I don't think we ever thought we'd see. The Atlantic, the pandemic of the vaccinated is here. What? All right. <laughs> okay. So let's break this down. Let's go, let's go state by state, okay. county by county, uh, country by country. So the okay. United States, most reported U.S. Omicron cases have hit the fully vaccinated. Who says this? The CDC says this. Let's look. This was in their MMWR, that CDC's weekly report. This was from the beginning of December when this thing started running. And it says here, among these cases of COVID-19 attributed to the Omicron variant, 34 
79 it accounts for 79 percent occurred in persons who completed the primary series of an fda authorized or approved COVID 19 vaccine greater than or equal to 14 days before symptom onset or receipt of a positive sars cov2 test result including 14 who had received an additional booster dose that wow. is what we're looking at here in the United States. I mean, if you think now, about it too, I want people to just cue in on that. Just bring that up really quickly. I want to bring, I'm want i going to make this point over and over again, and we'll get into a little bit more detail later. But they are talking about these cases all got infected equal to or more than 14 days after the second shot, which means everyone before that point, all of the people that were waiting for that first month after their first shot and the first 13 days of their second shot, anyone who got sick there, guess what column they're in? They're in the unvaccinated column. You know, it doesn't matter that they might have been, you know, have their immune system being beat up by the vaccines. They try and mount some sort of defense. But there it is. We, we see it over and over and over again. This 14 days after the second shot. Well, what happens before that? Well, what happens mm -hmm. before that is we call you unvaccinated. I just want to make that clear. But these are huge numbers. Seventy nine percent. I mean, that uh, clearly is a pandemic of the vaccinated. Right. And again, 94% effective, we were told. Right. High 90s when these shots first came out. Remember that. So let's look overseas. This is, I believe, the Telegraph Omicron wave driven by young, healthy, vaccinated population. It says here in the article, the Omicron epidemic is being driven by young vaccinated people, according to mounting data from countries as diverse as the UK, Denmark, and South Africa. It goes on to say, data from Denmark, a world leader in genetic sequencing, shows that of 3,437 Omicron cases detected, just over 70% have been among those younger than 40, according to the breakdown from the Staten Serum Institute published on Monday. So here we have young kids really taking the, the brunt of this, uh, of this wave, but we're being told also they're, they're mild cases. Right, but I mean, I wanna point out here though, what's interesting is if you're talking about the younger people, they weren't approved right up front, right? In, in many of these countries, right. America, everywhere, the first people we vaccinated were the elderly. So if it was about the vaccine sort of wearing off, you could say, well, then certainly we would be seeing Omicron in the elderly. That is not the case. These are the newly vaccinated. This means this is an instant sort of failure with Omicron, which is really fascinating, right? If it's below 40, right. these people probably got the vaccine within the last six months, not a year ago. And we're seeing a reflection of real world data on this. This was just yesterday and this story is being added to in, in the moment here. So this is at Cornell University. Uh, Cornell shuts down its Ithaca campus after significant signs of Omicron variant found. Now listen to this quote. Virtually every case of the Omicron variant to date has been found in fully vaccinated students, a portion of whom had also received a booster shot. We have not seen evidence of significant disease in our students to date. This is Joe Molina. That's Cornell's vice president uh, for university relations. Now, just before we went live, Georgetown, George Washington, NYU, Princeton, they're all joining Cornell and shutting down their campuses, uh, wow. moving their finals to online and canceling all in-person uh, events at, on campus. Now, uh, understand what this means. When we're talking about these vaccines that are failing this spectacularly in the face of this variant, yeah. green passes, super green passes, vaccine passports, whatever we're going to call them, invalid, mandatory right. COVID vaccines for, for the age, for region, invalid, locking down unvaccinated like they're doing in Germany and Austria, totally unscientific at this point. So where right. are we at? And why are we still doing this? Well, perhaps it's because people are watching The View. <laughs> and, <laughs> and the host there, Sunny Hostin, uh, she's one of the co-hosts of The View. She's a lawyer, journalist, 
uh, obviously a television co-host there. This is what she had to say when the Omicron was just starting out. Listen to this. Okay. It was interesting to me that the argument was being made, if you're vaccinated, why do you care about me being vaccinated? You're protected. And that's why we are at the Omarion Omicron variant, right? That's why we are where we are, because it's (laughs) mutating. It's becoming this crazy superbug inside of the people that aren't vaccinated. And and now it's affecting us. It's just something about how that's delivered, as though I'm supposed to trust you as you're making like googly eyes, you know, searching for the correct word of what this thing's called. Certainly you're someone I want to be, you know, listening to. But obviously she's had a couple of drinks with a doctor, I'm sure, <laughs> at some evening. And they shared that uh, it's the vaccinated they're spreading this. But, but I mean, the, un- the unvaccinated. But nothing could be further from the truth, right? I mean, if we're seeing right. only the vaccinated carrying it, if it's only coming from other nations in on planes amongst the vaccinated because they're the only ones allowed to fly. Um, so it's really uh, and we've talked about this over and over again. But there's even more science now, isn't there? Yeah, well, while we're waiting for Sonny to show us the science, let's look at some science right here. This is a new article that came out. Mechanisms of SARS-CoV-2 evolution revealing vaccine-resistant mutations in Europe and America. What did the authors find? They said, by tracking the evolutionary trajectories of vaccine-resistant mutations in more than 2.2 million SARS-CoV-2 genomes, we reveal that the occurrence and frequency of vaccine-resistant mutations correlate strongly with the vaccination rates in Europe and America. And this is a good time to remind people about three to four weeks ago, we covered a a study uh, looking at the Delta variant running through San Francisco Bay Area. There it is right there. Antibody resistant SARS-CoV-2 variants and vaccine breakthrough cases from the uh, San Francisco Bay Area. They said, we analyzed SARS-CoV-2 whole genome sequences and viral loads from 1,373 persons with COVID-19 from the San Francisco Bay Area. This was from February 1st to June 30th, 2021. That was when the Delta was really ramping up, uh, of which 125, that's 9.1%, were vaccine breakthrough infections. Fully vaccinated were more likely than unvaccinated persons to be infected by variants carrying mutations associated with decreased antibody neutralization. There it is. That's so, another I mean, just really to be clear because that can be confusing. They were looking at people that got infected and the unvaccinated tended to carry the, the Wuhan strain, the Alpha strain. But the mutated strains were more common amongst the vaccinated, meaning they were the ones harboring the mutations, mm-hmm. uh, whereas the unvaccinated seemed to not uh, carry those mutations. So the opposite, really, of what was just stated on The View. And we talked about this. Geert van den Bosch keeps talking about this. If you have a leaky vaccine, if you have a vaccine that is incapable of neutralizing the virus, which this is, and then you use that vaccine while you're under attack by the virus during a pandemic, which is never done before. You're not mounting a proper response. And so now what is pressuring that mutation to take place are the vaccinated. And then we're vaccinating the entire world at the same time, putting massive pressure on uh, these viruses. And to be clear, when uh, a naturally healthy, unvaccinated person comes in contact with any variant, their body sets out to neutralize and kill that thing dead. They may shed a little bit, but they're going to shed every variant that's there, not just selectively take out the easy ones and leave the dangerous ones behind. And so, but a natural immune system kills it dead, has a memory, and so far as we know, has lots 
lifelong immunity, but it's certainly the life of this pandemic. Everyone that caught this thing is still immune. Um, so that is what is, you know, that's how you neutralize the virus. That's how you make sure it doesn't mutate is by not vaccinating, letting natural immunity run its course. Um, but uh, that seems to be lost on, on people like lawyers uh, and talk show hosts at The View. <laughs> Well, let's, let's let's speaking of the mutation. Let's look at this mutation from the okay. Omicron variant. So we have an image here, and there's there's three sections here. So at top you have the wild type, in the middle you have the delta, and at the bottom is the Omicron. And you can see all those little uh, lit up sections with colors. Yeah. This is a map of the mutation on the structure so of the SARS-CoV-2. Those little dots are like the things that changed from the original wild type, like a, a, a special uh, yes. gain gain of function, really, right? It's gained some function. In those, look at Omicron though, it's lit up like, like you said, like a Christmas tree. Yeah, and they're they're at the top. So it was described that at the top of the spike in the regions that are exposed to the neutralizing antibodies. So that's what these vaccines are really um, are really delivering. But they're only delivering, remember, to the original strain. So right. you're having all of these 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 changes to the spike. And uh, you know, there's a lot of research out there now that's starting to show that they're not recognizing these new mutations. But this is a really interesting article here because this is another avenue with this story is NPR uh, wrote this article recently and they asked, where did it come from? The mystery of where Omicron came from and why it matters. So here we go again. I mean, it's like Groundhog's Day, like January right. 2020, where we still don't you know, officially know, it's not officially admitted where the original strain came right. from. And now this thing is, it kind of comes onto the scene with all of these mutations and people are saying, well, what the heck is going on? Where did it come from? So there's a lot of speculation there. People can read that article. And there's a couple of theories that are they're giving there, but even those theories, they're saying a lot of them are really implausible. So okay. on Twitter, this was an interesting thread that was going back and forth on Twitter from a scientist. And it kind of throws uh, a lot of information into really succinct uh, position here. So it says here, so to sum up, SARS to Omicron genome looks like it was separated, frozen between June 2020 and late summer 2021. This has never before been seen in nature, only in lab leaked pandemics. Now he goes on to say, SARS-2 Omicron has a 25 to one ratio of non-synonymous synonymous mutation ratios. Now what that is right there, <clears throat> before we go any further, it says this ratio is used to estimate the selection pressure on it. So he goes on to say natural evolution, natural selection pressure, so to speak, would result in a 25 to 30 or a 25 to 100 ratio though. He goes on to say the only logical explanation here is targeted manipulation. And finally, he ends up saying no SARS-2 Omicron predecessors have been detected between June 2020 and fall 2021, despite their supposedly already higher infectivity. So in this time, a single isolated patient bred more mutations than more than 100 million others, survived continuous infection and complete isolation. What he's saying there is there's a lot of things he's saying there right yeah. now, but ba basically this thing just popped on the scene. So it had it had some uh, links to its predecessors way back in 2020 in June. So it looks and then so it this just, Omicron looks much more like the virus back in 2020, the original Wuhan strain, than it does look like the Delta or any of the others. So he's saying right. we don't see this evolution, m much like the original conversation about the bat coronavirus, right? You had people right, saying, look, right. we study bats. 
stats. We're watching the coronavirus. We would have seen it gain these like 10 to 13 or 15, you know, new functions. We would have seen an evolution where, oh, look, here's one that has two new functions and then six new functions. Mm -hmm. It looks like it's turning into a bad guy, but we don't see that. Right. There was just this giant jump. And so what they're saying now is there appears to be a jump from a year ago in 2020 to this brand new Omicron uh, variant. And the explanations are things like, was one person carrying this? Didn't infect anyone else, so it wasn't visible to anyone else while they were, it was mutating inside of them, staying alive, infecting them for over a year and, and mutating at the way they would if 100 million people had been mutating the virus. I mean, that's crazy. Right. Right. And another explanation, they, they hypothesize that this thing maybe jumped out into some animal reservoir that no one knew about and then came back into the human reservoir. But they said that's that probably not going to happen because we have no information, genetic information from other animals in this to, to uh, suggest that or, or is in a place that they were not tracking and it just went to this place they weren't tracking. They suggest maybe a place in South Africa without great uh, uh testing and tracing and then it came back to the you know it became more transmissible and jumped out of there but they said even then that you would have seen a stepped uh transmissibility and it would have it wouldn't have just popped on the scene so there there's a genomic sequencing here that really tells this story about how fantastic this omicron variant is when it comes out of nowhere and it's a mutation uh using it's called gsad it's it's an open access genomic database for coronavirus and flu viruses and this animation basically starts showing that they have a lot of the uh, a lot of the mutations and then all of a sudden this omicron variant just comes in from the from out of nowhere and pops up on the scene like it is right now and here it is right here so you see all those mutations in the bottom and then I'm at the top right at the, right at the end yep it's just like someone's a slow burn and this comet comes out of the sky out of nowhere without any of those mutations and boom right there at the top that's where it's okay. coming from so a lot of questions where the heck did this thing come from Right. So right there at, what was that, September 2021, all of a sudden, bam, Omicron pops on. Uh, let's watch it one more time so we can see how this is happening. So you see all of the evolution of all of these different variants. They're tracking, they're slowly changing. We've got and they're gaining little functions here and there. But then 25 functions are added out of nowhere. Boom, there it is. It appears and it is most similar to the very first variant all the way back. There is not a part of this ever evolutional shift which, you know, I know no one's saying it, right? Everyone is so terrified uh, to make the statement, but um, I, I don't work with fear. I'm not down with it here on the high wire. Uh, let me just put it out there. It, certainly a theory that must be being considered right now and put onto the table would be the potential that this Omicron variant then could potentially be a lab-created um, virus, right? I mean, that certainly it's Occam's razor, right? Remember Occam's razor, yeah. the simplest answer is true. Something skips the evolutional process. Maybe as Occam's razor states, with all things being equal, the simplest explanation tends to be the right one. So instead of trying to imagine perhaps an AIDS patient, which is how they describe, maybe there was an AIDS patient that got infected, carried this virus longer than anything we've ever seen for over a year was, remember, while it was what would have to happen 
happen is they would have to inside of them be incubating, having like a hundred million mutations, you know, events inside of their body as though it was out amongst a hundred million people inside of their body. But the entire time they're doing that, they're not shedding. It's not spreading to anyone else. They're not giving it to anyone else. Somehow this variant is, you know, gaining all this ability. And then a whole year later, it says, now I'm ready. And now I'm naturally going to jump out and start infecting people. I mean, look at that. It's not a part of any of this evolutional process amongst the scientists that have been looking at it. And just like the original strain pops into a fish market, boom, there we are. Look, just because I know tomorrow I'm going to get fact-checked by, you know, New York Times, Washington Post, NewsGuard, Facebook, whatever, you know, whoever wants to attack us, let me make this perfectly clear. This is a theory. Amongst scientists that are all scratching their heads saying we cannot figure out what's happening, uh, they all have, you know, you have to remember, these scientists risk losing their jobs at their universities because their university funding is being controlled by a guy named Tony Fauci inside of NIH. And so if they go against the narrative, then they're in trouble. So they say lots of things like we can't figure out what's going on here. It certainly looks most similar to the virus that was over a year ago, but we don't know why that would be. We can make up some real cockamamie answers that then and then say at the end of it but that doesn't really make sense so here at the high wire let's just do uh their work for them what they're saying folks is that the most logical theory right now and it will still be a theory until proven otherwise is this came from a lab so now we've got to ask ourselves jeffrey really if we're going to go ahead and, and take on that thought let's just take it off for a second let's have fun with it shall we the question would be why Right. And I know I'm throwing this on you. We're just going to lay it out. I said, let's just mm -hmm. remember, folks, we have to be so careful and airtight here on the high wire. We want to make sure that you don't go out talking about anything you can't prove. So let me be perfectly clear. We don't have proof of anything except multiple scientists not understanding Omicron. Right. So what we're doing is theorizing here. So let's speculate for a second, shall we? Let's say this did come from a laboratory. Now, the question then is there's only two questions that remain. Was it accidental if it's released or was it on purpose if it was released? And so let's Let's go right. ahead and go with that total, you know, in that sort of conspiracy theory zone. Why would it be released on purpose? You know, why well, would they release something like this on purpose that is totally gets around the vaccine? So it makes the vaccine look terrible. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, it really is very mild so far as we can tell. Mm -hmm. uh, very low death rate compared to Delta um, and I think even Alpha. So uh, it seems to be much less deadly, but much more effective. Right. It, it, like it infects a right. lot more people. Right. Well, it's very interesting because it also just infects young people so far. This is right. still at the beginning of this. Um, huh, the so we're not seeing people, the very mm -hmm. people you need to convince to get a vaccine right now. The ones that parents are all the ones that are just holding out saying we don't need it. Our kids aren't getting sick from the original variant. Uh, it doesn't spread through the kids. That's an interesting point. So, right. It's, it's right. targeted and, at yep. the young. In the the original, I remember the original reporting. It was running through nursing homes. Uh, it was running through older populations. They right. the older populations, sixty five and older, were all the people that prioritized for every vaccine rollout and every booster rollout. So you have young kids, mild cases, um, asymptomatic cases in most most cases, and we're yeah. seeing it really start to aggressively um take over the the variant, uh, the the dominating strain variant. We're seeing that in South Africa now, where. Yeah. We were told it was first uh, first seen. So we're seeing this thing take over. You know, that's a that's a really great question. But I think the big uh, also the other <laughs> couple elephants in the room, it's getting packed yeah. in here. The vaccine is not stopping this thing. Let's just say, I mean, since we're saying it, we don't right. have to worry about the sensors. 
it's, it's a pandemic of the vaccinated. The vaccine is not stopping this thing. People that are vaccinated are getting this thing at a very high rate. We were talking 75%, 80%. That's a C plus a B if you're in school. And these all of these restrictions that are being raced into right now were on kind of like a theory at the beginning. Oh, we found this thing. It mutated really fast. And let's not wait for it to run through our populations. Let's lock down. Well, the lockdown started and this thing turns out to be targeting the vaccinated. So it's right. making all these people that push these lockdowns look a little foolish, kind of authoritarian, and it's pointless, not science driven at all. So what the heck's that about? You know, I was thinking to myself earlier this week as I was watching Omicron, I was thinking, you know, what if this is a gift from God? What if this is our get out of jail free card, right? You have a much more infectious virus right now. It's, it's gained this ability to infect. It appears to be everybody that was vaccinated. I would assume the unvaccinated will catch this thing, too, on some level. But it's super mild. So in many ways, our get out of jail free card is just let this thing go. Let it run. Stop pressuring it. Let's get on, you know, gear band and bushes train here and pull back. Pull back all the pressure. The one thing we do not want to do right now is pressure Omicron because what it has is an incredibly highly uh, you know, infectious. It is contagious as all get out as anything we've seen. So the last thing we want to do is see it become deadly. If it becomes deadly and it's getting around all the vaccines, you really have a problem. So we've got this amazing moment where we could just back off and say, mm -hmm. hey, look, everybody that's not, you know, over the age of 65 and suffering from cancer and diabetes and multiple, you know, like all the multiple comorbidities you could be, you know, the rest of us can probably handle this thing. This could be that reset in our bodies. Maybe if you were vaccinated and you catch this, you're, you know, you'll have a natural immune and you'll get that sort of those natural immune antibodies, hopefully that the vaccine doesn't interfere with. You'll probably get sick a little bit, but then now you've got, I would think a more robust immune system. So now leave it alone. Don't get another booster. Just stick with that since it's probably going to affect everybody. And then the rest of us that still haven't caught it or unvaccinated, Maybe we'll have that innate immune response that we've talked about so much on this show where you won't even feel it. Great. And those that you don't know, do catch it do become symptomatic. This thing could really reset it and we could be out. Right. And that, yeah, that's where yeah. the thinking is. I, then, I, then as I started looking at this information, thinking if they released it on purpose and let's say it's the same people and they're doing this on purpose. Uh, why would they, you know, maybe they're trying to fix their own error. Maybe they're trying to fix the error of the original lab escape. Maybe they realize the vaccine isn't really working. And so I, I started running down that thought. So this would be mm -hmm. a lab created virus, almost like fighting fire with fire, like put it out there, let's fight fire with fire. But here's where I run short with that point. Then why would they be telling us to still get boosters? Why are they telling us to still vaccinate? Right. I mean, why not just let this thing go? I think they've got to be recognizing more and more scientists every single week are jumping on Geert Band and Bosch's bandwagon saying, whoa, whoa, we are pressuring this thing too much. We've never seen anything like this. Anyway. Right. Um, and the, yeah, the vaccine is, as we know, just to recap, the vaccine is pressuring these vaccine resistant mutations. Uh, so the studies are now showing this. So, and, and they're still inoculating. It's not a very specific. They're still inoculating with the original strain. So this this is continually training the, the right. immune system to go over that strain and not allowing it to really gain fitness to, to look at all of the rest of the variants out there and kind of adapt and overcome those. You know, and you would think there if it was really like the bad, right? I'm, I'm running out there with like where conspiracy, where the conspiracies tend to go. You would have to imagine if they were going to release an Omicron variant in order to try and sort of end this pandemic, use a mild version before we get, you know, too deadly to try and reset this. 
then they would at least make a vaccine for Omicron, right? Like say, oh, look, we have a specific vaccine. Mm -hmm. We can deal with this, not be vaccinating you with an obsolete vaccine for an obsolete virus. That's why none of this stuff adds up. I mean, no, no matter how we try, we sit. And I think it was uh, hopefully it was fun for the audience to see how we brainstorm uh, on these things mm -hmm. behind the scenes. I don't like doing this in public because the news will report that we were saying that this was done on purpose by some bad actors who were trying to reset the blah, blah, blah. No, we're speculating here, folks. We're having a little bit of fun. Um, right. But let's put the fun right. aside. Here's what we do know. What we do know is Omicron has a, a ton of mutations that appear to happen out of nowhere. They are getting around the vaccinated. We, I mean, in the headlines we saw all week, tons of NFL football players. I think uh, the, I just heard that Broadway shutting down in New York, multiple you know, theaters there, all in the most vaccinated places in the world. So yeah. Omicron is laughing at the vaccine program right now. That I can report yep. for sure. I have heard Omicron actually laughing. You can put my name on that report that the New York Times. Omicron is laughing at this vaccine. Jeffrey, thank you for your time. And uh, and by the way, have a beautiful holiday. Uh, we've been working on some shows to put out there, some really great stuff. Uh, but certainly uh, give my best to you and yours. All right. You too, Dell. Thank you. All right. Take care. Well, that was a really interesting clip, Tony. What, what do you think about uh, <clears throat> the fact that it just diverges from all the other strains that seem to be in circulation, almost as if it was in a very sterile environment to go through those changes, not interacting with nature? I don't know what you'd call that type of environment where the absence of nature and the circulation between human beings would go on and yet mutations would happen anyway. I'm not sure. There's a place that they would do recombinant genetic programming type stuff. There's no such thing as chimeras, Rich. What are you it's talking three about? Three-letter word that starts with L and ends with AB. Hmm. Oh, maybe. Don't Interesting. Know. Luckily, I don't have to it's think not about my it. hypothesis. You heard Dell say it. Dell said that stuff. You don't have to think about it, dude. <laughs> that's what that's what Dell's problem is. He was thinking about he, it he too much. About and it. I thought right at the end, I'm like, you should have just clued it in right there. But you got it. That's the gist. You're not supposed to do because uh, they're like, it doesn't add up like silly guy. You're not supposed to be doing math. Don't be adding up what they're saying. Yeah. I, you it's know, it's interesting gonna... that you see these mutations, right? It's the yeah. most similar to the alpha strain or the original virus that was chimerically. Designed. Almost as if they like separated it and took a little sample for later. Yeah, they just, you know, and how convenient. It's not that deadly, but it gets around the vaccine. So what do you need? And it affects oh, the kids. you need a booster. That market that they're the going kids. after right now. There you go, Very right. good timing on so the So you Omicron. need boosters, and now you got to get boosters for kids. Not only kids vaccinated, but get boosters for them. Man, it's a great way to... Get everyone you know, to focus on one small thing. <laughs> like little kids getting a jab. Little kids, little jab. All right. I'm just noticing a pattern. I'm not going to make a strong determination, but I'm just saying, hey, look, you know, and it certainly helps their bottom line. They're creating more of a market for it, getting people into that funnel. So this is not a couple of people, it's the entire world. They're trying to get into that funnel. So I do believe we got fox in the hen house, Tony. Yeah, a little bit of wolves and sheep's clothing going on. Fabian socialists? That might be going too far. Beatrice Webb. It's too ing sock for this situation. Too ing sock, sure. Ooh. Let's check out uh, the latest in gene therapy applications. We've got uh, Christy Lee, part three of her doctor, Robert Malone, 
epic interview. He's the creator of the mRNA gene therapy technology that's uh, widely circulating in the BSL-4 lab near you. Near you. Get it? Because people are walking around as well. We're all BSL-4 labs now. I'm in the control group. So... Oh yeah, somebody, so somebody I, has yeah. to write the history. I think most not me and you are in control groups. That would be obvious. I think most people in in the know that frequent this show are in the control group. But how long? You know, they're going to do whatever it takes to make sure. God. Anyways. Yeah. Well, let's see what uh, the good doctor has to say about uh, his observations of freedom and slavery, as juxtaposed to his. Uh, if, if his creation is like Frankenstein's monster, is that like him being Frankenstein? No, no. Cause it's like, if they took Frankenstein's work and then made a monster and then blamed it on Frankenstein, there you go. That's, that's kind of what, what went on. Doing. Yes. That's exactly yeah. what well said. Yeah. So it's all Mary Shelley isms and Percy Bysshe Shelley isms back in there. All right. So let's go to Christy Lee. That was a Frankenstein joke. Uh, let's go to Christy Lee. She wrote it. She's, I know, I know. Yeah, but not everyone. Very they don't get, oh, okay, yeah. they don't understand the romantic era of 19th century literature and the burgeoning sort of horror stories that emerged that oftentimes have a sort of connection to some modern or some objective reality issues that go on. I'm, I'm just, just saying, saying. I'm just saying. She, she wrote about a group. That, you know, Doctor Frankenstein and his monster were in uh, Ingolstadt. Around the same time, the Illuminati was there. So it might be a metaphor. She might've been writing a coded message. It's like an allegory that's metaphorical yeah. with symbology. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, let's get back to Dr. Robert Malone. I'm sure he won't be talking about anything monstrous being created with today's uh, ongoing. Let's go to Christy Lee and Dr. Robert Malone. The future of global totalitarianism is here. It's just not evenly distributed. This is a, a global effort, it seems, it seems. But here in the U.S., you get the same tired pushbacks on, well, if you look at the data in our hospitals, it's mostly the unvaccinated. And yet when you actually look at the global data, it makes a better argument about what's really going on. So it's it's kind of strange to me that there's this global effort to get everyone vaccinated. But if you actually look at the global and not just the U S data or pick and choose your data, if you look at the global data of vaccinations and compare with areas that are less vaccinated or did not do the mandates, you know, they're globally, they're doing and in a much better position. So do you have any thoughts on that conundrum or that irony there? So, um, well, yeah, irony is right. Um, I don't, the U.S. data is deeply contaminated. It is compromised at multiple levels. It's compromised by the, the CDC's official position is that there have no, been no vaccine-related deaths. That is, that is completely untenable. Uh, there, there are a large number of deaths in bears. They continue to accumulate in the post-vaccinated not just in the U.S. database, but in the British database, the Scottish database, the German database, the Icelandic database, the Norwegian data. It goes on and on and on, Israeli database. Okay? But the CDC still insists, as official policy position, there have been no vaccine-related deaths. The CDC is willfully ignorant 
and they have placed a whole bunch of different strategic initiatives, like re redefining what is the disease, redefining when you're vaccinated, how long that vaccine window, uh, you know, period of unvaccinated status. You know, you're not considered fully vaccinated until you're over 14 days after jab number two. And so everything else is considered the same as unvaccinated. And it's just a bunch of data manipulation and management. Well, that's just exactly. I mean, you brought it up. Data manipulation. I mean, they they truly do what they're accusing everybody else of in comparing. Absolutely. <laughs> I and, mean, when they and, when they compare uh, COVID deaths to the the flu, they compare the number of three seasons of uh, almost three seasons of COVID to one season of, of flu, and they leave that part out, or they talk about hospital capacity, but they don't factor in the staffing shortages and issues since you're pushing so many people out. I mean, all of it's so manipulative. Yeah. So one example of that, there's a, there's a historic clip of Deborah Burke saying flat out that anybody that dies with COVID will be considered to have died of COVID. Mm -hmm. And then there is the PCR um, manipulation through the cycle number so that it's easy to call somebody as being COVID positive, even if they're not, it's gone on. And then there is this huge stack of financial incentives that are provided to hospitals and doctors, by the way, they're paying doctors directly to uh, support the dominant narrative. They're getting cash in the form of thousands of dollars. If the pharmaceutical industry did this directly, it would be a crime. Right. Absolutely a crime. But doctors are getting paid to go along with the dominant narrative. Hospitals are getting paid to overrepresent who's in, who is in dying of this disease rather than having been infected potentially within the hospital also. So they get a big bonus. They get a big bonus if they treat with remdesivir, which requires a longer inpatient stay. They're, they're, you know, the, it costs in the range of three hundred to four hundred thousand dollars on average in hospitalization expenses to treat a patient with COVID, okay? But in the back, in the hospitals generally now have previously would disclose what their profit margins were. The, all that information is being hidden now. They're making money hand over fist on this thing. They have strong financial incentives in continuing. It's not just, not just the pharmaceutical industry. It is all up and down the entire pharmaceutical, uh, medical, complex food chain. Everybody is making big cash off of this, except the people that are out there trying to treat people with inexpensive drugs. But in uh, people like me that are running around saying, hey, the house is on fire, please pay attention. That's, that's where we're at. So all the data is distorted. Pathologists have will not do autopsies. Hospitals will not pay for autopsies. So the traditional way to figure out what's going on is not available. It is layers and layers and layers of information management and manipulation here in the United States so that we don't have accurate information. Which is why we end up in all these food fights. Right. But, but just to kind of review back and bring it back to that video that you sent me, 
Uh, they talk about how eventually throughout history, every totalitarian approach does end up eating its own essentially and doesn't succeed. They, they end up destroying themselves. And I feel like every so often, other than glaringly obvious examples that you already uh, spoke of that we are seeing glimpses and peaks of like, Oh my goodness, like this is happening. They're really digging your own grave. And I think recently on the hidden data narrative, uh, just this case with the FDA is one of those cases. Cause I am thinking who in the right mind could defend hiding data for 55 years. And this is all as yep. a result of the attorney. He can't sue uh, Pfizer or Moderna or anything because of since Reagan, it, particularly you cannot sue those companies for adverse uh, effects. So he went after uh, the FDA and with this FOIA request. And it's, it's so shocking that they're asking for 55 years. It's, it's one of those things. It's like, okay, come on now, who in the right mind could defend that? Right. It's as if, uh, um, we're talking about the data uh, regarding the assassination of JFK. Uh, you know, that's, it, but even more so, right? This, so Pfizer, I, I, I wonder about that. I wonder what the terms and conditions are that the U.S. government has signed with Pfizer. Because I know the contracts that Pfizer has signed. So to, to your point, just to pick at this, we're dealing with a vaccine it has a risk profile that makes it a set of vaccines that makes it so that the vaccine companies will not manufacture and sell the vaccine to any company who doesn't agree to complete indemnification. They have to be completely protected from risk or they won't do it. Okay. That is not the sign of a safe and effective product. Uh, and, and, you know, many of these have terms and conditions in them that require that any safety data be hidden for long periods of time. And you got to wonder about that 50-year clause, whether there's some agreement within the government that makes it so that by contract, they have entered into an agreement with Pfizer that they're going to hide all this stuff from all of us for a very long period of time as part of that agreement. I, that's all I can think of because it is so egregious. Uh, I, I don't know what else to say. So you're right. That's that's a, a super example. Um, and I just yet- don't know how anyone could defend that. Like who in their right mind could defend that? I mean, if they're like, well, it, it would take it would take a lot of time and it would take a lot of effort. It's like, well, then how did we get it approved so fast? How did we get it reviewed so fast? You know, I mean, right. I just feel like there's that's one of those situations that like is. So, so Peter so McCullough is involved in that lawsuit. Uh, and, and I, so I was with him over the weekend because he spoke at the same conference and we rode back and forth, stayed in the same hotel, et cetera. Um, and he's, he's also incensed over this. And he says, well, their excuse is that it's such a huge number of pages, uh, that they, you know, would have to review that and make it available and it would take you forever to read it, et cetera, et cetera. He's like, that's no excuse. But to your point, if it's that many pages and that hard to review, how come they were able to flip it so quick? Exactly. Uh, I, the, there's just, well, we know. We know that this is a transparent attempt to hide the truth. That's, that's what it gets down to. And so this is another thing that uh, my wife, Joel Glassfield, doctor, is, is on right now, is uh, 
we're creating the Malone Institute, which is focused on integrity in science and medicine. And uh, it it comes out, if you'll allow me to tell the story, there was a when we were in, in Oahu and in, in Maui, we were approached by a group of of common, you know, average folks who were involved in the construction trades. And they said, Dr. Malone, we have to talk to you. Come meet with us on October 20th, it was, which is my birthday. So we go to their little meeting and they roll out this thing that they call the Malone Doctrine. And I'm overwhelmed. It is a set of principles that are built on their their understanding of building codes. And they brought out the Universal Building Code book and they said, this is what we all use all over the world if we want to make sure that a building has integrity, structural integrity, right? So it doesn't collapse when there's a hurricane or something, right? Um, and they said, the problem is that our entire system lacks integrity right now in terms of medical research and decision-making and public health. It all lacks integrity. It was an interesting play on words, kind of a double entendre, and yet it was dead on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they came up with this set of principles that, that conflicts of interest have to be clearly established. All the data has to be open and transparent, et cetera, et cetera. And they rolled this out, and, and Jill and I read it and signed it. We were like, good heavens, mm-hmm. you guys have got to the underlying essential truth of this. It is the same in a fundamental way as ensuring that a structure has integrity, that it won't fall down. There are certain principles that you and I both know. We know it in our bones, how we were raised, that this is what's right and this is what's wrong. And one of them is you don't lie about stuff. And um, we have come, the best way I can express it is the culture of DC has become universal. This culture of where everything is subject to uh, whoever's got the most money wins and uh, lobbyists and influence peddling and dishonesty and kind of uh, situational ethics and all of that has become the norm throughout our whole society. And sitting on top of this whole stack of, of ugly that has pervaded our entire culture, okay? maybe with some exceptions to faith-based communities, but Sitting on top of this is a situation in which all the funding, all the money, all the capital has been consolidated into this small number of organizations that no longer care about nation states. They aren't American. They're not British. They're not French. They're not European. They're not South American. They don't care. They're completely amoral. BlackRock is apparently in tight as a tick the Chinese Communist Party. Apparently, according to my friends at Heritage Foundation, there's going to be a bunch of information rolling out about that in the next couple of months. Mm. And they are, it is immoral. The money only cares about one thing, return on investment. That's it. And if it can go elsewhere, if it can go to um, Indonesia or Vietnam or China or wherever, get a better return on investment, it'll go there. Mm-hmm. And uh, you and I are, are but cattle. 
we're just, you know, pawns in in this world that the likes of Bill Gates run. And uh, that, I think, is what's really behind this. And at this new foundation that we're building, the website should go live soon, we're calling it. We've argued and argued about the name. You know, is it going to be the Integrity the Institute or whatever? And, and Jill was like, it's going to be the Malone Institute. And I said, all right, fine. It seems egotistical. But uh, and it's all things. But it's usually these- the most simple answer is the best answer. And and anytime people have a name for their show is that you, people usually just end up calling it the person. So I think it's good advice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but that's I think that's what we really have to fight now is is at a deep fundamental level. There is this broad sickness in our culture, and uh, it, it has to do with conditional morality and, um, or, or amorality. And, and the idea, we've taken the idea of the white lie, and I'm sure you're not completely open and transparent with your husband, um, if we're honest, or with your children. We, we talk about Santa Claus, right? We talk about the Easter Bunny. And there's a whole host of white lies that we all tell from time to time in order to maintain our relationships with the world. That's different from, and we all know it from this situation in which people are okay with lying. Uh, and, um, and that's, I think we got to fix that somehow. So I, in, I can't, I'm not going to create a new uh, world health organization like Tess Lowry is <laughs> trying to do or whatever. Um, but, uh, I think trying to work on, on, um, integrity in medicine and public health is something that, that I potentially can do. And I think that that's why you've been so easy to listen to is because you haven't taken a huge extreme. You're still a vaccine advocate. You got the vaccine yourself. You're you would not be anti an anti-vaxxer, uh, according to the original definition of the words. They, they try and manipulate the definition of words as well. And here, your main thing has been bioethics and integrity, which leads me to a question I was asked to ask you specifically from a viewer, and they uh, wanted to know, being that you were involved at the forefront of the technology of the mRNA technology, which is what these vaccines were built on, built upon, what safeguards were put in place to protect us against misuse of these technology, technological advances? Um, was it ever discussed? Was it ever dreamt of that there could be misuse for this technology? So that was the question I was asked to ask you is, so was there any It's safeguards a great question. And Christy, I've just noticed that my cell phone is about out of juice. So I made, <laughs> and we may have to break a segment, but, um, so the, your your viewer has asked a key question about uh, basically research ethics and um, and willingness to to use technologies for both good and bad. And uh, there are rules and regulations. That's part of what has got me so incensed is the rules and regulations are being disregarded willy nilly. Um, all the, the things that I've been taught for decades and have to live under, uh, that doesn't seem to apply anymore. Um, uh, beyond that, as is seen uh, 
with the lab leak and and the gain of function research, et cetera. It's been my experience, there's always people in my technology space that feel entitled to do stuff and to break the rules. And um, uh, we are in a situation in which the Biowarfare Treaty, as it was signed, is inadequate. Absolutely. And uh, our government and other governments are well aware where the holes are. And if we ever get out of this and the people actually regain control of the government again, one of the things we've got to fix is that biowarfare treaty. And we have got to put penalties in place so that this kind of manipulation of organisms that gave rise to this virus, I'm convinced. And I, you know, I don't, uh, hopefully you and Glenn Beck get along. The Glenn Beck special the other day, last week, on Blaze TV, uh, concerning what went on in Wuhan and the uh, reverse engineering or gain-of-function research is well worth listening to. I found it useful. Uh, it's a very serious take on it. It's not his usual hyperbole. And um, we got a problem. Uh, and it's fascinating that that problem extends, in this case, clearly to Dr. Fauci, but uh, also to the U.S. Department of Defense and DARPA, DITRA and DARPA. And, uh, and even though we have these restrictions historically, uh, we have a government that is willing to disregard those rules. And I think we all want to see penalties. I mean, we've seen Fauci outright lie. <laughs> we've seen Merrick Garland outright lie. And so there's a fresh underlying frustration that, that we're not seeing any, any penalties. Do you have any confidence that we will? Um, uh, I had some very interesting conversations with senators last week uh, that I won't go into because it's all pending. Uh, but even Rand Paul now, I think, is pretty much on the warpath. Uh, and Mike Lee uh, and um, Ron Johnson. And uh, I think that we're having more and more senators uh, from the Republican side. I can tell you that the Heritage Foundation is on fire over this. And uh, um, and there are... The things are heating up. You're are, feeling hopeful. I, I, I am cautiously optimistic that, that people will be held accountable. But the timeline on that is I don't see that happening before the next election. Mm, wow. OK, that's interesting. Um, and then I know that you're running out of juice and we covered most of the topics I wanted to. So um, we can end on this unless there was anything else that you wanted to add. But I just wanted to to hear from you how the um, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. book is being received and, and or how you expect it to be received. So that's, that's thanks for asking. That's another fascinating story. Uh, and and. I would love to be able the even the introduction section on that is so powerful. Everybody should read it, frankly. Uh, so it's now number one on Amazon in sales. Uh, it's climbing up uh, the New York Times uh, list. And there has been virtually no mainstream media coverage of it at all, full stop. Of course. <laughs>
if you wanted an example of of the coordinated suppression of information, that's it. But the book is a bombshell. And uh, everybody that, that takes the time even to start reading it is gobsmacked. Uh, he, he is, Bobby Kennedy is on fire in this book. Um, you know, he went and spoke in Milan, in Italy, huge crowd to hear him. He, he is on fire. This is, this is all he's dealing with right now is uh, trying to resist what's going on right now and speaking truth. And, and he has pulled up an amazing, carefully documented history of, of all of the malfeasance and corruption that's gone on. He's the one that came up with a comment. Uh, Tony Fauci is the J. Edgar Hoover of FBI fame and corruption of our generation. Absolutely. And uh, I... Uh, thanks for, How long do you think it will last on Amazon, though? <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm shocked that Amazon is carrying it and is putting it out there. I I will see. It's been <laughs> translated into a lot of different languages. There's an audiobook version. There's a Kindle book version. It's selling briskly. I can't predict what's going to happen. I can just say, get the book, read it. Um, it's going to change your vision of of what's really going on, and. Uh, I don't, I don't want to say you should just believe Bobby Kennedy. When I spoke to Bobby after we finished editing it, and I helped him with the edits, uh, um, he said, Robert, what do you think is going to happen to the book? And I said, well, of course, it's, it's going to be censored. And he said, of course, it's going to be censored. Um, but what he said was, what I hope is that people will read it, and it will give them a different way of thinking about things, a different framework. And then they will start asking questions and doing their own discovery and coming up with their own opinions. And that's when things will explode. Mm -hmm. So it's his intention that it's just a starting point for people, not the end point. It's not the the true true. It's a starting point for journalists like yourself. They're still interested in investigative journalism to take what he's put out there, verify things, know, trust, but verify, and then build on it. Um, and let's, let's, you know, we can't fix stuff that we don't know about that's, that's broken. Um, that's, I think that's a key part of how we have to rebuild integrity is we have to ferret out where the corruption is. Um, and uh, I thank you for what you're doing and honor you for that and uh, for your fortitude. And we thank you for um, speaking out and being brave and continuing to to dig deeper. Um, it, it's it's awesome to see, and I think it's encouraging everyone else in the process. And so we look forward to your um, next website coming out that really pushes the integrity of things. And again, can you remind us what we should be looking out for for that? Um, so uh, it will be uh, the Malone Institute, but in the short term, I'm now the chief medical and, and – uh, um, regulatory officer at the Unity Project. That's a good one for all of us. So that's unityprojectonline.org. And then there's the International Coalition of Physicians and Scientists. That's the globalcovidsummit.org. So those are three sites that you can, two sites you can visit. And then there's the usual Twitter feed and everything else. 
Um, so I look forward to our next chat. Yeah, so do I. And so my final thought is keep on pushing, keep on uh, trying to break the hypnosis with the other narrative. Do you have a final thought? <laughs> nope, that's, that's what we're doing is traveling, 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 and trying to speak truth and, uh, and using podcasts and all these other ways to tunnel through the official narrative. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you for your time. And yes, I look forward to our, our next chat. Have a good afternoon. Okay. Be good. Bye-bye. Tony, I think we made it to intermission here. Yep. Yep, we did. All right. So looking from the selection on the menu of intermission, I would say I would lean toward, I mean, Jay Dyer, honorable mention for MK Ultra that history that he did on band video, but I would lean toward, I didn't get to see the Aaron and Melissa Dykes uh, resurrect the dead on Saturn surrogates in the meta view, metaverse future. I only saw the first five minutes of that. So uh, that, and maybe the statistician afterwards or the statistician. Yeah, first. I mean, th- we have a couple of different things we could do here. Actually. What do you so, got? What do you got? So I'll let Chef's you make the decision. Special. We could, so the way I have the intermission um, organized is if you were to play it in order, at least the first three clips, it would make mm-hmm. a lot of sense, but that's too long. And like, I kind of, so I was thinking uh, we could get a couple different things here because basically you take the statistician and you combine it with the sort of visceral anecdote that Dell provides. We can skip that. You people can go and check out what happened with um, um um, that lady's father, Gina Doan, I believe her name was Doan. And, um, it's very tragic and how serendipitously Deborah Conrad, the various whistleblower was the nurse that actually called her was that worked at that hospital where her father was, was killed by the vaccine. Um, and talked to, they, they did refuse to put on that the vaccine had any, even though he had just vaccinated, I mean, within 48 hours, he's vaccinated. It's a, it's a crazy story, but the statistician hits home to what Robert Malone was saying. Well, technically, Tony, he had been jabbed, but he's not vaccinated for two weeks after the jab. Right. And that's what the statistician will get into about how they're how they're fudging the data to make it look like it's not the unvaccinated when it's not. And it's a very I think we need to get that on the record. That's just too important. Yeah, I think so. Because they say like uh, like Tony, if uh, if if I stab you and uh, you die in the first 14 days, then it's not from the stabbing. But if you die after the 14 days, that's also not the stabbing. So it doesn't make any sense. Right. You're exactly right. And that's what's going on in America. And with the NHS in the UK, it's different. They actually, the second year jab, you're counted as being vaccinated and they're still fudging the numbers. So he shows this how egregious it is just in the UK and how that can be extrapolated out to the way they're fucking with the the numbers in the world, especially what we're doing in America, because we take 14 days before you say your jab. So they would be even easier to fuck with the data, which is exactly what he shows. So that's really important. I think we, especially in lieu of so many uh, clips, we when showed do that people are, fudge the numbers. When does that happen? When they're lying, when they have a contrived uh, end goal, the, so they start with the, the goal and then they have to backwards engineer the science basically. Um, the other thing we could do. So I was thinking we could, so the resurrected dead game is fascinating, but I haven't gotten a chance to go through it. I was thinking we could save that for next week's intermission. It just released today, and I could build out a Saturnalian. We could because they don't a Saturnalian uh, thing. Because I think there's a couple of clips I could provide from some other history things that provide the Saturnalian Roman context, and then we get into the cult of Sat. Like I, I was thinking about that as I put it on there, 
Um, and then we could maybe play the, the statistician in a little bit of Jay Dyer, or we could play the statistician in a little bit of the metaverse. I'm down with either, but I was thinking I could maybe build out that Saturnalian Let's go statistician and Jay Dyer save Saturnalian death call for right after Christmas. And, yes. Uh, yeah, we'll do that. I'll get, a, I'll get a Jordan Maxwell clip or two together or something. Yeah, we'll make a we nice go. intermission on why judges wear black robes. That would be fantastic, actually. That would be fantastic. So there's a lot of really interesting history clips we could show about the Roman context and then how it sort of has expanded into what is a bench? Day mystery school. And is there a correlation to a bank? Is there a bank behind there? We shall see. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. So intermission, we're going to learn with uh, Dell Big Tree and the statistician. Yep. We'll do we'll that. Get the one. Ner- nerdy stuff up front, and then we'll get the nerdy stuff on the the far end with Jay and MK ultra yep. and like state of mind and psychology controlling you type stuff. And the only clip we have to get to intermission is that there's a four minute, really good clip on the occult origins of Santa that we have to get on the record. <laughs> we have to do it. It's Christmas. We just have to. So don't make so. me break out the books. I have uh, when Santa was a shaman in the other room. I was just going to grab that in the library. Yeah. I got all or, the books. Yeah. So they don't go into the shaman, but they go into every single other case of it from Mithra to, um, you know, Dionysus and, and so forth and so on. St. Nicholas as well. And all the permutations and variations, so all cultures and history. And I was like, well, we'll do that and maybe have a quick little deep dive into the shamanistic, which is the oldest formulation of where, so it's a mixture of like fertility rites, sun worship and shamanist. Shamanism what is that? It sounds like it's the opposite of, depopulation agenda fertility rights i know right are the people with the depopulation agenda destroying the fertility rights that have existed and brought human beings this far discuss amongst yourselves all right let's go to intermission and uh get with the statistician see how i did that oh shit wrong one um oh it's gonna be the right one i rhymed rhymed. it has to work no you rhymed it are we talking about highlighted the wrong the mathematician I highlighted the wrong one. Yeah, sorry about That's that. That's okay. Uh, I good call. Good that you called that. Sorry. I uh, I deduced that this was the one. <laughs> nice hat, by the way, bro. Very festive. <laughs> well, look, I had to take the beanie off. I don't know how that guy does it. It's great beanie, but you got cans <laughs> over it. Yeah. My my ears were just flattened. Ah. I, I needed to. Uh, All right. Since you're in the Christmas spirit, I got a hat to wear too. You'll see my hat after after intermission. So after intermission, we got Santa coming. We got a whole bunch of Santa and hats and Christmas joy and magic and maybe a I've got a, lighting. I've got a Santa Santa sold shrooms book. I can pull that up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone, bring their Santa. Uh, so I'm going to go to my library and come artifacts. Yeah, we'll have a tug of war with <laughs> artifacts when we get back celebrate the merry holidays merry mandates happy lockdowns i want to talk about this issue that we keep dealing with right every time you turn on the news every time you turn on the view they're saying the same ridiculous statement pandemic of the unvaccinated this is what that looks like doctors call it a pandemic among the unvaccinated I'm worried about the way the winter's going to go, and I'm worried about the people who are unvaccinated. Pretty much everyone who's unvaccinated is going to expect to get sick. The hospital says the majority of their COVID-related deaths are among patients who are unvaccinated. About two-thirds of the patients that are there, either on oxygen or in ICU, 
uh, are actually the unvaccinated. The real problem, I think, right now in this country is that we need to vaccinate the unvaccinated. All right. You know, this is a I mean, we've been showing you all of the information coming out of Israel, you know, coming out of uh, Gibraltar, these places that are far more vaccinated than we are. And where you look at those places, they're saying things like 60 to 80 percent of the people in our hospitals and those that are dying are vaccinated. So it's curious why the UK and, and America seem to have a different perspective on this. And we've been confused. You know, I've talked about we have different theories on what might be happening here, but it'd be really great if someone could crunch the numbers. And where would you find it? If they're hiding the data or if they're accidentally somehow manipulating the data or, or missing data, data and and putting you know the vaccinated deaths in the wrong column how would you find it well as it turns out we ran into a brilliant article that came out just over a week ago this is the headline on that article the latest statistics on england mortality data suggest systematic miscategorization of vaccine status and uncertain effectiveness of covid19 vaccination this is Norman Fenton, who has been studying this data. He is from the UK, a professor of risk information. But Norman Fenton has been putting out the data, looking at what we've talked about this before. We can look at COVID deaths and we can look at COVID infections and all of that. We get PCR testing. It's very confusing, but certainly there'd be another way to look at it. And that way would be through all cause mortality. I'm joined now by Professor Norman Fenton. All right. Hi. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thanks. All right. Thanks good. Thank you for joining us today. Now, you have a little bit of a history, right, of writing papers based on mortality data. You've been talking about this pandemic in many different ways. So just tell me a little bit about your background and what interested you and what types of things you've been reporting. Well, because uh, my research team specializes in uh, analytic data analytics and risk assessment it was inevitable and we were also involved in a major collaborative project which was doing sort of med improved medical uh medical um decision making risk decision making okay. it was kind of inevitable that we would get involved in the analysis of covid data right from the start and we just looked at the publicly available data the stuff that was coming from different governments and initially the work we did was not controversial we were looking at in case rates, infection rates, and we we were very well published. You know, our, our, our material got published in prestigious journals. It was yeah, widely distributed. There was no yep. problem with that. But as soon as when around about September 2020, the entire COVID narrative was we saw it was being driven by this fundamentally flawed um, idea of equating a COVID case with a positive PCR test. Right. So when they started mass testing asymptomatic people, the case numbers were, were being driven up and the uh, with this mass testing. And yeah. because they were also talking about, because they were classifying hospitalizations and deaths associated with these PCR tests. So for example, you know, a COVID death was classified as anybody who died within 28 days of a positive PCR test. Right, whether so they had a heart the, attack or a brain aneurysm exactly. or a, even a car accident, we've heard stories that because they'd had a positive COVID test 28 days earlier, 
then they, the death certificate or the death gets reported as a COVID death. And we've been complaining, just so you know, on the high wire, we've been discussing that here in the United States of America. We changed our death certificates here so that where it used to be an underlying cause, you died of cancer, you died of, you know, heart disease, complications of those, but the complication was pneumonia or something brought on by the flu or COVID. Now COVID was the cause of death. And we've been saying certainly that is muddying up the data and, and, and changing the way we've looked at it since the beginning of time. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, even, and also hospitalization. So in the UK, anybody who tests positive 14, within 14 days before admission to hospital, for whatever reason, is classified as a COVID hospitalization. And of course, wow. they're tested on entry to hospital and then more or less, you know, very frequently afterwards. And if they test positive at any time during that period, that's a COVID hospitalization. It's a bit, it's a bit like the Eagle song, Hotel California. You can check in, check out any time you want, but you can never leave. So it's, <laughs> wow. it's, a, it's, a, it's a problem. So, yeah. um, so anyway, so the point is that we then started to, to write papers which were raising concerns, which were identifying kind of like anomalies in the reporting okay. and really um, looking at these kinds of exaggerated figures. And we were looking at other, you know, a lot of things didn't look right when you compared the case numbers of the government was producing and then compared that with the data on, for example, triages that the people were actually calling ambulance service for, um, okay. for COVID conditions. The they just didn't and match all those up. Things. Right, got it. And, and so as soon as we started doing that, we, we could no longer get our stuff published. We couldn't even get it. We couldn't even get it. We'd send it to the journals and it would be rejected without review. We couldn't even get it accepted onto a preprint service, which accept anything because that's the whole point. You, it's stuff which should, you just put up there before review. So, right. you know, that's, 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 a, that's a sort of a separate issue, but we've, we've plugged away. We're, we're still, you know, we're still publishing the stuff. We put it on research. Day. It actually gets very, very well read there. Um, so we're not that yeah. bothered about, you know, about the, about where this goes, as long as, yeah. as long as our research is actually read. So that's what we've been doing. And that's, that's, that's culminated recently with the whole vaccination stuff. We, we weren't looking at particular vaccinations at all. I didn't really have any, any, any strong view about them. I thought it was great when, you know, when the, the vaccine came around, I thought this would be excellent. But as we dug into the data, we started to look at the, the like the VAR, a colleague of mine, uh, Scott McLachlan led again a very well-known paper now on analysis of the VAERS data, um, yeah. looking at that. And then we decided that we were also very suspicious, very suspicious of these studies, all of the studies, both the the randomised trials and also the observational studies, which were claiming the the vaccine was very effective at stopping transmissions. And when we looked at those, there were all kinds of problems. There were all kinds of problems with those studies. And we felt actually that the best way to determine whether the vaccines were, well, basically safe and effective and, you know, was to look at all-cause mortality. So over a period of time, when you compare the vaccinated and the unvaccinated, we should clearly be seeing fewer deaths amongst the, amongst the vaccinated right. than the unvaccinated. So you just, so that's you the, just the idea. COVID that's deaths out, you just said... We don't care where they're categorizing them. Let's just look at all cause, like all the causes yeah, of death that are out there. Exactly. Because look, if COVID is as deadly as claimed, yep. and if the vaccine is as effective as claimed, then what you should be seeing is that for COVID deaths, there should be a significantly lower number of COVID deaths. Right. Okay. So you've got yeah, some great graphs here. So take us through this. Yeah, this is so how you sort of explain it 
uh, in your work? Yeah, so this is this, these are the COVID deaths. So okay. if the vaccine is as effective, if, if, if COVID is deadly as claimed, if the vaccine is effective as claimed, then you're going to see more, you're going to see a lot more deaths amongst the unvaccinated right. than the vaccinated as yes. far as COVID deaths are concerned. Yes. And similarly, but alternatively, if the vaccine is as safe as claimed, right, then, okay, there's going to be a few, a small number of adverse reactions, but you should see only a few more deaths amongst the unvaccinated and vaccinated. So now right. what so we're going to do so is we're going to So you're giving room for the fact that there might be a few injuries that to be expected yeah, from it's a small group of people. Exactly. So there might be an uptick. Otherwise, this should be even. It could be even or just a little bit more in the vaccinated yeah, because we're exactly. talking about they're going to have the same amount of heart attacks, going to have the same amount of brain aneurysms and all the other reasons you die just with COVID. If we're going to be specific, specific about that, you would assume that the unvaccinated are going to share the larger burden of COVID yeah, deaths. Okay, exactly. that makes sense. So when you now add, we're going to add them together, we're going to just, just put them all together. So what we're looking now at is the all-cause death. So this is our all-cause right. mortality. We don't care whether these are, we're, you know, we're lumping together, whether it's a COVID death, whether it's a non-COVID death. Got it. Put and them so all what, you should be, what you should be seeing, the net effect of that is that you should be seeing more deaths amongst the unvaccinated than vaccinated. And incidentally, this should be in each, you know, for, for different age groups, yeah. okay? If it's different for different age groups, then you'll see, well, maybe there are different, maybe the vaccines has more benefit in some age groups than others. So that's, we should be doing this. That's what we want to do this for every different age group. Okay? okay. And this completely bypasses, it completely bypasses all the problems with the other studies where you've got to worry about, oh, what's the definition of a, a case, right? And right. here we simply say a vaccinated person is anybody who's had at least one jab, basically. Okay. All right. Great. So Because obviously in the, first, in the first two weeks, Again, as you, I think I was p picked up on, on your previous discussion about yeah. in that those first two weeks, they, they, you know, they try and ignore, they try and say, well, okay, we won't count those people as vaccinated. You know, same bad happens to them. They're unvaccinated. Right. Well, no, because if adverse reactions happen, they actually happen very, of any vaccine, they're likely to happen, more likely to happen in that Exactly. Period. If we're going to be an injury from a vaccine, as they say themselves, they admit themselves that they don't need to do long-term studies because the issues you see with vaccinations happen within the first couple of weeks. Only we're yeah. going to put all those issues into the unvaccinated category. At least that's yeah. what they're doing here in the United States of America. But so, so you looked at this data. You actually decided to take a look at the data. So let, let's see yeah, what so you before found. I come onto the Yeah, before I want to come on to the data that we looked at, okay. I just want to... You can bring up the, the, the slide of the of the data which published yeah. from a, a different part. Of the, there we go. That's that the it? one. That's yeah. the one. And then if what well, if this so this was published by Public Health England, or I think they're also called the United Kingdom Health and Security Authority. Now they keep okay. changing the names of these things, right? But this right. was this was a government publication, and uh, this was at the same time as we looked at the mortality data. This is looking at effective. This is looking at vaccine effectiveness in terms okay. of the infection rate of the vaccinated against the unvaccinated. And what you okay. can see here, what you can see here let's is that- highlight it. Click, let's go to the next slide. Let's highlight it. There we yeah, go. Yeah, so highlight okay. that. So, um, so what I yeah, see so what is, I, I see rates amongst persons vaccinated yeah. with two doses compared to rates amongst persons not vaccinated. And from 30 to 39, it appears that, uh, and this is per 100,000. So this is, they, they break this down. So you can't say it's a comparison based on populations. One per 100,000, there's 956 cases amongst the vaccinated and only 751 in the not vaccinated. And that continues exactly. to trend. Look and at the next one, 40, 49. This is their own data. This is on showing that the vaccinated are getting more infections than the unvaccinated. Yeah, and it's, and it's true. Notice it's true for, for each age category because it's important. Wow. 
it's important that we have to do these things for each age category because right. otherwise you get this thing called age confounding. So where the problem is that older people are more likely to die or get infected or whatever with the death stuff particularly. Well, let's be clear because we, we get, and by the way, folks, this is, this is what I want to call these, you know, segments in the weeds. We like to get in the weeds because we want to make sure you have the truth. You're not going to just get some headline here. We're going to get in the details. But when you talk about that issue with age, obviously the elderly are more at risk. Those were the, truly the ones that were at risk. Almost everybody else, yep. very, very low yep. risk. But yet a high-risk group, they were also the first ones vaccinated so you could see that, you know, they're being the first ones vaccinated. They're also the ones that are the most frail. So they could be vaccinated. They die first. And then it looks like the younger people that haven't been vaccinated yet, that the unvaccinated are doing better. But what you're really comparing is youth to the elderly yeah, versus vaccinated exactly. to unvaccinated. And that would be a problem. That's why, we, that's why we have to do it by different age categories. Okay, got it's it. The, and incidentally, so going back, just, just going back to that okay. slide there, the point is that for every one of the, every one of the age categories above 30, yeah. the the infection rate amongst the fully vaccinated was a lot was quite a lot higher than amongst the unvaccinated. Yeah. Now that's quite shocking given people think, well, okay, this is this is ridiculous. Now there was a lot of controversy about this because some ex people were saying, oh, well, the government was using unreliable data, they should have used the ONS data, not the NIMS data. But when we looked at all the data was unreliable. You couldn't say one was more well, reliable than the other. But well, let's be clear. This, this is the data the that they're data. reporting when they're saying on the news, well, the, the government, exactly. the CDC says, and the NHS says that get your vaccine because it's clearly better to be vaccinated. Their own data thrown up on websites is showing uh, the opposite to be true. Okay. Exactly. And now, so, so now we say, well, let's forget about vaccine effectiveness because they they're then saying, well, forget about that. Okay, they admit that it doesn't stop infections of the vaccine, but it stops you from dying or it stops you from being right. hospitalized with a okay. serious condition. Hence, hence, yeah, we're going to look at the mortality data. And the Office for National Statistics in the UK now has published, and this is the report that we focus on and done the analysis okay. on, has published, published uh, last month the, the data on mortality rate by, vac by vaccination status okay. and age category, because before they hadn't done it by age category. And so because you had that, that age confounding effect, we couldn't really do a proper analysis okay. and a proper comparison. Now, what they did is if you now click on it, you'll see what they did, yeah. the age categories, although it was crude. So we, what you can see is that if you click now, that, that they didn't provide us with a, a proper age categorization. Obviously not as thorough as you no. would expect people to be no. in the middle of a pandemic that truly want to understand what's going on. Let's go age category 10 to 59. I mean, 18 and less is a zero death rate. So it's hard to imagine why you would group that in with someone 59 years old, unless you're still trying to make a yeah. mess of things. <laughs> and, and remember, they only provided this because we put in a, a freedom of information request and also okay. spoke to the authors of, this, of the previous version of this report. But at least we've got that. So for the, at least we've got something decent we can work on for the older age categories, okay. right? So yep. what we're going to do, we start to look at the data. Well, let's look at the 10 to 59 category. Okay. And there you have, the all-cause mortality rate. So this is a plot each week of the number of deaths per 100,000 in okay. the, comparing the unvaccinated to the vaccinated. And this looks bad for the vaccination because you can see it's much higher. But right. no, this doesn't tell us anything, right? And it's because it's too big an age group. You can't really make any conclusions, again, because the people most in that age group, 10 to 59, the people most likely to die are the older people, you know, the, the right. 50s to 90, to 59s, yeah. right? And they're also the ones more likely to be vaccinated. The yeah. younger ones at this stage throughout weren't, right? So right. this, we can't, 
I mean, actually, people have picked up on this and said, my God, this is evidence that the vaccine is really terrible. It's really killing people. No, no, this this graph doesn't. Although it looks like you're it's being, saying you're, that. You, you, look, you're making this point. If you were, if you had an agenda, you could throw this out there and say, look, I've proved yeah. it. That's not your goal. We're not trying to manipulate yeah. it. You want to get this right. You're saying, look, I can see the anomaly right there, and I can explain it. I can explain it by the fact that the unvaccinated are healthier, they're younger, they're more likely to do well no matter what you do. The vaccinated are going to be the older, sicker people. But you take it a step further, right? So let's get to that. Let's go to where you go to try and figure out what's really going on. Yeah. Okay. So let's now look, start looking at the 60, each of the older case. This is okay. either, each of the older age categories. So 60 right. to 69 age group here. Here you see it's flipped. Here, okay. the unvaccinated has a, high, has a higher mortality rate than the vaccinated, which okay. looks good for the vaccination. Right. But there's something wrong with this plot, which shows they can't, this, the, the data, there's something fundamentally wrong here, which is that you've got this peak which it's, happens to coincide, that high mortality that peak. Mount, that Mount Everest I'm looking at there, I'd be asking myself, no. what happened? Did a volcano break loose in the middle of the UK and wipe these people out? What is that? Well, what we know, what we know about that peak, and we'll see it clearly in some of the latest stuff, is that that coincides with when the vaccine uh, program rolled out at its peak to this particular age group. Okay. And you'll see a similar, similar pattern, but with a different peak in a different place okay. for the other age groups. So go on, go on to the next age group, Okay. the 70 to 79. There's the peak again. They were vaccinated earlier. They were vaccinated earlier, the, the peak. So that's where you see the peak of mortality, again, coinciding with the peak when the roll, vaccine rollout. Got okay? it. And if right. you do exactly the same, go to the 80 to 80 plus group. So they're all and seeing now see this peak same thing. at the exact, and, and at different times of the year, so you can't blame something else. It's for based on the age groups and when they were their vaccine program started, they're all yeah. having this peak in the unvaccinated who didn't receive the vaccine. Exactly. It's crazy. Now, people have said people have said, well, hang on a second. Isn't maybe 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 covid mortality is causing these peaks. But if you see on the next graph, you'll okay. see that's not the case. OK, because this is the this is looking for the 60 to 69 group. Uh, all deaths which have got nothing to do with covid. These are the non covid deaths. Right. Okay. So you've, got this, death. you've got this bizarre situation that the un, somehow when the vaccine rollout happens at its peak, the unvaccinated are dying of something other than COVID. And they're dying in huge greater, numbers. At a much greater rate than the vaccinated. It's, it's ridiculous. All right, so, so let's bring it back here. Just, for, just so for people that I think, you know, obviously we've looked at graphs. I've been talking to uh, Professor Fenton. But let's make this clear. If you're vaccinating, you know, a giant group of people, you would expect if there's some injuries from that vaccine for them to be, you know, seeing a little peak. But why would the group across the other side of the fence standing in a field having nothing to do with this vaccine, why would they be having a peak of death at the moment that the people getting the vaccines are getting the vaccine? It makes no sense unless those people... Unless Go ahead. We're misclassified. We're misclassified. So now we, I want to show you just a hypothetical example, because this really gets across the point of how very, very simple shifts in data or very simple okay. misclassifications... So you're saying produce what we know for sure is there's, there's got to be a misclassification happening here. That somehow there's a, there's a it, it, it's well actually in my in my hypothetical example, I, which if you well, let's go to the hypothetical. To it, let's do it. Okay. Yeah. The hype, in this example, right? I'm going to do something other than a misclassification, right? And then you want to see what happens. So okay. in this hypothetical example, what we're assuming 
is that there's a vaccine, a new vaccine is being rolled out to a population of 10 million people. Okay. But actually, it's not really a vaccine, it's just a placebo. It has no effect whatsoever. It doesn't increase or decrease deaths. It just, and if we assume that the mortality rate in this population is 50 per 100,000, then every week, right, we'd expect to see for every 100,000, we expect to see 50 people die. Got okay. It. And so we're, we're going to ramp, we're going to, we're going to put out this vaccination program, right? And, and, and so ramp it up. Both, both, both groups are the same. Unvaccinated and vaccinated are the same. They both have 50. They're exactly identical. They're getting Got the same, they're, they're getting the same thing, right? Okay. Vaccinated, unvaccinated, exactly the same, right? But they just okay. think that there's a, a vaccine here. So as you can see, you know, in, in, in the first week, we start off with very few people vaccinated. So only 100,000 is only 50 deaths, right? Whereas a much larger number in the unvaccinated because it's a much bigger population. But the rate is still the same. There's still 50 per 100,000 die because that's the mortality rate for this population. Got it. And as, as you go on each week, you're getting a higher proportion, increasingly higher number of people getting vaccinated. And therefore, right. a higher proportion of those while the unvaccinated number that are unvaccinated says they're exactly. taking from the column. But the, Once you're vaccinated, the, you're no longer in the unvaccinated column. So that's going down. Okay. Right. But the mortality rate stays the same. Now, now here's the here's the little trick because this is neat. All I'm going to do now is say, well, let's suppose that the deaths, there's a delay in the death reporting. Let's just okay. suppose that that 50 in week one gets reported as number of deaths in week two and the hundred in week two and there you see and look what happens to the mortality rates i've done nothing other than shift the death reporting by one week and okay. what you see is somehow the vaccinated are suddenly uh, somehow you know less than half in at the beginning less than half the mortality of the so-called unvaccinated even though right. these are all getting the same stuff yeah. and look at the, the unvaccinated mortality rate starts to really peak you get this ridiculous peak there with 179, 248 wow. at the time when the vaccine rollout has peaked. Wow. And, and, and you if graph you just this out, that, right? You, you graph that out. What does that graph look like? When we graph out your hypothetical, just moving it one week, delay it one week, and there you are, you have a perfect peak that looks just like the peak that we are actually exactly, seeing in their exactly. data. And, and wow. this apparently, you've got this placebo. We know it's a placebo. It's a hypothetical right. example. We set it up like that. And yet... This has a, it's a miracle, it's a miracle. This placebo, this placebo is a miracle vaccine. You know, it's, it's saving people. Uh, uh, anyway, the pop now, the interesting thing about this, I should say that we don't think, we think that the, the death reporting in the ONS report wasn't delayed by a week. But if you, if when some, if someone dies shortly after a vaccination, like right. for example, if they die in the same week or a couple of weeks later, right? And if it's then not reported as being vaccinated, which we believe is likely, even yeah. though they say, oh, no, everybody, you know, they say if it's with if it's they'll classify someone as having a vaccination within 21 days. It means even if it's a day later, they'll still count, count that as a person. Well, let's be clear. Jack. Let's be clear. I mean, and I don't know if it's the same in, in England, but here in America, our CDC tells us we are not going to consider you vaccinated until 14 days. Do we have that? Can we bring no. that up? This is from our yep. own website when you've been fully yep. vaccinated. And it says you are uh, um, here. It is. If you don't meet these requirements, regardless of age, you are not fully vaccinated. You have to be two weeks after the second dose in a two dose series. So both 
Pfizer and Moderna. So that first month after the first shot, you're considered unvaccinated if you get sick and die. And then after you get your second shot, 14 days, two full weeks, if you get sick and die, you're going to land categorized in the unvaccinated column. So, and, and Johnson Johnson, the single doses, they wait till two weeks after that first single dose shot. And so that right there, you're saying that could create this exact same anomaly too, could. if now, you're just it, considering them. Okay. It would. In fact, if you just, if you just, if you just did it by one, even by one, but you get exactly identical figures to what I showed you and you can prove it's identical in my paper wow. or the my blog that does the proof, right? So it's exactly the same effect, right? Now, to be fair, I have to say that the ONS is telling us that no, that, 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 that we don't do that 14 day, that, that even if it's less than 14 days, they are supposed okay. to be, if they, if they die, they're supposed to be recorded as vaccinated. But right. we, you know, the way things work in the, in, 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 you know, in the hospitals and surgeries, if they die shortly after the, the paperwork, isn't going to all be submitted. It's, you know, it's very, right. un, it's actually, un, I think it's, un, it's, it seems to be, it's unlikely that all of that, um, information about especially, whether they got vaccinated is going to be there. Especially in situations where a person tends to go to a clinic or to their, their personal doctor to get vaccinated. If they end up in the ER or dying, they're in the nearest hospital. They could be in a different system. So many times what we're seeing is that you're only listed as having been vaccinated if you were vaccinated in the same hospital you end up in for your critical yeah. care. So right there you could yeah. see problems and anomalies. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So um, if we go on to the yeah. the, um, the next next slide, okay, here we go. Yeah, so so here's another. So now this is not the only weird. This is not the only reason to um, that demonstrates that the data is totally unreliable and there's something wrong going on here. Okay, okay, because look at this. This is these these plots are three different classes of vaccinated people. Where forget about the unvaccinated. These okay. are people who are vaccinated. Okay. So I mean I'm colorblind, but the the the, 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 the gray line the orange line is two dose top. mortality. Uh, the orange line is at least 21 days mortality with no COVID. And then the blue line is within so under 21 days mortality, no COVID. Right. Now these are non these are these these are all non this are, these are non-COVID yeah, these are non-COVID deaths, nothing yeah. to do with COVID, yeah. right? And these are different categories of, of, of vaccinated people. They should be the they same. They should all have the same. They should all be the same. And there's a, right. and, and I've got a line. We've looked at the life mortality table. So if you right. if you just click, you'll see that come up here. Okay, be, click, click on it. There we go. Through, so we go through, oh, these are the dead, because this is the thing. So next one. Okay, yeah. there we go. That's go what back. they should all be. Sorry, go, go back. Go back to that gray line. There we go. That's what so they should all should be. be. They should all be. And you expect a little bit of fluctuation, obviously, right? But they should all be around there. And yet, what you what have you got here? That second, the first dose seems to be really deadly, catastrophic, right? right. Whereas the, the you get the second dose, and suddenly you become you become immortal. Suddenly, this is a magic. This is a this is this is a cure for all all right. medical conditions. These people just don't die. Because and remember, just, folks, uh, these are not COVID deaths. These are just regular. Why is it should be affecting any of it? This is just where we're exactly. at. Your average person should be on that gray line. Why are we seeing these gigantic anomalies when we look at vaccine status? It shouldn't be affecting this category of other deaths, not COVID deaths. Exactly. All right. Amazing. Exactly. So, it's, it, so it just shows you problem. how I'm running up. It's a problem. The problem, the data is, you know, we don't know why, why the data has got so, so screwed up, whether it's just incompetence. I don't. I don't know why. I mean, we've got some hypotheses, but yeah. Anyway, but there are other things. There, it's not even the only. There's another. There are other problems. So Nick, I'll give you another really okay. weird example. All right. Of the data problem. So look at this. So 
This data, this data set is based on the 2011 census data in the UK. So it's all okay. people who were registered in the 2011 census and were registered with a general practitioner in 2019. Okay, that's so why it's only a subset. Data set. Okay. It's a very specific subset of the UK population, right? Yeah. And, and the reason that is because these, you've got good records on these people because you've got the GP records, right? So you should have good data, right? But the thing about it is because it includes no new people, no new people come into this, right? The death, the number, every time someone, the, the, the number of deaths in any one week, that number, the population of the next week should be exactly reduced by that amount. Should be exactly. subtracted out. They're now dead. They're not a part of the population any longer. But you have the exactly. deaths. You see total deaths, 14,537. You see the total population. But when you go down to the next number, it's like there's 10,000 extra people in the column that shouldn't be there. They should be dead. Only in the first, only in those first, so from April, whatever it is, April the, uh, the 9th, yeah. you get it right. There's no error. You've got the zero, you see the zeros in the right-hand yeah. column there, right? There are no errors. But there's some that they're adding. Where are these, each, you know, every week at the beginning, they're adding 10,000 people. I mean, I'm not saying this train massively changes anything. It just gives an indication of how thick this whole thing, why, why are they doing this? What's going on here? Is this, right. is it malicious? Is it incompetence? Are they trying to, trying to, you know, uh, portray things in a particular way it just shows you how unreliable the data is that's the point okay wow. and so therefore you know what we've got to do is hypothesize what the reasons are for these anomalies in the data and how we can adjust them that's that's what right. we're doing now so that's what we're gonna that's what the if you, i think we next look at the yeah. kind of like suggested hype if you go to ah yeah okay so what we've done here yeah this is fine so what we've done here is simply do the adjustment where we're making the assumption that the um, that, that there's that miscategorization. Unvaccinated, no COVID mortality on the orange line. The blue line is the adjusted vaccinated, no COVID mortality. But then you have two doses of vaccines in the gray dots and one dose of vaccines. And when you that's isolate just, that's them just that showing, way. Yeah, that's just showing when though. Those dots are just showing when the, the, when the uh, vaccination programs are rolled out. So it reached its okay. peak. Okay. the orange ones right Got it. so yep. that, that's just showing you when so that's just showing you when the rollouts were for this group right for the Got first it. dose and the second dose right yeah. so here you see with the first dose, as the first when the first dose was um was being rolled out right when we've done these when we've done these adjustments of the miscategorization and also adjusted this difference in the lifetime life table mortality figures right yeah they should, again, this should all be because this is yes yeah, non-covid mortality these should yep. all be flat along the same line right but you and it, you've got this peak at the beginning, right? Now, what yeah. is the explanation? Why Why are the vaccinated, so now we're seeing the vaccinated people right. are dying at, a higher, at this higher rate at the period when the vaccination program is rolled out for that group. Now, right. possible explanation, possible explanation. These are, in the UK, the vaccination program, they prioritized it in each age group for people who were the most at risk, right? The people with most comorbidities, the right. particularly frail, right? Yeah. They decided because those people were genuinely most at risk of dying from COVID, it yeah. made sense to vaccinate those people first, right? That's, right. That, that's why it was done, right? But of course, what we're seeing here is that it appears that those most frail people, what's happening, because you get that quick hit immediately yeah. when the vaccination is, is rolled out, it, a possible explanation, we're not saying this for sure, but it seems like the most reasonable explanation is that those people 
were because of the um, you know, their you know, problem with the immune system, whatever. Those are the people not only they're most at risk of COVID, but they're most at risk of the effects of the They vaccine. couldn't handle the vaccine. Like, you know, charging that's, up that's, their that's, immune that's, system. They were too frail. And exactly. Now, now, the ch- the probability is that those people, those people probably would have, those are the people who probably would have died within a few weeks anyway. Right. Okay. But it would just, the, because you, but with the vaccine just kind of like pushed, you know, could have pushed them, pushed them over the edge now. Right. Now, that, there is no other, we, you know, we looked at all the pos- other possible explanations. We looked at socioeconomic factors. We looked at, we, the paper looks at a whole load of stuff. Yeah. Other people, you know, other people, We've had people try and discredit us on this, right? Because okay. they offer a different explanation. And you know what their explanation is? What? Their explanation, they, they, they say, actually, the original graphs are correct. It is the unvaccinated who are dying at the time when they're rolling out the vaccine. And yeah. they're saying the reason is, oh, it's because, it's because those people who are close to death are chosen not to have the vaccine. Now, that we know that is not true in the UK. We know, right, we know that the people close to death were getting the vaccine, right? They right. were doing it. Oh, the, I see. So they were the, saying the those hospitals. who were close to death didn't get the vaccine, and therefore they were dying. They were going to die. But that they, was exactly they, somehow, here in America too. Those were the first people. If you got cancer, you got heart disease, you got to get this vaccine right away. All right, let's go to your conclusions. You list them out so that people yeah. can read them. Let's go to this conclusions page. Here we go. Here's your conclusions. Vaccine effectiveness studies are generally flawed because of the reliance on determining COVID vac- cases. The simplest and most objective way to determine overall risk benefit of the COVID vaccines is to compare all cause mortality between the vaccinated and unvaccinated. Latest ONS report on mortality by vaccine status should provide the necessary data, but is flawed in many ways, as we've pointed out. The anomaly is most easily explained by misclassification of some unvaccinated deaths as vaccinated. After adjusting for the misclassification, it appears that shortly after vaccination, people may be exposed to an increased mortality risk. All right. And whatever the explanation, the ONS data is both unreliable and misleading. Absent any better explanation, Occam's razor would support our conclusions, which is, you know, uh, you have inconsistencies in this data at the very least. At the very least, they cannot be using this data to say, look how great our vaccine is and you unvaccinated are at high risk. We know it because of our data. This data, when it's properly looked at, shows that there's actually a problem, uh, you know, that is not making sense and appears to be caused by the vaccine itself. Yeah, and and what it definitely doesn't do is provide any data that the vaccine is, is, is particularly safe and effective. It certainly doesn't provide any evidence for that. And um, in a sense, we shouldn't be surprised. I mean, one of the slides that we sort of missed, we, we skipped through, was that was from the Pfizer, you know, from the actual randomized. Right. Let's go. Can we bring up that Pfizer? Because it's Pfizer. important to show that Pfizer knows. Yeah. Here we go. We'll bring because, that up. Hold on. So, incidentally, this is my slide. I took this from, I picked this up and I couldn't find the person. I couldn't, wasn't able okay. to know who to credit it to. But so this is looking at the, it's comparing the vaccine arm in the trial with the placebo arm. So you have an okay. equal number of people. And of course, this was looking to see how effective it was at, at stopping transmission. But also we can look over time at how point. many of those people died, Let's whatever reason. If you look at, so if you look at, again, this isn't, and then click on it again, it'll expand. There we go. And so what you actually see, first of all, Actually, in that, of, that of, the, of course, these were not the a lot. I mean, it was a very biased trial because it was people, it was volunteers. These were not, you know, didn't, they didn't take sure. on any sick people, or anything like that. So you wouldn't expect to see 
uh, many deaths. But if, again, if COVID is as bad as like as, as, as deadly as it yeah. as it was claimed, uh, then the placebo arm should be seeing more. So do more we deaths add those numbers the, when we're looking yeah. at this? So we're, we're talking about deaths. I mean, we're talking about. It's, um, it's just, it's more, all, it, all it is is just showing at that point. I think this is maybe a bit out of date. There's just a, there's a few more deaths in the vaccine arm than the placebo arm. Right. Certainly not. And that's one, ignoring not, the fact. It, it certainly That's flies in the that. face of the, the major statement they make, which is it reduces your you know serious uh, uh, cases. Risk and of from, from It didn't even in exactly. Pfizer's own study. It didn't even achieve that. That was their only wow. experimental. Their only experimental trial. Of course, you know they weren't they weren't looking for side. They were they were just trying to test. They were just trying to optimize it for effectiveness. You know about you know, whether it stopped transmissions. And you know as I've shown from the hypothetical example, it's easy to get that to be shown to be effective at the beginning. Right. right, and then it, of course, then it kind of, kind of like yeah. wanes. That's it's just it's a statistical. You know, you can get that by, as I say, by the placebo, just using a simple statistical trick of 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 um delay of just 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 shifting the reporting a week. So. You, you know what I love about doing interviews with guys like you, <laughs> Professor Fenton, is how excited you get about a bunch of bar graphs and numbers, and you know, you make me excited about it. And clearly, and and I want to say this, I want to thank you for taking the time not only to do this work but to share it with. Uh, me and our audience here at the high wire uh, because this is what gives me hope what gives me hope is that whether it's just totally you know stupidity uh, lack of talent or it's nefarious in some way um, what we do know is that you know people like you are out there you've been doing this work in every way sideways since the dawn you know since your career began and now suddenly you're deciding well let me take a peek at this other data and the biggest news story there is and you're seeing anomalies that shouldn't be there um, and it's so important right now because though these are just little numbers on a graph Clearly, these are people's lives. These are decisions being made. We are forcing these products into healthier and healthier people that have no risk to the virus. But if there's a risk in this vaccine, we should know about it and we should have better data. Our, our countries, especially the UK and America, should be doing so much, uh, such a better job at this. There's no reason to have this type of data be so messy, except that we're seeing really the bias, the desire for this vaccine to work from the moment they promoted it up to us before it ever even got through its safety trials. They were telling us how great it was going to be. That shows you that you're really looking at an endpoint and then designing the science prior to getting there. And so I want to thank you for your work, uh, Professor Fenton. Um, I hope you will keep us abreast as I know you're going to look deeper into this. Uh, and I only yeah. hope that mainstream media starts, you know, helping you get this information out there. Thanks. So just just like to say, there was a, a, a team of people who were listed at the uh, you know listed on the paper, and people okay. can see those. And at the, the first author of the paper was my colleague Martin Neal, and he deserves a lot of credit, which I okay. you know didn't didn't give earlier. So thanks very much. There it is. Here it is. Let's go ahead and list them because they too are heroes putting their names and careers on the line, unfortunately, just to tell the truth. This was the paper. Latest statistics on England mortality data suggest systematic miscategorization of vaccine status and uncertain effect uh, effectiveness of COVID-19 vaccination. Martin Neal, Norman Fenton, Joel Smalley, Claire Craig, Joshua Gutzkow, Scott McLaughlin, Jonathan Engler, and Jessica Rose. Thank you all for your service to the world with this important paper. And of course, for all of and you one watching, more thing. go ahead. In the acknowledgements, you'll see that there, there were clinicians who were also involved in this, but they had to remain anonymous because otherwise they're obviously their career is threatened. I mean, we get we get a lot of flack as well, but it's not going to hopefully not terminate our careers. 
All right, Professor Fenton, thank you for your work. Thank you for your time. I think it is clear that uh, something stinks in Shinoa right now, and we hope we can clear it up. It's really important. People's lives are hanging in the balance. Keep up your good work, and uh, we look forward to having you on the high wire uh, again soon. Great to be on. Thanks a lot. All right, take care. If you like that clip, then be sure to check out have determined based on people who were in these projects suing the government and whatnot. There was a famous clip of Bill Clinton many years ago. If you've, if you've seen this, oh, I'd like to apologize for uh, for what we did to the American people and MKUltra, the government. He admits this. It was a famous clip. Now, the first um, project I want to mention is Subproject 68, and this is Dr. Ewan Cameron out of Mount Royal in, in Canada. He was a, uh, a doctor who pioneered this idea of imprinting and training and depatterning. And so what he would do is he would try to wipe people's minds like a blank slate and he experimented at a, a, at a mental institute. When you think of all the movies that you've seen with the archetypal mad scientist doctor at the mental institute, the horror movies that are trying to mind control people, this comes out of this idea with uh, Dr. Ewan Cameron. And, and so he worked in sleep studies, he worked in deprivation studies, he, he worked with uh, float tanks, pods, all this kind of stuff. And uh, the idea of prolonged sensory isolation was part of his his plan of depatterning the idea being that if if he could experiment on people that had problems with addictions or trauma maybe he could reboot the whole mind the whole system like a computer and just start over and kind of imprint a new pattern now under, it was under the auspices of oh we're going to help all these people that have had addictions and trauma but you can begin to see how this could be used for nefarious purposes if people can be mind wiped and if they can have false memories implanted, if they can have a new identity implanted and a new uh, imprinting of a new personality, then you could see how this could lead to all kinds of tyrannical results. He experimented with drugs and toxins as well, LSD, so forth. And there's um, famous CBC uh, Canadian uh, documentaries many years ago that are still on YouTube available on this original project uh, involving Dr. Cameron. This, I think, I don't have any proof of this, but the only proof I've uncovered about things like Alice in Wonderland having a relationship to MKUltra is that in one of the, the cases, uh, Dr. Cameron did try to imprint a woman using the story of Alice in Wonderland. So that might be the source of this idea that there's some connection between the story of Alice in Wonderland and MKUltra. Um, and if you've read Alice in Wonderland, which I actually did a video on recently, I went back and reread the book, the first one. And I don't know or have any evidence that Lewis Carroll himself was, you know, experimenting with these things. But there's a section in the story where Alice actually has multiple personalities and is discussing things with herself. The whole uh, dialogue is really this sort of fantastical, almost drug trip type of fiction where Alice is, is going through uh, different realities, multiverses, and, and talking to herself in terms of alternate personalities. So that might be why it was chosen by Dr. Cameron. The next project I'll mention is Subproject 3, and this one is interesting because it's similar to uh, and, and is renamed later uh, Operation Midnight Climax. This is where the CIA went to organize crime and actually uh, set up a, a situation where they would entrap different Johns in a, um, a house of ill repute and dose them with LSD. So they would spray the room or they would uh, dose the drinks. And meanwhile, there was a you know two-way mirror and they were sitting there recording all this and watching and seeing what would happen. So number one, we have a connection between the CIA and organized crime, which I've detailed in, in many talks and videos. That's a well-known uh, historical fact. In fact, Alex mentioned that this week in one of his shows. 
And this is a re- this is a real thing, right? The Sicilian Mafia helped uh, the U.S. in different wartime scenarios. The organized crime syndicates have worked with intelligence agencies in terms of trafficking drugs and so forth. This is very well known. It's going on for many years. But here there was a connection between the CIA and these uh, poor, unfortunate souls who had really bad trips when they went to visit their uh, favorite ladies of the evening. And this is; these are all real projects, all real, uh, no longer discounted. They're, they're no longer doubted. These are, are public record now. And these are only the ones that we know about. <laughs> so here we have a, a sexual entrapment situation where they wanted to see um, what would happen in the midst of, uh, again, Midnight Climax, in the midst of these John situations, what would happen to the guys who were unknowingly dosed by LSD. And if you know about LSD, you know, that could be a very traumatizing thing. So again, many, many human rights violations, but I, I guess in the situation where you're doing something illegal, they can get away with it. And what came out in, re- in result of this uh, Operation Midnight Climax was that uh, at least what we knew of 20, 30 years ago, there were some 80 institutions involved in MKUltra projects. Um, I've recently uncovered information re- that connects it to Australia as well. So this is just institutions in North America, Canada, and so forth. But actually, MKUltra was going on in many other countries. They were doing things in other countries that they could get away with, that they couldn't easily get away with in uh, the U.S. And that's why you'll find a lot of uh, doctors and PhDs. There was even one of the Huxley brothers was doing uh, MKUltra operations in Australia. He was actually heading up uh, MKUltra operations in Australia. While Julian, while Julian, and uh, are you know connected to Tavistock and doing these kinds of operations in the UK, again similar situations in the US. So this is actually a, a global, worldwide experiment in many uh, psychiatric, educational, and social institutions across the globe. In uh, other cases, we had Dr. James Hamilton at the Vacaville State Prison Facility. So if you didn't know, a lot of prisoners were, were uh, brought into these projects. They were experimented on. This can uh, lead us to situations like what we have with the Phoenix program, where guys in Vietnam were experimented on. Uh, this involves soldiers out of Fort Bragg as well, Edgewood Arsenal, all part of the Vacaville-type experiments where they were giving LSD to these prisoners, giving uh patterning, depatterning, and re-imprinting experiments to see if they could reform prisoners. If you've seen uh, Kubrick's Clockwork Orange, this is this kind of a program. Could we re-socialize and domesticate these guys back into normal society or perhaps turn them into assassins? And there's actually one of the programs here in a minute, which we'll get to when we come back from this break, that actually deals with the assassins. And this is probably what most people think of when they think of MKUltra from the movies as the programmed assassin. That was just one of the many, many, many projects. Don't go anywhere. This is the Alex Jones Show. I'm your guest host, Jay Dyer. Welcome back to the Alex Jones Show. I'm your guest host, Jay Dyer of Jay's Analysis. By the way, I wrote two books on MKUltra and their connection of these projects to Hollywood. Multiple sections in both of my books are available at my website. If you're interested, you can go to Jay's Analysis. And in the shop there, if you want to get your friends and family members some good material using movies to wake them up. You can get copies of Esoteric Hollywood 1 and 2 there. Sign copies at the website. Don't give your money to Jeffrey Bezos. He's just going to put it into rockets and take people to Mars, which is probably not even going to happen. So don't give him your money. We were talking about Vacaville. We were talking about the um, Project uh, Midnight Climax. And the next one I want to mention is Operation MK Delta. This dealt with the integration, uh, the interrogation of people who were suspected of being 
foreign agents and spying on U.S. installations. These uh, were conducted at CIA safe houses during the Cold War. Similar to this is one known as Operation Mindbender. And this one's weird because this one actually morphs into, uh, I believe, Spellbinder here in a little bit. But Mindbender was first, and it wasn't really successful, but it was conducted in Mexico and it involved the use of undercover hypnotherapists. So what you'll start to notice as you get into this uh, stuff is that a lot of psychiatrists, therapists, psychologists, they were also part of these projects. And they were studying all kinds of things. They even study eventually um, people that have severe sexual issues, uh, perversions. All of these things are studied at, at a to the minutia level in order to ultimately weaponize this stuff. I'll get into that in a moment with the um, study of sexual deviance that they did. Uh, that I had, I really had to dig to find this one. This one, that one was really crazy. And uh, not, not, not a lot of people know about that, but we begin to see, well, now, wait a minute, if they went really deep into studying um, sexual deviance, then perhaps they could also weaponize sexuality, right? I think everybody can kind of pick up on that now in the way that the, the culture has gone. But in Mexico City, they were experimenting with using victims under hypnosis that could be uh, programmed through a combination of intense hallucinogenic drugs, um, patterning and re-imprinting, and this is where reportedly was the first experiment on an attempted undercover assassin that could carry out orders to kill after being triggered by uh, into action through the pre-programmed signal. The, the trigger phrase, the key word. If you think about uh, movies, again, this is where we typically see this in Hollywood productions. Think about uh, one, one of the most famous examples would be Modern Manchurian Candidate, where certain triggers and things that he sees, you know, causes him to do the assassin uh, action. If you think about the modern Manchurian Candidate with uh, um, um, Lee Schreiber in, in, in terms of the, the assassin character of this program, he eventually has a microchip put in him, and the microchip causes him to, you know, commit the assassination action towards the end. There were biowarfare agents that were used in uh, MK Search, and MK Search is typically what moves us into, in terms of these projects, the uh, transhumanist element. So a lot of people know about. Um, you know, you've heard me talk about Dr. John C. Lilly. Uh, John C. Lilly was dosing up Flipper, dosing up all of the different uh, animals, including mainly his weird fixation for dolphins. And so what he was actually doing was experimenting on dolphins, the way that they give off their, you know, their signals, uh, their sonic signals and whatever brain signals. And so he was trying to, to see what could happen with the implementation of electrodes and implants. And he was also working by the way, in his, in his biography, he describes with monkeys. And this connects to Dr. Sidney Gottlieb, who was also doing similar research uh, with these agents and with these drugs and with the uh, microchips. So the operation uh, MK Search under Dr. Gottlieb was researching microorganisms with the capacity to kill. That is biowarfare. So MK Ultra, when it's experiment, when it's exposed, it goes undercover and it becomes MK Search at Fort Detrick. The Army Biological Warfare Laboratory at Fort Detrick uh, became a running operation since 1952, also known as MK Naomi. And these are the areas where we start to get into the projects where people, again, and through pop culture, are more familiar with Project Bluebird, uh, Project Artichoke, and these are all uh, 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 Project Monarch, right, with the butterfly, the transformation of individuals into new personalities, uh, new um, 
new alters that could carry the courier information. There's also, uh, in at least the last time I checked, uh, in the DSMV, there is still references to uh, Dr. George Estabrook's a famous essay from, I think, the 50s, where he talks about the hypnotic courier. And so he wrote this essay, it's still referenced in the scholarly literature, about how you could program into people that have dissociative identity or disorder or people who have alternate personalities. The, the plan was, could you program certain alters with information that could not be extracted through uh, counterintelligence measures, through, through uh, torture and so forth? And uh, at least as far as we can tell, it appears to be that there was some success in those programs, according to Dr. Esther Brooks. Um, but so this brings in hypnosis, right? So hypnosis, hypnoregression, uh, psychiatry, psychology, uh, big pharma, drugs, they're all part of these programs. They're all in various levels and various ways participating in this, but at a compartmentalized level. Can keep that in mind because, of course, everybody says, well, how could they do this? Everybody would find out if they did this or we'd all know. Well, we do know. It's all out. <laughs> they did talk about it. But it takes many decades for this to come out. And the people in the various projects, they don't know what's going on in other projects. Some of these projects are conducted in through you know black ops, through organized crime, through the mafia. Some of these projects are conducted uh, under the cover of just psychiatry and psychology. Some of the projects are conducted through cutouts, like the Human Ecology Foundation. That was actually a CIA front for MKUltra. So a lot of these things didn't appear as just, oh, we're doing a mind control operation. Uh, you know, do you want to participate? It was all conducted covertly. Similarly, uh, studies like Alfred Kinsey, who was funded by the Rockefeller Foundation to do his what would be considered, uh, you know, pedophilia and human rights violation studies. I mean, he was getting funding to do similar types of experiments on molesting children. This is famous. This is well known. Uh, and um, that, I think, also went into similar types of research. So all of this off the books, wartime, and they'll do this stuff during war, too. They'll do these studies and this research through war where there is no oversight, there is no purview. They can get away with, uh, you know, bypassing the law through wartime research. So if you think about Vietnam, if you think about what I covered, uh, I don't know, maybe three or four months ago on the fourth hour, we went into the history of DARPA and how it was involved in the Vietnam War. That was the first place that drones were used. That was the first place that you had um, uh, inter uh, automatic explosive devices being used. Uh, and that was all rolled out as part of DARPA experimentation. So remember that wartime research is not just about winning that immediate war. It's about taking the information that studied in terms of human psychology, human sociology, and applying that to the future situations and future technocratic scenarios. So they've taken all of this wartime research, all this drug research, all this MKUltra research, all of this goes into a big bundle about, about how to control society. Remember what I just covered last time, the, the Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars document. Early on in that document, that white paper, they say, we just took all of our wartime R&D and we're just applying it now to controlling societies, to bringing it into the technocracy. Literally 100 years of research and information is just co-opted into turning us into these drones in the Borg hive mind metaverse technocracy. That's what it's all about. Be sure and go uh, subscribe over at Reset Wars if you want to get access to similar types of information. They've gone into a lot of depth over the same type of stuff that I'm talking about. So uh, and support the uh, the store at Infowars Store. You can get all the products that make great Christmas gifts. By the way, my books would make great Christmas gifts. By the way, 
Uh, you can also subscribe at my website, which is a great way to wake people up. They want to get a grad education in this information. Don't miss out on the chance for portable, affordable, and tasty energy whenever you need it with TurboForce.com. On, uh, on my social medias, if you're looking to keep up with the updates and keep up with all the stuff that I do, put out content every day. And uh, you can find me on Telegram. You can find me on Instagram, YouTube, and mainly at my website, of course, as well as on Rockfin, which is a free speech-based platform. You can sign up for that for free as well to follow my material. Next, I want to talk about uh, the Operation Big City. Now, this is one which uh, might surprise you, although if you're familiar with what we talk about here, you, you won't be surprised because uh, you know the, the idea of spraying an entire city or an, an entire neighborhood with something like LSD doesn't sound strange to me at all. And I think a lot of normies would feel like, oh, they wouldn't do that. They would never do that. And well, if they would spray whole cities with this kind of stuff, if you think about uh, the Sunshine Project, uh, which I read those documents 20 years ago when Alex was talking about them, nerve gassing entire cities in wartime scenarios or in a continuity of government emergency scenario. I mean, there's many, many examples of this. In fact, it's been declassified many cases where radiation uh, was experimented on entire cities. I think St. Louis had an entire... Uh, uh, a biological experiment uh, basically blown out on them and as well as the the engineering um, geoengineering projects i mean that's something that's well known declassified now john brennan has given talks about it there's countless papers at the royal society about geoengineering elf vlf weather modification it's been going on for decades and yet people still think that's some kind of crazy tinfoil hat thing well during the mkultra experiments operation big city dealt with emitting a gas that was sprayed out upon passersby in various New York na- uh, neighborhoods and subways. Battery-powered emission equipment was fitted into suitcases to see if LSD could be sprayed into confined areas to affect people. The operators wore nasal filters themselves. In San Francisco, a separate project involved biological gas released on the Golden Gate Bridge with the intention of uh, trying to cover the city. This reminds me of, doesn't that... Isn't that what the League of Shadows does in the original Batman, the first uh, Christopher Nolan Batman? I think uh, the the Ra's al Ghul character, who, by the way, is said to be based, I think, on Crowley, uh, according to my research on that, that original Christopher Nolan first Batman. Doesn't he come up with this idea uh, with Scarecrow to dose the city with some kind of hallucinogen? This probably was coming out of Operation Big City. So... Maybe Gotham, right? That's real. That's the thing here. And that's why I covered in my book so many of these films was that if you have watched a lot of films over the years, it's amazing really how many movies have the MKUltra themes in them, not just the actual projects of assassins and all that, but the symbology connected with this whole idea of the monarch butterfly, the Alice in Wonderland going down the rabbit hole. I mean, even just something uh, as pop culture and video game connected like Resident Evil. Actually, that whole series is a direct reference in many, many places, both the video games and the films, to MKUltra. If you think about it, the main character, Mila Jovovich, she's a private security contractor who is unwittingly recruited into these projects that involve biometric implants, cloning mind control, alternate personalities, and she's trained to be this assassin and so forth. So all of this, this is all everywhere in pop culture. I think in the new Resident Evil, they even mentioned MKUltra, in fact. Um, MKUltra sub-project uh, sub 
Operation Resurrection. Now, this involved Dr. Cameron and the Allen Memorial Institute. And by the way, keep in mind that, uh, if I recall, Dr. Cameron was coming out of McGill University in Canada. And who was the big name from McGill University? Zbigniew Brzezinski. In fact, in Zbigniew Brzezinski's book, he will make reference to biometric implants, Skynet, ELF, VLF technology, back in his 70s book, Technocratic Era. I want to uh, step over to that just for a second in Between Two Ages, where he has this uh, amazing quote where he says, early on in the book, now he wrote this back in the early 70s, the human being being more synthetic than authentic, even our senses perceive an entirely novel reality, uh, one of our own making, nonetheless, in terms of our sensations, it is quite real. More important, there are already widespread concerns about the possibility of biological and chemical tampering with what has now been considered the immutable essence of man. He's talking about mRNA, DNA uh, mutations and experimentation back in the 70s. Now, where have we heard this recently? I wonder where, I wonder where we've heard this. Man is increasingly acquiring, excuse me, let me go back a little bit. Human conduct, to some, uh, some argue, can be predetermined and subjected to deliberate control. Man is increasingly acquiring the capacity to determine the act of uh, the sex of his children, uh, to affect through drugs the extent of their intelligence and to modify and control their personalities. So he's saying that it's becoming, even at that time, the, the idea is becoming normative that in the future we're going to be able to determine our children's sex. We're going to modify them from the womb into being smart or, you know, the, the slave class or whatever. This is Brave New World stuff, right? If you remember Brave New World, the novel, some of the people are from the test tube born to being janitors and some people are born into being, you know, CEOs or whatever. He goes on to say that uh, in the footnote to that section that uh, there will be a Skynet situation that's possible for, for computer technology to be linked up to all kinds of satellite networks. And basically, we're going to have a global technocratic grid uh, that will connect Skynet to the human beings linked into this web. Brzezinski wrote this back in... 1970, I thought I had it written in here, but 72 or three, uh, many, many years before Klaus Schwab wrote Fourth Industrial Revolution. So again, what you see is the continuity between this high level policy advisor guy, Brzezinski, back in the 70s, and he was tapped by Henry Kissinger and David Rockefeller to be the head of a newly created trilateral commission at the time. This, is, this book is what got Brzezinski that job. <laughs> And Brzezinski would have known, by the way, about all of these McGill University MKUltra projects. That's what I'm trying to get at here. And so he would have known that the real trajectory of these projects, of the human mutation of the, of the brain and, and biometrics and implants and all of this, bodily modification, uh, that was all geared towards the Skynet mind control situation, which Brzezinski, on page 15 of, of his book, says is the mutation of man, genetic modification and mutating of man into something new, something else. And he says, I foresee at the time when we shall have the means, therefore, inevitably, the temptation to manipulate the behavior and intellectual uh, functioning of all the people on the world through environmental biochemical manipulation of the brain. And he's quoting a uh, computer science guy. And that's where in the footnote, he, he talks about the Skynet satellite situation that can be set up. 
Brzezinski talks about weather weapons in this book back in the 70s. Page 57, he goes into the footnote about the ELF, VLF, weather, geoengineering technology. So what I'm trying to say is that although that wasn't necessarily directly connected to MKUltra, what these projects are ultimately about is a rewriting of the entire biosphere to a synthetic reality. What did Klaus say a couple of years ago in his video? We will get inside you and we will change you. It's not about changing the world. It's not about veganism. It's not about a utopia. Well, it kind of is, but the utopia is when everybody dies. Then we'll get rid of human suffering, right? Well, we can end human suffering. We should get rid of humans, you see. And so that's why he's saying, literally telling you that it's going to be you being changed, your DNA, your RNA, all of this manipulating and changing you into something else, which is a Borg hive mind entity. Now, again, another one of the global elite texts I'll add as a, as a kind of addendum here is Brief History of the Future by Jacques Attali. Jacques Attali is the Kissinger of France. He is who uh, coached um, uh, Mitterrand and these different French presidents in the past. He's a major figure. He came, came out, uh, what, six months ago, a year, about his comments about the stabbies. He talked about what the stabbies would do in the future many years ago. They dug up an old interview of his. And in this book, in his 2000 book, Brief History of the Future, he says that this is uh, his section on transhumanism. Yes, he has a whole chapter on transhumanism. And he says that the future is important that we realize the happiness of, human, of, of man depends on that of others. The human species can only survive if it is united right, into a somewhat a global union, a global world order. And he says that these people who are championing this new revolution, I call them the transhumanists. They are the vanguard of the new world order. That's his quote. The vanguard of the new world order is the transhumanists. Welcome back to the Alex Jones Show. I'm your guest host, Jay Dyer, Jay's Analysis. We were talking about the different uh, MKUltra projects and subprojects and how they eventually led to things like MK Search, MK Delta, MK Naomi, which went underground and continued at different uh, biological research facilities and basically transitioned into biometrics. And this is where we connect back to people like the Dr. Jolyon West and Dr. Jose Delgado and uh, Dr. John C. Lilly, all of whom were experimenting on putting the microchips in brains and the electrodes and seeing if they shock certain regions of the brain, what would it cause and how would people do this or that? And that is that was, you know, back in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, they were doing that type of stuff. Here we are, you know, many, many years later, it's way more advanced than that, obviously. So these, again, this is the stuff that we know about from the 50s and 60s primarily. So who knows exactly how far it is? We have some recent uh, UK Ministry of Defense uh, declassified uh, transhumanist documents about human augmentation that, that speak of all of the same stuff and what they're going to do in the near future, including mandating nanotech versions of microchips, right? So the people who uh, try to just, just debunk all of this, right? The, the idiot debunkers, they all act like there's no microchip in, in the syringes. Yeah, nobody thinks there's a microchip in a syringe, dummy. We, we, everybody knows that it's something nanotech, right? It's, it's nanotech, graphene, this kind of stuff. And who knows what else, right? Now, <clears throat> one of these uh, other projects that I want to get back to that's relevant is the idea of uh, they did in, let's see which project this was, Operation Resurrection. Now, this this one is wild because this actually sounds like the Kingsman. If you've seen the Kingsman and you know in the, the first installment of that, that movie, the Samuel L. Jackson plays the 
the uh, the cell phone tech, you know, billionaire zillionaire guy who basically uses the mic, the 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 chips in the cell phones to set off this signal, which drives everybody nuts. And turns out in uh, Iquitos, Peru, there was a similar project where they experimented with monkeys, blasting them with all these RF frequencies and signals to find which ones actually drove them nuts. And again, remember in Brzezinski's book, Between Two Ages, he talks about ELF and VLF technology being able, even in the 70s, to send out these waves and signals that could either agitate and get people kind of you know ready to fight each other or calm them down and make them docile. So th- this is this is real. I mean, I, I don't know how advanced they are in terms of doing this nowadays. I assume it's more advanced than we think. But whether this is real is not really in question. It's in all of these guys' documents. And again, you can see the co- the, the pattern and the commonality between what's in these research projects of MKUltra and what the big global elite strategists and planners like Brzezinski, like Jacques Attali, they're all talking about in their books. And again, this is, this is, these are not hidden books. They're not conspiracy books. These are people at the top of the geopolitical chessboard who make decisions for the presidents, working on the behest of the global elite, CFR, Trilateral Commission. They just talk about all this openly, and they count on everybody being too stupid to even figure it out. They know that nobody's going to go read these books. So I'm here doing the homework for you reading these boring books. Operation Spellbinder. This is the one I mentioned earlier, which was uh, the re- the replacement for Operation Mindbender. So Mindbender apparently didn't work that well when they were experimenting on creating the assassin. So so they they revamped it under uh, Richard Helms in 1966. It became uh, Operation Spellbinder, and this one was interesting because they were it, it admits working on using Viet Cong uh, POWs. So they renamed this Operation Spellbinder, and this is what most people think is the Manchurian Candidate type of program. A hypnotist was recruited from the American Society of Clinical uh, Experimental Hypnosis. He became known amongst the agency staff as Dr. Fingers. He was selected because he stated that he, this is like comic book level stuff, Dr. Fingers operated, isn't Mindbender, uh, Dr. Mindbender, isn't he a comic book guy too? This The intended victims of these experiments were uh, to be programmed assassins, they thought, well, maybe we can get Castro with one of these people. We can send him into Cuba and get rid of Castro with one. I, of course, that didn't obviously never worked or manifested, but that at least was the plan. Uh, ultimately, it says that in this essay, the, the program was trying to just get deeper and deeper into mastering the brain and the inner workings of the mind, how it worked, and how to control it. Now, remember, one of these guys, and and this book is completely unreadable. Uh, I actually read it. I don't know how, but it is unreadable. But one of the uh, MK Ultra doctors, Dr. John C. Lilly, if you want to understand how they view man and the brain, he wrote Programming and Metaprogramming in the Human Biocomputer. And he admits in this book that they experimented on children. They gave children high doses of LSD, wiped their brains, and he would put mirrors and clocks and you know crazy artwork in front of the kids trying to reprogram them. So if you don't think they would do this, realize that they admit they do this and they do it to kids. You don't think they would do do fit bad things to kids now? They're doing it and they've done it for a long time and they openly talk about it. It's in their books. They don't care. That's how brazen psychopathy is, especially at the level of the power structure. They get it's almost a compulsion, right, where they have to tell you they're compelled to tell you. 
And it's also a strategy to tell people, too, because it's gaslighting. It's a way to uh, uh, throw it in people's faces, and then they don't know what to do. They're in a catatonic state that they can't believe that they're doing this. Subproject 142 and Subproject 94 these direct, uh, relate directly to uh, the transhumanist uh, element that I'm talking about because a small biological program uh, of electrical brain stimulation was uh, inserted here as a new element of these projects. This would be with the intent to engage in very practical experiments at some point in the work that could relate to espionage and security problems. And could you eavesdrop on your spies? Could you have a brain chip by which people don't even know that they're chipped? And maybe they go to some place and they become kind of a walking surveillance device where, you know, they've got a chip in them. They don't even know. And you're listening from your base as, you know, to what people are saying uh, in terms of wherever they are. This was another one. Uh, I, we don't know how far this went, but subproject 94 was actually tasked with miniaturizing, stimulating electrodes and implanting them in different brain centers and brain areas. <laughs> Uh, this involved animals, dogs, cats, and monkeys. It doesn't say humans, but I feel like they probably did it. I mean, they're already, right? I mean, they were putting microchips into this, the troops when went back in uh, Desert Storm, right? Didn't that come out that they were already uh, giving the, the troops microchips back at that time? And I think it's more common now. Alex just showed a uh, uh, Newsweek article earlier where they were talking about the uh, Vax Pass or uh, a form of microchip or nanotech, which would show your your history and your record of vaccination. And that was always the plan. That was the plan 30, 40 years ago, right? Brzezinski level plans, long, long time ago, before Klaus was making these plans. And again, this uh, makes us think as well, as I said, of the Phoenix program, Vietnam. Uh, this is this is where they were basically weaponizing crazed killers to turn them into assassins and serial killers. And, and believe it or not, they actually researched serial killers. That's a whole other project that I didn't get to. Uh, the idea of the personality tests. Did you know personality tests by Dr. John Gittinger? That comes out of MKUltra. Dr. John Gittinger, the inventor of the personality test and all of that, that was all to try to categorize people to make it easier for the CIA to assess the heads of state, uh, you know, uh, geopolitical actors and so forth and see how they were most easy to manipulate and to blackmail. Uh, and this is where they got into uh, studies of perverts, deviants, psychopaths, uh, psychotics, and yes, serial killers. So there's multiple projects involving the weaponization and study of human beings that were deviants and serial killers, at least three that I've come across now. But I wanted to cap it off with what was back in Ray Kurzweil's book many years ago, The Singularity, which if you've seen Endgame, then you've seen Alex talking about this for a long time. But uh, this is Kurzweil's second book. His first book was The Age of Spiritual Machines that came out, I think, in a 2000-2001 period. And then he wrote this one uh, in 2005, kind of updating his predictions. And in the series, the section uh, pages two, or excuse me, three, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, where he gets into VR, what I found fascinating was that he was talking about the metaverse. He doesn't use that word, but he says that yes, we're going to roll out all of this. There's going to be the metaverse. There's going to be all this stuff. And he says, but what's really going to take people by surprise uh, is that when we roll this out, it's not going to be that there's going to be a microchip, or it's not eventually going to be that you have to wear a big headset. <laughs> He says his goal is that that they want to get it to where there's a brain chip that steps in between your brain and your perception. 
uh, your five sense perception. And he says, what we'll be able to do through the brain chip version of the matrix is that we'll just immediately give you your sense data and your sense impressions. He says that we will be in charge of what you perceive and what you feel. So it's not just controlling perception in the sense of mass media. It's, according to Kurzweil, literally controlling the mind through the nanotech, through the metaverse, stepping in between you and the external world, not through a headset, but through eventually having the nanotech in your mind where the signals tell you what things come into your brain, literally controlling the input that comes into your brain. Total mind control. He admits that that is the possibility and the goal. That is the possibility and the goal. The Age of Spiritual Machines. I remember that book. Good old Ray Kurzweil. He's one of the first sort of um, transhumanist personalities I frequented in college. Read some of his work. Very fascinating individual. He also, uh, I remember he was going for longevity research as well. And I, I think I first was exposed to him because he was trying to extend his life artificially as far as possible. He was taking, doing all these weird exercises and taking all these supplements long before it became like, a, you know, the biohacker movement that has happened in mainstream culture. Now, uh, it's sort of alternative diets and supplementation and nootropics and nutraceuticals. And, you know, the, it's really in a way popularizing. And even if many of it's uh, done, um, with good intentions, it's sort of popularizing, popularizing and conditioning the public to accept transhumanism in the guise of sort of like this sort of utilizing sort of natural effective therapeutics and treatments and, and nutraceuticals to sort of extend life and to, to help the mitochondria function more efficiently in the body and all this stuff. But it's really getting us to be conditioned to accept a, a transhumanistic future as well, where we, we also accept the uh, machines, um, different sort of technologies, you know, uh, prosthetic limbs, uh, artificial hips, all these sorts of things, which are great, but you know, how long before all that stuff has RFID embedded in them. And all of a sudden, you know, they have some sort of tracking device constantly inside of you at all. I mean, we already know that exists quite literally. So even though these, uh, technologies have been developed with good intentions, they're going to be used for nefarious purposes. I think you outlined that quite well. Oh, no, no, no. Stop. Hold on. Rich, take it over to my cats. Ah, Tony's cat's out of control. It's crazy. It's crazy. All right, LD, I one up you. I got my Christmas hat on. And I brought Christmas books. You got the Liberty Cap? I got the Liberty Cap, and it definitely is a Liberty Cap. It is not a Mithra Cap. Okay? Let's see what I got here. Yeah, I got a bunch of pull The Freedom... Here. The religion of freedom and uh, so oh, I'm sorry, the religion of Mithras cult in the Roman empire. It's the opposite of freedom. Who wrote that oh, one? That's, oh, that's, this is, uh, that's a little bit older. I think this that's is published good. by Oxford. Hmm. That book. Okay. I wonder if that's where, because this is, I have this one mushrooms, myth and Mithras and that's rock. Obviously. Yeah. My hat comes from emancipated yeah. Christian slaves. Uh, it's Liberty cap. You look it up. It's definitely not a, a psychedelic reference a in history, cat. but here's the uh, apples of Apollo, uh, pagan and Christian mysteries of the Eucharist. It's a polite way of saying it. Uh, the holy mushroom yeah, a little more in your face, well. evidence yeah. of mushrooms. And look, that's in the artwork. 
evidence of mushrooms in Judeo-Christianity. Here's another one. Christianity's pagan roots. Look, mushroom, mushroom. And then uh, for the topic, when Santa was a shaman, ancient origins of Santicles and the Christmas tree. (laughs) That's very good. Not just about Coca-Cola. And then... uh, so I have a first edition. I put my obviously. Christmas mushroom on the microphone. I uh, see. I could have brought that book too. <laughs> yeah, I have a sacred mushroom, the cross. I had the same thing, mushroom and Christian art. Not the same, but you know, I'm following up. I think it was also another rock book. No, it's hey, rock. I got it's I got rush. big books of the stained glass from all that Christian art that's got mushrooms in it. You obviously, I, have like I was that into it when I was discovering. I was like, no way. Then I'd get the book. I'm like, whoa. Pretty. And then crazy. you see him in the cathedral. Oh. Uh, the Canterbury Salter, Canterbury Salter. That's right. P S A L T E R. Check it out. Lots of frames of mushrooms and Jesus in the iconography there for not, you to study. Well, obviously, you have like the Acharyas, which is not her book. It's Murdoch, but yeah. So yeah, uh, all the beginnings of all that. You have Asher's theology and shamanism, all that stuff. Yeah, uh, when ones. when did uh what was Mithras? What so there was a, a solstice overlaying date that they merged like festivals back in the day. Price conspiracy, mushrooms and Mithra. Yeah, it goes on and on. Yeah, some of those books need to be taken with grains of salt, but those yeah. are the books available on these topics back in the day. There's new books available. What were you gonna say, uh, LD? You're gonna say something? I've got one. Santa, Santa, Santa sold shrooms. Easy for me to say. Uh, uh, yeah, that's funny. Not, not the scholarly work, uh, maybe that you guys have, but uh, it's good. This is my useless Collins hat. If you guys watch Mountain Men, I think I had my hat first. I don't know. My th- Tony, you know these hats are. 10 years old or more. Yeah, oh yeah. I've never seen them. Yeah. You whipped them yeah. out when we were going over this back in the day. I think you probably whipped it out when uh, you were trying to impress me. Be like, see, I'm way ahead of you on this research, bro. That was a long time ago. I was just getting started. So there's a, there's a lot of section in here. I, I'm not yeah, going to read it, but it's just obviously sand and mushrooms and the astrotheology and shamanism you have you know santa claus and mushroom and he goes into all the detail and obviously there's other books which referenced as look well. definitely no one in history ever hung look at that mushrooms to dry by the fire being held by a stocking they definitely didn't put them on trees to dry as decoration. no no not at no. all not like that at right. all right um, i mean give me a break right I don't know if you can really through the you know the top of the yurt. I don't know if you can really come in through the top of a yurt structurally. It seems like maybe I don't know. I don't know about that part. Yeah, so that would be difficult, I would think. But that was supposedly the argument. So So we're going to local community. Blah blah blah. We do know that reindeer eat the mushroom and trip out, right? So that's the flying reindeer aspect of it. Basically, yeah, yeah, the reindeer lead the the elves which are children to go collect the mushrooms and then they hang them on the pine trees which dry out and they turn a golden sort of ornament style color and then they pick them and the shaman brings them to the community and supposedly goes in through the top of the the earth because there's too much snow on the ground typically to go in through the front and delivers the mushrooms now that's who knows how much is true or not true but i, I do know i worked with a well it's a story a shaman that was from the Siamese tribe. And he talked about, yes, that's what the reindeer do seek out because he had firsthand experience with it. Um, and, uh, yeah, they go out, they search out the mushroom to get intoxicated on it. 
gives them high, you know, the animals also search out intoxicants, not just humans. That's a bad kitty. Get down. Hey. He thinks his cat speaks English. Uh, yeah, yeah. All right. So, uh, yeah, I'm not sure that, I mean, first off, Santa coming down the, uh, the chimney. There's fire in the chimney. It's hot. It's small. Yeah, That's it doesn't happen. Yeah. But in a yurt situation, he'd have to come down like Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible, you know, because it's like a str- there's no pole in the middle of a yurt. It It's usually open and su- self-supporting by the ring in the top. All those pieces tie into the lattice and whatnot. Right. Yeah. So uh, I don't know if that's realistic. Yurt people, they are nomadic. They travel every couple of days following the reindeer. Wouldn't have a whole lot of time for snow to build up that high that you'd have to go in through the smoke hole. Plus, so the, how would the people real, in the yurt get in and out? So I'm not sure about that part. Yeah, the reference here. So real quick, because that's an interesting point here. Because of the cold Siberian climate, the main entrance to the Sib- of the Siberian homes, known as yurts, would often be snowed over. So everyone in the family must climb up to the roof and enter through the secondary or winter entrance, the chimney, reference mark 269. So the reference comes from a book called Christmas Unwrapped by Harding, 2002, and mm-hmm. Soma by Wasson, page 243. I have so, Soma by Wasson. So do I. So I have to look up those. But even then, even then, it'll be tough to. The first way, Wasson yeah. book was Russia mushrooms and history, because mm-hmm. uh, he had a Russian wife. He's part of that uh, communist overlap there. <laughs> had the Soviets. There at all. There's nothing to see there at all. The Soviets in the Eastern establishment. All right. So uh, any uh, other Christmas uh, synchronicity? history you wanted to drop since yeah we can finish it up here we'll just play this one small little clip it's like four minutes three minutes um revealed a call to origins of santa uh not supporting the the end point where he you know tries to support the historicity of christ but the rest of it is very good and it's worth getting on the show card and then we can we can i just had my hands on a uh pre-publication printout of the a historicity of Jesus by Michael Hoffman. That was with the rest of these books. Oh yeah. I have a ton. In fact, I have more here. Well, I won't get into it, but yeah, we don't, that's a different show. Do we have a show on religion yet? <laughs> no, we Psychedelic go origins of religion. We could have that's, a show on that. Yeah. The uh, Tuesday night town hall. We've done a lot of, I've done a lot of, uh, research into it and we, we talk about it quite a bit. Um, on the town hall, we talk about a lot of subjects. So Tuesday night, seven o'clock PM for those that are interested in becoming part of the pilot course, I'll be running probably, probably very beginning of February for, um, the study of logic, formal logic, join the town hall and become a subscriber, join the town hall and you will be, you will have access to be part of the pilot course. And also Monday nights for those that are subscribers, probably not just subscribers. Those are interested Liberty radio who are members of the GTW community and Grand F world Liberty radio. Yep. Bye. James and Phoenix. So they, uh, they spice it up a little music and, uh, go over a lot of the topics that we can't cover just due to time and volume of information. So it's fun to get that out there. Any yeah. This is the public facing show, but there's two internal members facing shows already and they got sponsors and stuff like they're getting well set up. Good for them. Good for them. Getting, getting things moved along. They're getting so. a platform together over there on the spinoff. <laughs> That's good. That's because they're autonomy grads. They're like one up in the teacher. There you go. That's good. 
I like it. Helps to motivate me to move forward in 2022. <laughs> there you go. And then the Agora Marketplace, we have a lot of solutions in the form of... Um, yeah, that's marketplace.autonomyagora.com. It's a whole bunch of courses there. Some of them are free. Tony has a free one there. And he has a paid one there too. I don't know. Do I have a free one? I think there's a short free one. Or maybe that uh, was the one I did for uh, Critical Thinking with me and Paul. Uh, that's the one that. you did. And then I have yeah. to pay for one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're worth paying for. My well, Critical yours... Thinking course with Paul was just like the intro. It intro, was like, intro. I'll tell you about it for free. Tony will show you about it for a fee. That's how it works. It's <laughs> pretty much fee. it. Helps Busy. support our work. Helps support um, Autonomy Unlimited as well. It's the marketing branch of Autonomy. Gets some of the solutions out there, not just focus on the problems. So, And obviously Autonomy, the course, which you just finished this season. Yeah, we just graduated season six students. Uh, well, geez. It was Sunday afternoon, last q and I, I started down here 13, 14 hours ago. <laughs> Super bro. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, we did four hours Q and a with the graduates. Uh, we did the graduation lecture Friday night. Now we have opened enrollment for season seven and we have added value to the course. And, uh, yeah, we have accountability coaches now. So it's nice. not just like learn about it and get some experience. It's like, okay, then make a goal and we're going to check in with you next week. And I went through it with one of the students today, live in the call. And his next step was to get in touch with Ernie Hancock. I was like, well, why don't you drop out of the zoom call, call Ernie, We'll wait for you to get back with the results. And then uh, put him on the yeah. spot. I did. I triggered his complexity. He's 20. He needs it. Or he's 21 now. Uh, he needs step forward. And yeah, he did uh, it with me. He did it. You made me interview Jan Irvin. It's still ah! up on YouTube. And we're not, we're never showing that. I promise. Cause that is a disaster. But LD's someone, up right now. someone referenced it. And it's like, oh, I yeah, saw this interview with Jan cool. Irvin, um, a new subscriber. Shout out to, to Emily. And I was like, yeah, that was. Uh, that's the story I'll tell. Tom it was one of the fun. first uh, interviews I shot with the Canon 7D. So I don't know if I even knew how to use that camera. I The raw footage of that interview is priceless. <laughs> and I do know where to lay my hands on those tapes. I, I just saw them in the, the media room over there with the equipment. <laughs> I saw, I was like, oh, in that case is some good raw footage. Um, you did an amazing job. And Tony, you know what else there is? You have a six hour interview with me of covering the stuff that we didn't cover in the Gatto interview two weeks before. So we filmed the ultimate history lesson and then you and I sat in the living room cause we still kind of had the lights and the camera set up and we've got footage. It's not well lit. There's some mistakes in the footage is why it's never been like done anything with, but there is like a whole bunch of us talking about all the other stuff that we wanted to talk about with Gatto, but didn't get in that interview. That is Fascinating. I have no idea we did that. I can't remember. <laughs> That's amazing. Maybe sometime we'll go through it and have it, have a lot of, it up and release it for subscribers or something like that. That'd yeah, I have great. a lot of undeveloped footage. I need like uh, a local team to go through like the tapes and put them in the camera yeah, and scan them like, into yeah. the computer. Oh, such a pain the We're going to well, need Firewire fire fire interface. Oh, that's going to be so much work. But yeah, we need to find a Firewire to do that. And it's going to be We'll get it There's figured out. There's other ways. We'll get it done. Add more value to getting people to subscribe. Lots of lots, tons of value if you subscribe, like ten bucks a month. There's different tiers. We're gonna flesh that out at some point. I'm not sure how that. Yeah, we've works. got tiers for fears. We've got <laughs> tiers for beers. That's a higher tier tier where you get beer. LD, who do we have to thank tonight? 
Let's play the Sakal Origins video. All right, yeah, yeah. Because uh, I'm getting slap yeah. happy. Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, real quick. Yeah, play that LD, and then we can think, and we can end it. Four minutes. It'll be a little fun. Follow what we're talking about. Loving every minute of it. It's no news to anybody that Christmas in countries and cultures around the world is more centered around Santa Claus giving gifts to children than the birth of Jesus Christ, the supposed reason for the holiday. A close biblical analysis suggests that Christ was born in September, so why December 25th for Christmas? According to the historian Will Durant, quote, Christmas was originally a solar festival, celebrating at the winter solstice the lengthening of the day and the triumph of the sun over his enemies. This day was identified to celebrate the sun god in cultures across the world and throughout time, such as the ancient Persian sun god Mithra. In ancient Egypt, the birth of Osiris coincided with the solstice, and on this day he would ride through the heavens in his chariot drawn by a team of horses. Sound familiar? The Greek sun god Helios would also ride through the sky in his sun chariot, as well as the Hindu god Suya. As the days grew longer after the winter solstice and the sun won its victory over darkness, these gods were celebrated to commemorate the coming change of the seasons. This is where Santa Claus and his sleigh pulled by reindeer is thought to originate. But the question remains, where did Santa the man come from, and how did he take Christ's place? Saint Nicholas is probably the most widely credited influence on the current incarnation of Santa Claus, and is the origin of his famous name. Living during the third and fourth centuries, Nicholas was a monk born in modern-day Turkey who was said to help the less fortunate and sick, and he was consecrated as a bishop in Myra in 317. Apparently, gift-giving was a custom passed down from Nicholas's generosity, and legend has it that he secretly visited the homes of struggling families at night, leaving purses of gold coins. After being canonized by the Roman Catholic Church in 1446, a thousand years after his life, Nicholas was credited with 300 miracles, including calming storms and three resurrections. Reverence for the now Saint Nicholas spread across the Holy Roman Empire into Northern Europe, where the name Santa Claus evolved from the Dutch title Sint Nicholas to the familiar nickname Sinterklaas. However, according to historian Barbara G. Walker, quote, historical evidence shows that Saint Nicholas never existed as a human. He was rather a Christianized version of various pagan gods, the Greek god Poseidon, the Roman god Neptune, and the Teutonic god Hold Nikar. In the early centuries of the Christian church, many pagan gods and goddesses were humanized and converted to Christian saints. When the church created the persona of Saint Nicholas, they adopted Poseidon's title, the Sailor. They picked up his last name from Nikar. Various temples of Poseidon became shrines of Saint Nicholas. Outside of ancient history, much of the current depiction of Santa Claus is based on black and white images drawn by cartoonist Thomas Nast, beginning in 1863, who based his drawings on Clement Clark Moore's poem, The Night Before Christmas. Santa's image was further defined by the popular ads created by Coca-Cola starting in 1931. The red suit, black belt, white fur trim, black boots, and a soft red cap. It seems relatively clear where Santa Claus came 
came from, but how did he take Christ's seat in the Godhead, where he steals the attributes of the Almighty? Santa is virtually omnipresent. He can visit hundreds of millions of homes in one night. He is omniscient, all-knowing, and judges children deciphering between their good and bad behavior. And he is eternal. He never dies, just like the creator of the universe. So even though the day is connected to the pagan traditions of men, this Christmas, try to honor the Savior of mankind, given as the ultimate gift from God. And remember, there is only one eternal being who loves all his creation. God bless and Merry Christmas. This is Brian Wilson with InfoWars.com. I love how after that guy goes over all the pagan roots, he still tries to bring in the historicity a little bit of a supposed Christ figure. It's like, well, yeah, the S-U-N of God, sure, the sun, S-U-N, yeah. I mean, come on, yeah, bro. well, that was nice of him. He made like a birthday gift for Jesus there. <laughs> and so many of us forget to get him something, so I'm sure. <laughs> oh, man, the people who believe in the historicity. So Santa Claus, they endowed like the powers of God onto santa claus right? yes they did yeah right that's right plus plus he can go down the chimneys god doesn't have that in his repertoire he's fat and he can yeah. slip down those tight chimneys i mean that's that's quite a feat he can yeah i mean he can eat all his cookies and still fit back up the chimneys milk and cookies bro yeah. millions and millions of variations of milk and cookies plus anytime like you know you get kurt russell to play you in a movie it's a christmas chronicles <laughs> joke Anyway, uh, it's like a, you know, it's a good spot. So, well, uh, I don't know. Maybe the red and white is like same reason the Pope's dressing in red, red and white. Maybe it's a mushroom thing. There might be the, something there with the coloring. Cause I also yeah. love the fact that they reified, they made thing like historical they elements of the saints too. Yeah. yeah. Thingified all these saints as well that were not, never existed. St. Nicholas being one of them, but that's one of an innumerable amount of saints that never existed. And we're just re sort of, well, it's just rebranding. It's rebranding of, of the religious ideas. temples of the people you conquered. That's ex right. Rebranding yeah. of the religious temples of the people you under the new Catholica or Catholic or universal. Religion. Yeah. What's the, you know, so, um, not the Parthenon, that's Greece. The Pantheon, Pantheon yeah. was a multi-deist kind of place mm -hmm. where you could pray to a bunch of different gods until a certain point when that wasn't in vogue anymore. And like the place that the Vatican is built on, that holy territory, what did that used to be? What was that place before? It was the Vatican. And so there's a lot of history. Even St. Peter, like his name translates, has a similarity to the idea of rock and the rock on which the church was built. So psychedelics. Yeah. San Pedro cactus. You have San Pedro. Who yep. found it and named it? Vatican so, monks. Thank you, uh, Ross Steiner, by the way, in chat, because he gave me that information earlier. And I was like, oh, that's very interesting. He must be big into the pagan and occult origins of uh, Christianity and ancient religion and Christian or Christmas. But what did you say about the monks? Uh, it was just, uh, it was, wasn't it Spanish mission missionaries to Spanish found missionaries. this, found a name, the San Pedro cactus. Yeah. They said they were having the indigenous people were experiencing a sort of uh, mystical vision and they didn't know what to call this cactus or this concoction. So they named it San Pedro because according to the indigenous population, it gave them the way they would describe it was as though it was very similar to the mystical visions that the saints and 
priests would experience in you know Catholic tradition. So they named it St. Peter because he's the one who guards the gate of heaven and allow, you know, allows you in or rejects you uh, based on the list he's given from God. Well, that's kind of like the psychedelic trip part of it, too. So yes, San Pedro right. equals St. Peter. It. It's the rock uh, that the church is founded on. Mm-hmm. Right. And then if it. the church had this sacrament and they gave everyone placebo out there usually, but you got some missionaries you got to send to the other, uh, other side of the world, some conquistadors, you give them the real Eucharist, the real sacrament. Those people go literally to the ends of the ends of the earth for you. Now we say, oh, the Hashashim and you know, maybe the Middle Eastern, they were doing that. It's like mm. right, the Hashashans. You don't think that was, you know, part of the Vatican's repertoire? Or maybe still is. They might have other training methods to make people so like oh, you know. Yeah, I mean it's just opus day. All it does is potentiate the possibility for mystical experience. So if you do it in the right set and setting, you have a a much higher chance of repeatable experience, much like Roland Griffiths has shown. However, if you do it in the context of the way Jay Dyer just explicated it, which was uh, in these highly contrived and abusive situations, you can get a different result. They were fucking with dolphins. Those were NIH literally studies Lily, too. Because I Lily yeah. kind of fucking a dolphin or something crazy. I don't wow, know. I don't. Yeah, I think that he was probably might have been, maybe. There's some weird very close shit to him. He's that, very close yeah. to the dolphins. It's very weird with Lily and dolphins. I've heard some really strange things about how far he took. And it's that. not just like Jim Carrey and Ace Ventura close to the dolphins. That's a different type of close to the dolphins. <laughs> no. <laughs> No cameo from Dan Marino. I pulled that from 30 years ago. Right here. That's a great, that's a great movie. I enjoyed <laughs> that. I love, I love those uh, old uh, Ace Ventura films. First two are really funny. Back when Jim Carrey was funny. <clears throat> About 30 years ago. 30 years ago. All right, yeah. LD, who do we got to thank? All right, all right. Um, many thanks to <laughs> everybody sick. joining us. Oh yeah, here's one of those memes you wanted to look at uh yeah that's fitting angel i captured that during benny's benny's meme show the other night i also can explain the whole pfizer booster thing did you get that meme too oh yeah yeah we have an explanation it's all going to make sense how the booster works 2020 profits 42 billion dollars 2021 profits 82 billion dollars the booster is working exponential growth no actually not exponential but times yeah times that by two that's how an exponential it. curve starts out yeah that's how an exponential you could say that starts with the yeah, multiple two and then this increase you know becomes somewhat logarithmic and you had the lisa simpson reality is much closer to the elitist pedophile spiritual vampire world alex jones describes than the neoliberal corporate fear-mongering garbage portrayed on the news she's right <laughs> she's right <laughs> I like how they got the shadow properly. Like that that's a good like photoshopped meme right there. Looks like it was actually on screen. Or maybe it was. Was that in the Simpsons and I missed it? <laughs> was it in the Simpsons? All right. So I interrupted um, you from our thank yous. All right. Oh well, wait, it's a promotion. Oh, well, yeah, you know, you could check out freedomunitedrevolt.com. We've got New shirt, uh, tyranny is not a conspiracy theory. It's a little Grand Theft World in the back. That is true. That is freedomunitedrevolt.com. It's um, a great Christmas present. 
it's a definitely yes. a conversation starter. Maybe a stopper at times, but possibly definitely. a starter too. Definitely have, good for January. Yeah. Still going to be going on. Oh, yes. yeah. Here. Jelaine so didn't okay. Epstein herself. That is indisputable, no matter I'm how things shake out. Uh, Hang on. No. You, you yeah. got to do that again, Tony. We we didn't uh, catch that on screen. The bad little kitty. Oh, it's dancing for Christmas. Wants to be dressed like a mushroom. So there you go, everyone. Boom, There's boom, snowflakes. Boom, so. boom, boom. There you the go. All right. But um, thank you to the Rockfin supporters, especially Nicholas, The Wiz, T. Ken, David, Otnes, Laurie Quigley, Misfit, Tina Hagen, F. Fitz, Larry Horse, Dwellies, Dallas Avad, former VP Biden. Thank you so much. So nice. Death to Tyrants, Nautilus, and Augustine. Thanks for everybody joining us. And um we had a we had a some Christmas music we could uh drop before we leave and then a little bit as of As long as it's not like Francis Collins. No, no, it's it's much different. And then um then there's a little Bill Hicks. I know you were uh Yeah, it was his birthday this his past birthday week. the other day. Yeah. It's just yeah. a ride. It's just a ride. That's it's, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> It's just a ride, and we're like Thelma and Louise going off a cliff. That's for damn sure. That's one hell of a scary ride. Seems like they need to do some quality control. I rolled out. I saw too many episodes of uh, Lee Majors as the stunt man. What was that show back in the day? Roll out of cars. Anyway, it was what he did later. It was like an 80s show. Yeah. Born in the 80s. It's funnier if I can remember the name. But <laughs> that's what happens at four in the morning. If I was going to say, dude, it's four in the morning, dude. Let's move toward closure. What Christmas music do we have? Did you say you're going to love it? I'll, let me just roll it uh, for you. I, I'm going to love it. Oh, geez. Well, you'll love the truth, I suppose. The truth being spoken. The the best burn was when Mariah Carey said, "All I want for I, I don't want a lot for Christmas. All I want for Christmas is you," and everyone mm-hmm. took it. There you go. <laughs> Here we go. What do you got? You got something it's to top that? To look a lot like fascism everywhere you go. Take a look at Australia locking up Aboriginals. Just a few more steps to genocide, you know. It's beginning to look a lot like fascism. Most of the world is blind. But it's never going to end this totalitarian trend as long as you comply. You gave your freedom away for protection. They say that's the oldest trick in the book. But the protection of tyrants and corporate giants is not as safe as it looks. And Google, Facebook, YouTube are now burning all the books. It's beginning to look a lot like fascism. We've seen this all before. But with greater technology and a high-tech technocracy, they'll track and trace you in and out your door. It's beginning to look a lot like fascism. And I won't hold my tongue. And you may not agree with me, but to try and stop my speech would be a slippery slope.
I think that should be the official version. <laughs> I can picture like families listening to that as they decorate the tree. It's it's a little bit more meaningful and substantial uh, than maybe even the original. It's much more historically accurate. That's what you're that's good find, LD. Very oh, good singer too. Christmas good. chair. I, I was impressed chilling. about uh, technocracy. It's hard to get te- technocracy worked into a Christmas song like that. Yeah. Yes, you did a good job of transposing the syllables, making sure it all flowed correctly. Yeah. You know, cadence. Yeah. I remember there was a day not too long ago, people didn't even know what technocracy was. Now they do, unfortunately. (laughs) Yeah. They can thank uh, Klaus Schwab and the Great Reset and Bill Gates and the pandemic. And it's pretty obvious. I mean, even when you take the gene therapy, you are changed. Therapy it changes you. you from the inside. Don't worry, they have patents on that technology. So it's all right. It's all about the patents for them. It's all about the patents. We'll see what the patents that lead intellectual to. Intellectual property, making sure that oh yeah, and now they control you and your genes that have been modified. Don't worry. It's just a form of ownership, Tony. Don't worry about just it. That form. <laughs> it's a mode of ownership. Yeah. It's like when you're trying to bridle a wild stallion and you're trying to slip a rope over it. Oh, it's just a rope. It's fine. It's not going to be used to control. Go with it. Go with it. No. Animals know better. Human beings apparently don't. No, we no. willingly accept that shit. They're like lining up for the ropes. <laughs> Get that booster. Gonna mandate the rope. I'll bet you'd like to mandate the rope, wouldn't you? <laughs> Boosters and vaccines. Yeah, all different forms of gene ropes thing with the rope though you can't push a rope you can only pull with it and it's got two ends so we'll see how it goes yeah it's a tug of war and the wills of freedom versus slavery right now in the world very true they're tugging pretty hard what do you got ld all right last little bit here we go bill hicks is is it bill hicks to play us out yeah Uh, all right uh, when you're ready well, Merry okay. Christmas, everyone. Yeah. Oh, wait, yeah. Feliz Navidad. You know, happy Mushroom Festival. Solar happy Solstice. Day. Solstice. That's really the real. Happy Death festival. of Mithra when he killed the bull or something like that. Helios. And yeah. Happy Ishtar. No, Ishtar. That's, that's, that's Easter. A different one. That's, that's Easter. Easter. Sorry. Uh, Babylonian, I believe, Easter. Yeah. Happy Osiris crossing the sky with the chariot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That one. You have Osiris, Isis, Horus. Yeah. Rebirth, horse, the sun. We made it past the shortest day of the year. No? Tomorrow. Tomorrow is the shortest day of the year. Well, this is like the longest night of the year, it felt like. So, uh, we're actually, what's Tuesday? So, Town Hall will be the shortest. It's almost Tuesday. It's a Solstice Town Hall. (laughs) It's a Solstice Town Hall, everyone. So, subscribe and join the Town Hall for the Solstice festivities. There you go. We have a special presentation by. An individual that uh, is giving a five or ten minute overview of climate change and weather modification. Start out the mm. town hall. So if anyone's interested, and there'll be more secrets about Santa. That's why people would show yes, up. Yes, we're definitely more gonna have secrets of, of psychedelic Santas. Lots on of town hall Tuesday night. All right, Lots of psychedelics. Everyone, anyone 
everyone who made it to the end of this stream and you hung out for the still 186 people watching hey merry christmas 77 people on now we know who our friends are the ones who hang out the whole time they didn't ditch earlier we can say cool stuff now and uh be open and wear our christmas hats be a little silly although uh i feel like the silliness went away for like a half hour ago because started to get I think it's daylight outside. So it's not uh, daylight. I, I get you. I get where I get. I get daylight first. Though. I live east of you. All right. So uh, <laughs> we will have a show uh, the day after Christmas. So next Sunday night, live, nine p.m. Yada yada yada. Yay, freedom! Thank Heard you about guys. All the Saturnalian death cult. Next intermission. Sorry, Rich. Go See, ahead. now that's a call to action. People will put on the calendars. Learn about the Saturnalian. That rules everyone. you. It's not just a death cult. It's a death cult that rules you. And they're making it's, it a metaverse. And you're going to be future. resurrected in Saturn, apparently. That's good. We kept our overtalk to the very, very end. <laughs> no one in the 180. We did really good left. tonight. Yeah, we did. We did better. Like, Thank you for fun. your comments. All right. Uh, you guys have a fantastic Christmas. Thank you for tuning in. Not dropping out. We'll see you next week. Peace Merry out. Christmas, everyone. Happy New Year's. Don't the world is over a by ride at an amusement park and when you choose to go on it you think it's real because that's how powerful our minds are and the ride goes up and down and round and round it has thrills and chills and it's very brightly colored and it's very loud and it's fun for a while some people have been on the ride for a long time and they begin to question is this real or is this just a ride and other people have remembered and they come back to us and they say hey don't worry don't be afraid ever because this is just a ride and we kill those people. <laughs> Shut him up. We have a lot invested in this ride. Shut him up. Look at my furrows of worry. Look at my big bank account and my family. This has to be real. It's just a ride. But we always kill those good guys who try and tell us that. You ever notice that? And let the demons run amok? But it doesn't matter because it's just a ride. And we can change it anytime we want. It's only a choice. No effort, no work, no job, no savings of money. A choice right now between fear and love. The eyes of fear want you to put bigger locks on your door, buy guns, close yourself off. The eyes of love instead see all of us as one. Here's what we can do to change the world right now to a better ride. Take all that money we spend on weapons and defense each year and instead spend it feeding, clothing, and educating the poor of the world, which it would many times over, not one human being excluded, and we can explore space together, both inner and outer, forever in peace. Thank you very much. You've been great. I hope you enjoy it. London, you're fantastic. Thank you. Conspiracy is the story of history. It's the story of plunderers taking care of people who produce. They claim to take care of them through government, which doesn't give you anything. It doesn't take away first. So it's not creating something out of nothing. It's very real what they're doing. They're taking your rights or taking some people's rights and adding more to someone else's rights. If you haven't heard about our Grand Theft World community membership, here are a few of the things you've been missing. A mobile app where you can access replays of the Grand Theft World podcast and show notes. Access to the Grand Theft World community on Discord, where we crowdsource news and resources, and you can contribute to the show. The opportunity to participate in the Grand Theft World bi-weekly town hall. 
Exclusive content from Richard Grove, including behind-the-scenes footage and future access to unpublished material. 93 episodes of the Peace Revolution podcast and the Grand Theft World newsletter delivered straight to your inbox each week. If you want to stay ahead of the great game, visit us at grandtheftworld.com, click or tap the button in the top right-hand corner, and join a vibrant community of researchers blazing a new path to truth. We'll see you there. Thank you.